This is the multi-voice text-to-speech podfic reading of The Fall by Euripides' Trousers, composed by Burning Aurora. Chapter 1. The Offer The day the devil appears is like any other. Remus Lupin wakes with a grumble, snoozes his alarm twice, eats his pitiful breakfast, a stale piece of toast, and drives his beat-up little Mazda to work. On the drive, his petrol tank flashes empty and he's forced to weigh up between buying bread and milk and fuel. He fills up, leaning against his car while he questions his career choices that have landed him with barely fifty pounds to his name and the prospect of screaming eight-year-olds at eight in the morning. However, he doesn't quite resent it so much when he enters the classroom, harried and running late, and thirty children chant cheerfully, Good morning, Mr. Lupin, in perfect unison. In fact, he beams around at them all like they've told him he's won an all-expenses-paid holiday to Bora Bora. They've come so far since the start of the year when he first entered the classroom to a squalling cage match between Harry Potter and Draco Malfoy. Now, Harry clasps his hands together neatly, face attentive behind his round glasses, and Draco scowls down at his empty desk, sour about something but blissfully quiet. No need for books today. Remus calls sunnily, mood instantly cheered by the sight of his students sitting patiently. Get your hats, please, and line up by the door. We're going to learn about gravity. The day continues in this vein. His students soar on the swings and hang from the monkey bars, giggling as he calls on each of them to tell him exactly why they're being pulled back to the ground. They grasp the principles of gravity beautifully, and he's never been more proud. He eats lunch with Poppy and Minerva, the strict high school literature teacher and the school nurse. Poppy needles about his love life and he fobs her off with protests of Terms almost finished, I'm far too busy. Minerva purses her lips and says he should keep his students in the classroom for lessons. He smiles warmly and winks, saying brightly that their end-of-term results will speak for themselves. There's no malice in her, and she sniffs, offering him one of her horrible biscuits, which he politely declines. The rest of his lessons go much the same. Only having to break up one argument about what the best large cat is, he manages to negotiate them down to tiger and paw-to-paw combat, but a panther if judging by raw ability. After classes finish for the day, Granger hangs back to chat his ear off about the book he'd assigned for reading, Matilda, and how much she loves it. He listens attentively, and the way she squeezes the book to her chest warms something in his own. He gives himself a mental pat on the back, having picked the book specifically with her in mind, seeing how she struggles to make friends, her brilliant mind light years ahead of her peers. All in all, a normal day. A good day. He leans against his kitchen counter, in his cramped little flat as twilight falls, beer in one hand and phone in the other. James Potter, Harry's father, has left two messages asking if he wants to drop by for dinner. They've known each other since uni, where James shot off to become a lawyer and Remus fell out of love with history, and in love with teaching. Having Harry in his class is a blessing, a reason to see his friend as often as he can, and Harry is a sweet kid, so much like his mother, Lily, his other best friend. But he needs a breather. He sends a polite decline and a promise to catch up next time, and puts his phone on the counter. No, what he really needs is a bath, some food if he can scrounge something up, maybe a quick wank, 
and a deep sleep if he can manage it. Sure you don't want a booty call? The yell that leaves Remus's throat is both undignified and threatening. He spins, bottle clutched tightly to throw at the owner of the voice. He freezes. A man is sitting on his dining table. An extraordinarily handsome man. His black hair falls in shining waves around his face, so elegant that he seems ethereal, framing absurdly high cheekbones and a sharp jaw. Bright eyes catch the light, sparkling in amusement, and Remus dimly registers that they're an unusual shade of icy gray. As cold as they are beautiful. He lounges so casually on Remus's table that for a second, he insanely wonders whether he's invited him there somehow, an appointment that he's forgotten about. The man needlessly adjusts his black button-up shirt, which is sinfully tight, and Remus comes back to himself. Who? Who the fuck are you? He gapes, bottle still held overhead stupidly. The man picks an imaginary piece of lint off his crisp black suit pants. Why the devil of course? He drawls, amused and bored at the same time. The, sorry, what? You heard me right, Remus John Lupin. The man grins and dear God, he's handsome. Son of Hope and Lyle Lupin, born on the 10th of March, an only child but much loved. Right, well, Remus says intelligently. He lowers the bottle. Do I know you? He tries a little more politely. Not as well as I'd like. The dark-haired man grins wolfishly, and Remus automatically takes a step back. Look, I'm going to need a name and an explanation or I'm calling the police, Remus says in his most stern teacher voice. The one he used when Ron Weasley bit Malfoy on the hand when he made fun of his beat-up, patchwork school bag. That voice had the class subdued, quiet and unbelievably obedient for a whole day. This stranger just smiles wider. I've given it to you. Well, my title anyway, the one mortals use for me. He drawls, crossing his legs and leaning back on his hands. You can call me Satan if you like. Lucifer if you're nasty, and I get the feeling you are. Remus grimaces. Please leave. He points at the door. Which is locked now that he looks. He'd locked it behind himself when he came in. And the windows are locked too. Has this confused and possibly mentally ill man been in his home since this morning? I slips down his spine and he takes another step back, grip tightening on the bottle. Relax. So-called Satan waves a hand. I'm not here to murder you. I'm the devil. If I wanted you dead you would be all ready. I mean it, leave. All right, you want proof? The man snorts, irritated, saying to himself in a quieter mutter. They always want proof. He claps his hands and the table he sits on is engulfed in flames. Remus shouts again and this time he does throw the bottle, which shatters in the flames at the man's feet and he laughs. He sits in the center of the roaring flames, as comfortable as a cat in a patch of sun, and laughs, a harsh bark of laughter. Remus looks around for something to put out the flames but they're already gone. He stares. His table is unscathed, not a scorch mark or burn to be seen, only the beer that drips down the legs and the bottle shattered beneath it. Enough proof? I have more. Satan offers politely. Remus shakes his head. Keeps shaking it, can't stop. This can't be real. Satan shimmers, wobbles. Strange thing for Satan to do, he thinks dimly. He raises a dark eyebrow. All right there, sunshine. The deep voice calls. 
Rather nice voice for Satan to have, Remus thinks stupidly. Although he's hard to see now, dark creeping in at the corners. Ugh, another fainter. Is the last thing Remus hears before the black swallows his vision and the floor races towards him. When he comes to, his dining table is blissfully bare. He sits up with a start. There's a puddle of beer and shards of the broken bottle scattered through the dining room. He rubs the side of his head. It aches but there's no blood, no lump. He must have had a dizzy spell and fallen. The handsome burglar, or whatever he was, must have been a dream he had while he'd been unconscious. What an odd thing to dream though, he thinks, creakily getting to his feet. The appearance of a handsome man in his dreams wasn't odd, but if his brain was going to conjure tall, dark men straight out of a GQ magazine they were usually naked and smiling sweetly, not setting his dining table on fire. He cleans up the mess, pausing from sweeping to closely examine the table. He catches himself looking for burn marks and laughs at himself. No more beer tonight, he decides. No, a bath, maybe a bite, and then bed. He considers the previous edition of the quick wank. The man had been extremely attractive, but the fact that he called himself Satan was a bit of a turn-off. Remus isn't into that dark Satanist stuff. He dated a goth girl in uni for a few months, and the one time she tried to get him to do knife play had been too much for him. A bath he can do, though. He fills it to the brim and brings out his good Epsom salts for his muscles that ache from lying on the floor. Should he go to the doctor? No concussion though so maybe it's alright, and adds just a dash of bubble bath gel. Ultimate relaxation. He groans as he sinks into the hot water, scalding and almost too hot, just like he likes it. The bubbles fizz and hiss as he leans back and this day is almost salvaged. Miss that sandalwood. He jumps, sending water and bubbles flying, and clutches at the rim of the basin as he slips, catching suds in his mouth and spluttering. The man from his fainting episode, or maybe not, because he's quite sure he's conscious now, is sitting on his toilet. The same dark shirt and pants as before, legs crossed, and leaning forward with his chin on his hand, gazing interestedly into the bubbles. Remus gathers them around himself, grinding out. How the hell do you keep getting in here? How the hell? Was that a pun? Satan grins. What do you want? Remus hisses holding his knees to his chest, feeling far too vulnerable like this. Well, a great many things, Satan says seriously, as if he's really thinking about it. I want God to die a horrible death, a freshly made cinnamon scroll, and Liverpool to win the cup. But I'm just the king of hell, I can only do so much. Remus stares as the man's hand emerges from his pocket of his pants holding a cinnamon scroll. Steam rises from it as if it's fresh from the oven, and the smell fills the bathroom sweet and sticky, and it's possibly the best thing Remus has ever smelled. Satan bites into it and hums, pleased, crumbs of icing falling to the bathroom floor. You could at least use a plate. Remus protests absently, mouth speaking of its own accord. Ridiculous to be arguing with Satan about dropping crumbs on the floor, but it comes automatically after years of being around children. Satan ignores it thankfully, and presses on, voice low and eager. No, what I really want are good souls. You see, I get sent all of humanity's worst filth, whether I want them or not. No one asked whether I wanted to babysit the great lord's worst brats. 
he spits and his eyes flash in anger. But every now and then I get to tempt one down to my level. The half-eaten cinnamon scroll vanishes with a wave of his hand and Remus's eyes catch on the long, elegant fingers. He struggles to keep up. You won't, a good soul. He frowns in confusion. Exactly. Satan beams, throwing his arms wide. So tell me what you want, you sweet little soul, shining like a ray of sunshine. Your heart's deepest desires, and it's all yours. And in exchange, well I just want to tag along for the ride. Satan grins and his handsome face is cast into shadow in the dim light. He's no less handsome, but the shadows deepen and Remus shifts uncomfortably, the water lapping around him. Being offered something by the devil isn't something Remus wanted out of today. He just wanted to have a bath, relax, and sleep. Now he has to confront the most uncomfortable truth. He's having a mental breakdown. He's not even stressed. Well, not more than usual, with the end of term approaching and overdue bills piling up. But that's nothing new. And why this hallucination has decided to take a religious form is beyond him. He's not even vaguely religious. The last time he went to church was with his mother for Christmas, when he was 14. But his mother talked about something like this once, a distant cousin that was institutionalized because they were unwell, hearing voices. This must be a dormant gene rearing its head cruelly, and without warning at the late age of 29. Does he need to go to a doctor? Or is he supposed to go straight to a psychologist? He doesn't feel like he's a danger to himself or anyone else. He has no intention of following any of this rather handsome hallucination's suggestions. You all right there? The hallucination asks dryly, and Remus gets the impression that he's asking because he's bored of the silence rather than out of concern. Which is mad, because he's straight out of Remus's imagination. He's imagining the bored drawl of Satan's voice. At least he's saddled with a hallucination that's nice to look at. He says as much, mouth dry and numb. I'm glad I'm hallucinating a handsome bloke and not a goat-headed, hooves sort of thing. Satan blinks in surprise. Then laughs. That bark of laughter that rings off the tiled walls. Oh, I thank you. I never tire of hearing it. Satan preens, lowering his dark lashes prettily. I keep that form for parties. Hem, you're welcome, figment of my imagination. Remus mutters kindly wiping a water-wrinkled hand over his face. I'm not, though. Satan argues pleasantly. I'm real. I can prove it to you. In time. Of course. Remus agrees evenly, mentally making a note to make an appointment tomorrow. His relaxing bath completely ruined, he lowers his hand and fixes Satan with a look. Do you mind? He asks politely, gesturing for him to turn. Satan stares back blankly. Remus makes the turning motion with his finger again, and he huffs in realization, rolling his gray eyes. I've been alive since the dawn of time, I hardly think you're packing anything I haven't seen. He sneers haughtily, but he still glances down to where the bubbles have almost completely disappeared. It's an odd feeling to argue with a hallucination. Why did he have to think up someone so argumentative and snappy? Considering it's just himself, he shouldn't mind him seeing him naked but he insists on the privacy anyway, to see if he'll listen. Maybe he has some control over this. Satan stares back for a few long moments at his stern glare, before sighing dramatically and disappearing with a bright flash and the smell of something sweet burning.
Remus has a terrible night's sleep. He dozes fitfully, waking with several starts to look around the room in panic. It's a relief when dawn comes, even though he has to teach a bunch of eight-year-olds on almost no sleep. He'll take that over hallucinations of the devil. He considers making the appointment, but last night feels like a lifetime ago, and there's been no reappearance of the king of hell in the daylight. Maybe it was a once-off hallucination. Those are a thing, right? Remus sits at traffic lights, staring at the car in front of him blankly, not seeing it. He's almost convinced himself it's all back to normal now when his passenger tuts at the radio and reaches over to change the station. Remus is proud of the way he doesn't jump out of his seat, managing to keep his shock to cursing under his breath, gripping the wheel tightly. Really, doesn't everyone need rock to get them through the morning? Satan complains, twiddling with the dial. The radio hisses, and then catches on a gritty guitar solo, some rock song that Remus doesn't know. Megadeth, Satan exclaims gleefully. I know, it's predictable. But I like what I like. What? No Celine Dion. Remus mutters numbly, trying not to move his lips too much, so he doesn't have to face the fact that he's talking to himself. Never been a fan, no. Satan replies around a cigarette. Remus glances over irritably, frowning. No smoking in the car. He tuts. Satan stares back in wide-eyed disbelief, those big gray eyes almost taking on a kicked puppy look and Remus has to mentally shake himself. This hallucination is good. Well, bad, very bad. But so realistic, he can smell the cigarette smoke as clearly as he can hear the beeping of horns. Oh, shit, sorry. Remus calls to the cars behind him and accelerates hastily. I mean it, put it out. He returns to the subject sternly and his hellish passenger tips his head back against the car seat in dramatic protest. Come on, I can cure cancer if that's what. Out, now. Satan humps spectacularly. He could give one of Remus's eight-year-olds lessons on tantrums. But he vanishes the lit cigarette with a frosty wave of his fingers. Remus feels oddly satisfied, before he realizes he's only one against himself. And Satan doesn't help prattling in his ear about how good smoking is, how relaxing it is, especially after sex. By the time he pulls into his parking spot at the school, he's tapping irritably on the steering wheel, jaw clenched, and craving a cigarette like he hasn't in years, not since uni when he managed to kick the habit. Are you going to follow me around all day? Remus grinds out, face falling as Satan opens the car door and steps out. He'd hoped he'd vanish as easily as the cigarette. Well, yes, Satan confirms, holding a newly lit cigarette to his lips. I told you, I'm here to do your bidding, sunshine. Name it. Go away. Except that. Then at least be quiet. I can't be talking to myself with the kids around. Remus hisses, looking around furtively, fully aware that he's arguing with blank air right now. Our kids. Satan wrinkles his nose, exhaling smoke. So boring. Couldn't you have a more interesting job? I like my job. Remus draws himself to his full height before stalking off towards his classroom, feeling oddly offended. Offended by himself. Mad. Crunching gravel follows him and Satan falls into stride beside him, long legs keeping up easily. What's to like about it? Screaming children, finger paint, that weird kid smell. 
Satan grumbles as if anyone is forcing him to tag along. Remus sighs. I'm a good teacher, and some of them need that, really need that. An image of little Eddie Anders' face swims in his mind's eye. He often comes to school in dirty, stained uniforms, shuffling his feet and brushing his greasy hair out of his eyes. Remus feels his face soften. Ah. Satan nods his head, pointing at his face as if it incriminates him. There it is. There's the good soul I'm after. You became a teacher to help children. The ones no one else looks after. Remus snaps his mouth shut around his reply. He wants to say something biting but they're close to the buildings now, near the end of the driveway, and he can't risk being overheard cursing at himself. His silence doesn't seem to bother the devil. Now see, I can't understand why people still believe in God when things like that happen. He muses, putting the cigarette out on a clueless child's bag as they pass, while Remus stares in horror before looking away quickly. You know, abused kids and that. If God was really a good guy, wouldn't he intervene? Everyone'll have you believe it's my doing, but I hardly give a shit what you monkeys are up to. I don't go around telling perfectly good people to abuse kiddies. People are bad enough themselves to do it and I'm there to punish them when they're done. But God, he's the one that lets it happen when he could smite them. How did I become the bad guy in this? Remus ignores his rambling, or tries to. He'll happily discuss theological morality, but it's pointless to do so with a figment of his own imagination. He walks into his classroom early, before any of the children have arrived and walks around the room setting up for the morning. He changes the date and day on the board, concentrating hard on the calligraphy while Satan rattles off horrible facts about famine in faraway countries in his ear. Kids start to trail in with varying amounts of energy. As always, Harry makes a beeline for him, stopping just short of giving him a hug to grin up at him. Remus looks down fondly, relieved to be looking at something real and inarguably good and pure. But then Harry wrinkles his nose. You smell like outside the sports building, unk, Mr. Lupin. Remus stares, bewildered. His eyes widen when Satan chuckles in his ear. Ah, the boy's not used to cigarettes, I take it. He murmurs, breath hot on Remus's neck. Give him ten years and he'll be chain-smoking and doing lines off a bird named Tiffany. Remus turns his head sharply to find the handsome face perched on his shoulder. He does smell like smoke, but also fresh like the ground just before it rains. A crackle of lightning thrown in, ozone rising in the air, just before a storm. He tears his gaze away to look back down at Harry, who looks in confusion between him and what must be the empty space he'd just been staring at. Right, Remus exhales sharply, trying for calm and failing. Well, find your seat, Harry. Class is about to start. Harry smiles and runs off to his seat taking a detour to stop at Weasley's desk to whisper something in his ear. Remus watches them both giggle about something without really seeing them. Harry smelt the smoke. The smoke was real. But the man is not, as much as he looks it, wandering off to bend over the tables and scratch his chin boredly at the homework the children have laid on their tables. Is... is he smoking now? Is he hallucinating this man and smoking the cigarettes he sees the man holding? Is this another personality of his own that he sees represented by this gorgeous but haughty creature? Surely not. He can't ever imagine thinking the things that spout from this guy's mouth. God, he needs to make that appointment.
he vows to do it in his break. He sinks down in his chair as he waits for the bell to start first period, and tries his best not to stare at the empty air where Satan saunters around the room. He makes his way over to Remus's desk and he frowns with concentration not to react when he slides onto the desk. He props a foot up on the arm of Remus's chair and Remus pointedly does not look at his long legs, or his tight shirt, or even tighter black pants. Satan cocks his head at him. He sees it out of the corner of his eye. You know I can feel sin, he says casually, leaning back against the desk. Gets me all tingly under the horns. Remus chances a glance up at the face and offers the most withering glare he can muster. Satan continues unbothered. Like right now. You look at me and I can feel the lust rolling off you. Pretty sinful in a room full of kitties if you ask. Remus jumps to his feet, calling out sharply. Everyone in your seats, please. The children scamper to obey, faces pinched in worry at the bite in his tone. He clears his throat guiltily giving the briefest of scathing looks to the chuckling man on his desk. Well done, class. Now, roster. Anders. Remus is surprised that he manages to drown out the devil's inane chatter pretty easily. A learned skill of being a primary school teacher, which he's never been more grateful for. He runs through his lessons breezily, from English in the morning to science after morning break. The private school is prestigious but small so they don't have teachers that specialize until high school, but it keeps it interesting, jumping between subjects. Although, he hates maths and yearns to teach history properly, diving into the political climates of each decade and dissecting the resulting events. They're on ancient Rome at the moment, and while it was never his strong point, he wishes he could talk about something other than Vesuvius, which is all he's been given allowance for in the curriculum. Satan agrees. Oh come on. Vesuvius. I'll never stop bloody hearing about that great pissy volcano. He grumbles from where he's slouched on Remus's chair, glossy black shoes propped up on his desk. He cradles a coffee. From my favorite cafe in Peru. He'd said smugly, not offering Remus a cup. Remus glances down from writing on the whiteboard. The room is mostly silent behind him, pen scribbling, and he can't reply but he offers a shrug and an eye roll communicating his own disdain with the British education system. Satan tips his head back and leans back in the chair. You did history, didn't you? Don't you want to wax on about the founding? Thought you'd be creaming your knickers at the chance to yap on about your one true love. It's your namesake, you know. Personally, Romulus was a bit of a prick, Remus I was much nicer, though I never spent as much time with him. Remus raises an eyebrow in interest despite himself. If he were real, which he isn't, he harshly reminds himself, the devil would be a wealth of history knowledge, brimming with information otherwise lost to time. His curiosity must show on his face because Satan's eyes light up and he sits up eagerly. Oh ho. Of course, history nerd. The things I could tell you about Rome, sunshine. The Library of Alexandria? Can recite long lost scrolls off the top of my head. The boat battles in the Colosseum, even more dramatic than they sound. And the orgies, their pottery doesn't begin to cover them, the things I've seen would curl your hair. Well, more than it already is. Remus snorts and covers it with a cough. He's saved from replying by the lunch bell and the class explodes in a hurricane of movement and noise, 
children chattering and Weasley screeching that the swings are bags as he races out the door, closely followed by Harry. Remus fondly watches them file out, picking up Malfoy's forgotten hat and handing it to him as he scowls around a thank you. He catches Anders on his way out, beckoning with a hand. He ignores the impatient presence at his back that huffs and mutters darkly, and crouches down, reaching into his own bag. Anders shuffles forward, enormous brown eyes watching cautiously. Remus holds out a brown paper bag and smiles encouragingly. Here, someone dropped this off for you while you were on morning break, he says as warmly as he can. Anders stares, small hands flexing, and chewing the inside of his lip. Remus reaches out slowly and holds one of the small hands, eyes catching on the built-up grime in the lines of his palms, and does his best not to wince. Look, let's wash up quickly, you and me, and then off to lunch. Looks like someone packed you a sandwich and some fruit. It smells delicious. I think I can smell cheese. You like cheese, don't you? Of course there's cheese. Remus prepared it himself after seeing the way Anders devoured the last sandwich he'd brought him, under the guise of an anonymous relative. Anders nods, lips pursing like he's swallowing whatever he wants to say. Remus straightens, pulling him gently over to the sink in the corner where they wash up their paints on art day. He scrubs at the grime as gently as he can, and chatters about nothing in particular, slipping in a casual offer to wipe Anders' face. He nods again and Remus wipes over his sticky cheeks and face with a warm, damp cloth. He smooths the hair back from his face, and Anders smiles shyly, touching his own cheek. Remus swallows hard and holds out the brown paper bag again. All right, all better. You better go eat so you still have time to play. I think Harry and Ron were playing on the swing. You should ask them for a go, yeah? Let me know if they don't share. Anders doesn't reply but he snatches the paper bag and hurries out of the room, one hand still tracing over his cheek as if in wonder to feel it clean and smooth. Satan clears his throat behind Remus, and he sighs. You're still here, he mutters in quiet despair. He'd stopped talking for so long that Remus thought for sure he'd disappeared while he was distracted with Anders. I can help, you know? Satan says, oddly subdued, gray eyes narrowed in, it almost looks like anger. Remus just rolls his eyes. Of course, even a figment of his imagination will have a bleeding heart. He can't even imagine the devil to be truly evil. His mother used to say it was his best quality, his limitless compassion and empathy, seeing the good in everyone. Lily says that's how he always ends up in I-can-fix-them relationships. He privately thinks Lily is on the money and doesn't care to be reminded of his own blind determination to see the good in everyone. He doesn't respond to the useless offer and stalks outside, into the bright sunlight. He's got yard duty today, so he'd usually have to eat and walk, but he's given his lunch to Anders so he's saved the trouble of trying not to spill food down his front while he walks. He also usually makes rounds around the oval with the other teacher that's on duty, chatting, unless it's Snape, the mathematics teacher whose face is almost as sour as his attitude. It's Tonks today, the pink-haired, cheerful music teacher, who enthusiastically waves at him across the yard and trips on a loose tile. He waves back, smiling fondly, but doesn't make his way over to her like he usually would. His present company makes talking with others a little difficult with the running commentary. You're a fool, 
Satan frowns, arms crossed as he walks backwards in front of Remus so he can't escape him. You're going without for that kid when I could make you a billionaire. I can snap my fingers and that kid will have a perfect, loving home. Ask. Remus clasps his hands behind his back as he walks and glances around to make sure no one will overhear. Right. Can you just be a normal hallucination for a minute and mutter darkly to yourself? I'm getting a headache. Satan stops dead in front of him, and Remus has to stop abruptly to keep from crashing into him. Would he bump into him if he kept going, or would he walk through thin air? How good is this hallucination? Pretty damn good. He can smell that smoky ozone scent this close, and he can feel huffs of hot breath on his nose as Satan exhales sharply, eyes narrowed in frustration. This again? You 21st century mortals are so reluctant to believe. I'm the devil. Satan, Lord of Darkness or whatever you want to call me. You want more proof? I can give you more proof. He holds his arms out wide and slowly tips his head back. Remus steps back and watches in bemusement. Satan or not, he gives off the air of a petulant child at times, moods swinging wildly, and it's funny to watch if he doesn't think about the implications of finding his own hallucinations funny. Remus shivers as wind suddenly whips his light brown hair around his face and he glances up at the sky as it darkens, bemused smile fading. Just a moment ago the sun shone and the sky was clear. He gapes as dark gray storm clouds roll in from the horizon, like plumes of smoke belched from a roaring fire. Thunder rumbles and children scream. He whips around to see children running for the buildings, looking back up at the sky in terror, and a few in excitement the Weasley twins chanting, Hurricane, Hurricane, as Tonks desperately tries to shepherd them indoors. Remus stumbles in the roaring wind and turns back to the man standing in the middle of it all, the hairs on the back of his neck standing up. His long black hair whips around his face but he's unbothered by the wind, arms outstretched like he's calling the storm for an embrace, a maniacal grin on his face. For the first time, Remus is truly afraid. He stumbles back and the man laughs that bark-like laugh, tipping his head back to grin at the clouds swirling ash-gray above them. Icy rain pours as if suddenly given permission. There's no trickle, no lead-up, the heavens just open. Or maybe it's not the heavens, not where this is being summoned from. Lightning crackles through the storm above, purple streaking through the sky, bringing with it little balls of hail. All right, Remus gasps but he can't even hear himself over the gale and thunder. All right, you can stop. Stop. The hail falls harder, and he holds his sodden arms over his head. Looking down at the ground to see the ice falling to the ground is growing in size. Large golf ball chunks of ice falling with heavy thuds. He races forward to, what, he doesn't know, shake him. Slap him? He's not totally sure he wants to get too close with that gleeful smile on the handsome face, still turned skyward. Something hits Remus's head, hard. He falls to his knees and sways, vision blurring, darkening and for a second he insanely thinks it's the end of the world. Then he's falling forward onto the icy ground and he hears someone shout. Oh shit. I've killed him. Fuck. And then he knows no more. Remus sits up with a gasp. He sends gauze flying all over the room and Poppy utters a shriek, jumping back and avoiding colliding with his head just in time. Remus, 
She scolds, grabbing his shoulder and pushing him down firmly. He glances around. He's on the little bed in the nurse's office at the school and the room is brightly lit, sun streaming cheerily through the window. I, what, there? He stutters, images of a freak storm rattling through his mind, and a man at the center of it all, dark and grinning and insanely beautiful. You got caught in the hailstorm. Poppy explains, not unkindly, huffing through her nose. Why you didn't take cover like the rest of us, I'd like to know. Mental, I guess. Remus mumbles dully, rubbing at his head where he's sure there should be a lump. Nothing, not even pain. That's the second time he's collapsed in as many days and he's never been a fainter. He briefly considers telling Poppy his symptoms and asking for help but dismisses it in a second. She's kind and he considers her a friend. But she might think he's dangerous and he can't risk losing his job right now. Not with bills piling up and his kids doing so well. Better to keep these things to himself. Although, he can hardly call them hallucinations anymore. Now that everyone else is able to see and feel them. I'll get you a cuppa, you just rest, do not get up. She orders sternly, pointing as she backs out of the room. I'll be ten minutes, tops. I better not see you've left the bed. That's her stern voice, Remus thinks dimly, usually reserved for the Weasleys. He's just wondering how his life has come to this, being reprimanded like one of his students, when a familiar voice says from the corner of the room, I got a bit carried away. That one's on me. Remus groans, looking over, already knowing who the owner of the voice is. Satan has the decency to look sheepish at least, offering an apologetic smile if not an outright apology. It always gets me, he explains, pointing up. Changing the weather, big natural disasters. I can't help myself. Sometimes when I'm angry I just let my power flow through and into nature and she gives as good as she gets. Remus stares as Satan smiles fondly up at the ceiling, as if the sky is a particularly wayward but much-loved pet. Still, Satan tears his gaze down and adopts a roguish smile. Didn't mean to knock you out again. Doesn't hurt though, does it? Fixed you right up. No harm done. Remus trails fingers over the spot again, where he knows it should hurt like hell. He can't even muster up any gratitude because this is insane. Satan correctly interprets his stunned silence, and nods sympathetically. It's a lot. I'll give you a minute. He continues to stand there, staring intently with those otherworldly gray eyes and Remus can't help himself. He chuckles. A fro forms between black eyebrows, and then Remus is laughing, cackling, bent in two on the bed as he gasps for breath. Never picked you for hysterics, Satan wonders dryly stepping closer to peer at Remus's head. It's not a concussion, though. I made sure of it. How kind. Remus gasps around a wheezy laugh. So thoughtful of you, Mr. Satan himself. Satan dips, peering into his eyes intently. Have you lost it? It's happened before but usually to crazy religious zealots. He snaps his fingers in front of Remus's nose and he automatically swats them away. Which makes him chuckle more the idea of slapping the devil's hands away, but he's relieved that the worst of his hysterical laughter is fading. Satan straightens, looking down that perfectly proportioned nose with a haughty air about him. Can you collect yourself, please? I want to talk business. Oh, what business could you have with me? Remus chortles dismissively, running a hand over his face.
I'm not even Catholic, or Christian, or anything. That's not important. Satan waves a careless hand. I told you what I'm after. I want to give you whatever you want. Remus raises his eyebrows and fixes him with a doubtful look. Does that line ever actually work, or? You'd be surprised. Satan grins, throwing himself onto the end of the bed, which creaks with his sudden weight. Very real weight. You're right, of course. I'll need something in return. Not something you'll ever miss. Hem, my soul, is it? Remus queries lightly, as if they're discussing gardening over tea. Not quite. Satan holds up a finger. I don't want to own your soul. You won't necessarily be condemned to hell or any of that. I just want to. Have a little fun. Rough it up a little, get you down and dirty in the mud with the rest of your fun little monkey friends. You want to dirty my soul? Now we're talking. Satan almost purrs, crossing his legs and leaning back on his hands. It'll be the easiest thing you've ever done. The most fun too, I guarantee it. Remus hums, eyeing the handsome face closely. He's not really considering it. Who'd be crazy enough to make a deal with the devil? But he wants to hear what this is all about, how it works. When will he ever get the chance again? You just have to ask for whatever you want. Satan offers with a bright smile. Your most whimsical fancy, your deepest, darkest desires, I'll make them all come true. Nothing is too much or too little, take my limitless power for a spin. Sounds too good to be true, Remus retorts wryly. But it's not. You see, I don't do this too often anymore. Sudden billionaires springing up tends to get the attention of the big guy. Satan crosses himself exaggeratedly, and the blasphemy of it makes Remus snort. And all his little minions. So once every hundred years or so, I pick a sweet little soul, someone so good and pure that no one in all of heaven could ever believe they'd fall into disrepute with the likes of me. And I give them the time of their life. Satan smooths down his pants smugly. It's just a little game, you see. A challenge. No one gets hurt. Well, unless that's one of your fantasies. But I get the feeling you're more of an end-world hunger, give orphans a home, sort of good soul. And you'll help people if I ask. Remus quirks an eyebrow incredulously. Satan himself will perform miracles and good deeds. I really don't see how you win. Well then I lose, don't I? Satan smiles sweetly. You stay on the path of the light and you get nothing but utopia and everything is rainbows and butterflies. Remus rolls his eyes. Yeah, sounds like your work. Now, now, it's all up to you. He insists earnestly. Your soul won't tarnish from a little selfishness here or there, but if you stray too far, and trust me, everyone does sooner or later, you'll find yourself on a highway to hell, so to speak. An unironic favorite of mine, by the way. Satan leans in, poking cruelly at the center of Remus's forehead. You just have to stay true to your wonderful, heavenly morals and you're safe. I'm none of those things. Remus protests a little desperately, shaking his head. I think you've got the wrong bloke. I'm not good or pure or any of that. He thinks of all the wrongs he's done, and they're innumerable. He tried drugs in uni, lies to his mother, and a great many other people now that he thinks about it, he's fucked people over in ways he's always regretted. He almost blurts out that he's fucking by, for God's sake, he's fucked men many times and probably, hopefully, will again in the future. Isn't that supposed to be a sin, according to those who bleat about God, the devil and hell? One of the worst sins, right? He bites his lip just in time. I think I know my souls.
Satan counters dryly, plucking at the frayed sleeve of Remus's old cardigan. You're as good as they come, Mr. Here take my food, poor neglected child. No, I'm not hungry even though I spent all my money on stupid craft supplies for ungrateful kids and didn't buy food for myself. Remus gapes, jerking away, somehow offended, even though none of the things described are particularly shameful. It's the way the man says it with a disdainful sneer and a roll of his eyes. Anyone would do that. That's what teachers do, he argues, managing to keep his voice even. Satan shrugs, an elegant roll of his broad shoulders that's terribly distracting. Mm, say what you want, you're a good person, Remus Lupin. And I just want to show you a good time. What do you say? He grins in the sunlight and he shines from within, the way a diamond captures light and magnifies it tenfold. A beautiful, dazzling gem. Cold, hard, unfeeling. He's a siren's song. Ethereal and alluring, but the gorgeous face is a mask. And Remus won't answer the call. Not for all the gold in the world. Anders' face flashes in his mind's eye again, and he thinks of how hard he works to keep these kids happy and learning, how his car refuses to start most mornings in winter, how many times he spent his dismal paycheck on helping friends to rehab, homelessness, or on their bills, while his own home is plunged into darkness once again, unable to pay the power bill. How he dropped his history major and changed to teaching because he wanted desperately, more than anything, to make a difference in children's most formative years, to be a good teacher. Piss off and bother someone else, he states calmly. Satan's sickly sweet smile drops and in its place is an ugly look, a flash of hunger and anger, before it's quickly wiped away with a dismissive roll of gray eyes. I know when I'm beat. He announces to the room at large, leaping to his feet, arms swinging wide dramatically. Who knew the devil would be such a drama queen? He turns back to Remus and bows neatly, mischievous grin back on his face. It was lovely meeting you, even more lovely having you fall at my feet repeatedly. He draws, grin widening. Until we meet again, sunshine. There's a bright flash like a camera going off, the smell of burning sugar, and he's gone. Remus stares dumbly at the place where the sparkling gray eyes and wide grin had been a moment ago. He gets an uneasy, rolling feeling in the pit of his stomach. Surely the devil doesn't give up that easily. Chapter 2 The Gift Remus spends the next day in a numb daze. Poppy insists he takes the day after the storm off work, tutting over his protests, and he relents, feeling more drained and tired than he can ever remember. He sleeps for a solid twelve hours, waking in the early afternoon as if pulling himself out of quicksand. He shuffles around his flat, making tea, tidying reluctantly, and blinking in the soft sunlight, turning quickly at the slightest sound or movement, expecting a tall, dark-haired man to emerge from the shadows with a sly comment and a grin. He doesn't. Remus is relieved. Mostly. He feels like he should go to church or something. He should. Pray right? Knowing that God might be real now. He makes another cup of tea. Theological questions firmly push to the back of his mind. He actually has time to take stock of his apartment and grimaces at what he finds. There's barely enough food to scrounge together a sandwich, and the pipes under the kitchen sink are leaking again. 
he sighs at the murky puddle on the floor and sets off in search of his tools, a birthday gift from his father, predictably practical as always. He carefully tugs his toolbox from under a teetering stack of thick books in the broom cupboard, a dangerous game of Jenga that he always manages to win, and makes his way back to the kitchen, rubbing dust out of his eyes and vowing to make a start on properly organizing his flat, only four years after moving in. He blinks in confusion at his kitchen, freezing in the doorway. There's no longer a puddle on the floor, but the floor gleams bright and clean, and there's a glorious pile of tropical fruits spilling over the sides of the once-empty fruit bowl, peaches, plums, and mangoes, and bright pink dragon fruit that look like something out of a novel. He blinks around at the rest of the kitchen and sees the fridge door ajar. He numbly pulls it open and stares at the overflowing abundance. Cheeses and meats of every variety cramp the shelves, the crisper drawer filled to the brim with fresh vegetables, and cakes sit delicately on each shelf, of all different flavors, chocolate gattos stacked high with whipped cream and frosting, and heavenly sponges adorned with strawberries and cream. And there's beer, ice cold and his favorite brand, right next to the best red he's ever tasted, chilled to his tastes, even though it would make James gasp, scandalized. He gazes in wonder, toolbox hanging limply at his side. Hey, Satan, he calls calmly to the silent apartment. I think you forgot something. Hardly. A haughty voice sniffs from behind him. I don't forget anything. Remus turns to find Satan sitting on the countertop, in the same outfit as before, but he's added a leather jacket with silver studs on the collar, draping it elegantly over his shoulders. It shouldn't look so good. It should clash with the crisp lines of the expensive-looking button-up and pants. It doesn't. Remus averts his eyes and waves an arm at his sparkling clean kitchen, bursting at the seams with fresh food. I didn't ask for any of this. You can take it back. Consider it a gift. Satan encourages with a flick of his hair. A gift. An extension of goodwill. Remus doesn't miss the way he grins slyly around his words. An olive branch. Take it back, he replies tonelessly, pointedly keeping his eyes away from the pile of fruit at Satan's elbow, even though his mouth waters. You'd reject my heartfelt, no-strings-attached gift? Satan huffs, gray eyes narrowing, plucking a peach from the mountain of fruit. These are fresh from Italy. Nothing tastes as sweet as a peach ripened under the Italian sun. He examines the fruit closely, tongue darting out to wet his lips, and Remus is helplessly captivated, despite himself. Sweet, and soft, and perfectly ripe. They're still warm from the mid-morning sun. Here. He tosses it, and Remus catches it automatically. He half expects it to turn into a snake, or a spider or something ghastly, but it remains a peach, sun-warmed and velvety in his palm. He swallows. I don't want any of it, he insists, throat tight. Satan blinks innocently. It's a gift. Do with it what you will. Remus swears he sees a wink before he has to look away from the blinding flash of the devil's departure. He doesn't eat the food. He wants to. He hungers to. It's like he's never known hunger before this, body racked by hunger pangs and he returns frequently over the afternoon to the fridge, opening it to stare longingly, tracing the expensive-looking labels on the cheese, mouth-watering as he yearns to swipe just the tiniest morsel of frosting with his finger 
and torturing himself by finding new and increasingly glorious treats every time he returns to the fridge. His stomach growls furiously when he tears himself away. There's no such thing as a gift from the devil, he tells himself firmly. After an afternoon of aimlessly wandering around his flat, stomach thundering, he finds his resolve. He packs the food carefully in bags, just as careful not to damage it as he is not to get any on his hands, knowing how easy it would be to lick frosting and cream from his fingers and be indebted, despite the devil's claim of no-strings-attached gifts. He clenches his jaw against the tantalizing smells and piles the bags into his car. He drops it off at his closest homeless shelter. It's all packaged and unopened so he hopes they'll accept it. He rushes back to his car in a sudden deluge of warm spring rain and throws himself in, slamming the door a bit harder than he means to. Chocolate Remus jumps, banging his knuckle on his side window and hisses in pain, clutching it. He glares at the man in his passenger seat, who stares back impassively. How the bastard manages to look perpetually bored even though he's the one doing the hounding is beyond him. What? He bites rather rudely. Chocolate. Satan repeats as if he's hard of hearing, holding out a slab of chocolate wrapped in foil, with a bite already taken out of the corner. Switzerland's finest. I went all the way back to the 1950s for this one. Very special recipe. Would you like a bite? Remus looks away pointedly. No, thank you, he says stiffly. This won't work, you can't tempt me. I'm not trying to tempt you. Satan smiles winningly. Not at the moment. I told you, they're gifts. Grey eyes glance back, bemused, at the shelter. Feed the homeless if you want. It's yours to give. But you should really eat something, you're starting to look a little pale. He waves the chocolate bar closer, and Remus turns his head away, breath fogging the window. I promise it won't lead you down the path of darkness. Satan chides, exasperated. It's just a peace offering. Pinky swear on it. Remus queries in a mock serious tone. Satan chuckles, deep and throaty. I'm bound by promises. Oaths we call them. Immortals, I mean. It's a serious thing to break an oath where I'm from. Hell. The other one, sunshine. Satan draws softly, gray eyes glancing skyward. Remus wipes rain droplets off his face with his baggy jumper sleeve and runs a hand through his wet hair. It still falls in his eyes. And you'll make an oath that you're not going to trap me in some contract for my soul with food. Satan hums distractedly, still looking skyward, as he makes a small X above his heart with his finger, where a heart is supposed to be anyway, and it glows brilliant, dazzling white for a moment before fading to nothing. Sure, consider it done. It's not a contract, anyway. I have no claim, I told you. I'm just here for the ride. Satan assures him calmly. Remus stares. He doesn't trust him. But he also doesn't see this going anywhere else. His lifetime is barely a blink of an eye to a being like this. He can't keep running. He might as well accept these gifts, the small ones, at least. The ones he can live with. He hesitantly reaches for the chocolate before pausing, pulling his hand back. Gray eyes watch the movement and flicker upwards irritably when he pulls back. It's just cha. The peach. Remus runs a hand through his hair again, staring out the windscreen at the light drizzle and nervously tapping his foot. The one from Italy, 
he clarifies voice clipped and tight. If he's going to accept a gift, then he's going to make it count. Satan silently holds out a warm, orange, sunset-colored peach as promised. It looks different from the one earlier, a dark green leaf still clinging to the stalk, as if a long-fingered hand has reached through space effortlessly to pluck it directly from the tree at Remus's request. He takes it, and it's as warm to the touch as the other. His mouth waters and he doesn't even hesitate. If God, or whoever is taking notes on his transgressions, wants to write him off as a sinner for eating a damn peach, then they can also jot this down. He doesn't give a fuck. He's hungry, and he's resisted hard enough, he just wants to taste temptation and not blanket himself in guilt and righteousness for a minute. He sinks his teeth into the peach keeping his gaze away from the man next to him, and hums in surprise as nectar runs down his chin and hand, trickling down his wrist. The warm, sweet tang sings in his mouth and he grins around the bite. It's as sweet as promised. This doesn't feel like damnation. Feels a little more on the salvation side, honestly. He devours it quickly, before he can change his mind, and savors every bite. He licks the sticky juice from his fingers before remembering his passenger and furtively glances over. The pleased smile gracing the handsome features is a little startling. Anything that can make the devil smile like that surely can't be good. And the look in his eyes isn't much better. Remus stiffens as the gray eyes, dark like ash in this light, flicker between his hand and his mouth like he can't decide which he wants to look at more. Satan cocks his head to the side, smile widening. See? He waves a hand. A gift. The hand waves again and the stickiness disappears from Remus's hands and face. Let me take you to dinner. He offers abruptly, tearing his gaze away and settling back in the car seat, as if getting comfortable for a long drive. No, Remus says firmly. Satan tuts impatiently and clicks his fingers, the engine roaring to life. Dinner, that's different. Remus fumbles, knocked off balance by the deeply satisfied and yet hungry look that had been on the devil's face as he watched him eat. Despite his protests, he's just as hungry as before the peach and his stomach aches for more. Rubbish. Satan scoffs dismissively. You think that was good? Let me show you the best thing I've ever tasted. This century, anyway. Remus shakes his head, gripping the wheel tightly. I can feed myself. I wasn't going to hand-feed you but if. You know what I mean. Remus snaps before taking a breath, reeling himself in. He says more calmly. Wouldn't that count as tarnishing my soul? Satan chuckles. No, sunshine. It's dinner. You'll have to wait until at least the third date for some tarnishing. He barely resists the urge to shove his shoulder, forgetting for a wild moment that it's the king of hell and not one of his friends making a stupid comment. His hand twitches and gray eyes narrow knowingly, a smile lifting the corners of his mouth. But no means no, even I know that. You're so righteous. Satan sneers sarcastically. Give me a yell when you find out morality tastes exactly like nothing. He hisses the last word and vanishes with a flash, and this time it rocks the car, like he's put a little more flounce into his abrupt departure. Remus sighs, stomach grumbling in outrage. That peach really was divine. He spends the rest of the night daydreaming of what wondrous, sumptuous meal the devil was going to treat him to. The stale toast is dry in his mouth and he eats it anyway, annoyed at himself, 
longing for the soft, sweet flesh of the peach. What are we doing today? Remus glances over his shoulder at Satan, once again sitting on his dining table like he owns the place. I'm doing chores, Remus replies dryly. You are going to pester me, I'm guessing. How did you know? Satan crows cheerfully. Remus turns back to the broom cupboard, the contents of which have spilled out into the hallway. Old history books he couldn't part with, fishing gear, he doesn't fish, three different brooms, they're technically in the right place, he supposes, and an assortment of junk that he has to sort through, he secretly hopes Satan whisks him away from this mess, before he catches the thought and mentally reprimands himself. You're in a good mood, Remus says brightly without looking up. Tantrum's done for the day already. It's bold. But thus far, the devil spends most of his time pestering him to accept gifts and favors, so it's hard to be scared of him with no lightning and hail in sight. Satan glowers, nostrils flaring in a very human-like sign of anger. I'm the king of hell, I don't have tantrums, I have justified fits of rage. And just so you know, I've been around the world twice before you even rolled out of bed. Hem, stropping your way around the globe, throwing hail at people, is it? Remus calls over his shoulder, picking up a dusty old Pope Halloween costume that his ex, Fabian, must have left behind. He ignores the spluttering behind him and grins. Hey, look, it's your best friend. He hears a snap and the costume promptly bursts into flames. He swears and drops it, blowing on his fingers which smart, burning. Oofs. The devil grins. The fire continues to burn, white cloth curling into black on the floor and Remus glares at the culprit, hands on his hips. Clean up after yourself, please, he orders sternly, pointing at the pile of flames and is startlingly reminded of the other day when Weasley had left his paints everywhere, dripping onto the classroom carpet, and he'd uttered these exact words in the same tone. Satan quirks an eyebrow and grins. All right, but it counts as granting a wish. Cheeky shit. Remus sighs, picking up a pot plant and upending it over the flames, damp dirt smothering them. He stamps it down, and smoke curls feebly from the pile of dirt and ashes. Satan looks disappointed. Remus waves smoke out of his face, forlornly looking down at the mess, even worse than when he'd started tidying, and Lily had given him that plant as a housewarming. Lily's been trying to get me to get rid of the rest of Fabian's things for ages. He muses, more to himself than the fallen angel. I suppose this works. Ooh, jilted lover? Satan jeers, looking excited at the prospect of drama. Hem, no. Remus smiles coolly, towing the pile of charred robes. No hard feelings there. Sorry to disappoint. What did he do? Remus grabs the brush and shovel and starts sweeping away the mess, while his unhelpful companion leans back on his hands, watching. None of your business, Remus says serenely. He probably knows already. He seems to know everything and is terribly smug about it, but Remus doesn't fancy getting into it. He cheat? Remus grits his teeth and keeps sweeping. Hmm, that's not it. Satan leans forward, tapping his chin thoughtfully. He did something, though. Nice bloke like you doesn't quit on someone for the hell of it. Ha, hell of it. Remus stands, gripping the dustpan tightly and stares down into the black ashes, eyes widening. 
The smoldering costume sends a light bulb off in his head. On second thought, chores can wait, he announces brightly, dumping the ashes into the bin. Excellent. Satan perks up eagerly. You want revenge on your ex? I can make him impotent. Or I can make everything he eats taste like ash. I could even just appear in my other form and scare the living shit out of him. What's the burning need, sunshine? Actually, Remus smiles. I don't think you'll want to join me for this. No? Satan deflates, eyes widening with that kicked puppy look again. I'm going to church. Do they still do exorcisms? We don't do that sort of thing, sir. But I can have a priest speak with you if you're troubled. Remus sighs, smiling politely at the concerned nun who regards him with wide eyes. That's all right. Thank you for your time. He leaves through the enormous double doors of the church, passing people kneeling and sitting behind pews, muttering their prayers. He feels a jolt of sympathy for them. Here they are begging for miracles and he's trying to get rid of the being hellbent. Ugh, Satan would have liked that one, on fulfilling all his deepest wishes. He wonders for the hundredth time why he's been singled out when he's sure many of these people would die for the opportunity that he's refusing. Satan waits for him sitting on the hood of his car, thumbs tapping out a message on his phone. He's dressed a little differently today now that Remus takes a proper look. The button-up has been replaced by a plain black t-shirt, and today's leather jacket has more silver studs on the collar and cuffs, and he's accessorized with black sunglasses. He looks up as Remus unlocks the car and slips the phone into his pocket. I see the faithful flock are as helpful as ever. He cocks his head smugly. Remus chooses to ignore the comment. Why do you even need a phone? Aren't you all powerful? Satan slides off the hood and suddenly he's sitting in the passenger seat as Remus gets in the car. Remus internally chuckles at the laziness as Satan shrugs. Just because I don't need one, doesn't mean I don't want one. I still eat even though I don't have to. I'm allowed to like things. Remus hums and opens his mouth to reply but gets steamrolled. Are you done trying to get rid of me now? Not quite. Satan folds his arms and turns to look out the window with a fiery glower, which is almost a pout. Not gonna work. They're just going to think you're crazy. Maybe. They do think he's crazy. After the second church rejects him with worried glances and nuns whispering to the priest, he changes tactics. He tells the next church that he just wants someone to visit his home and bless it, and although they're reluctant because they've never seen him before, they agree, seeing his increasing desperation and taking pity. A young priest arrives at Remus's house the next day, and he must be fresh out of priest school. He's wide-eyed enthusiastic and peppy and Satan calls him adorable, which he doesn't hear, of course. He dutifully blesses the apartment, bringing out the works, a small wooden cross, rosary beads, and a Bible, stopping just short of holy water. Satan leans an arm on Remus's shoulder as he watches the priest pray, bemused. I give him marks for enthusiasm, Satan whispers, breath tickling Remus's ear, manningly unruffled by the blessing. Remus steps away from the heat of his body, shrugging off the arm and gritting his teeth. He thanks the priest for his blessing with a warm smile and hope fading. He closes the door behind him and turns back to his apartment that grows dark with evening approaching, and looks around at the mess that still pours out of the broom cupboard. What next? Satan saunters over to his throne, 
Remus's dining table. Want me to find you a hoodoo witch? Sometimes they manage to make me feel a little nauseous. Remus tips his head back against the front door, leaning against it as he stares at the devil morosely. Satan bats his eyelashes and crosses his legs. Want some dinner? Remus offers calmly. Satan blinks. You're offering me? Yeah, Remus confirms tiredly. I found twenty pounds in an old jacket this morning so I bought some groceries. I told you, I don't need to. You don't need to eat, but you like to, yes, I heard. Remus agrees, walking over to the kitchen, getting out a frying pan and a mixing bowl. He feels eyes watching him closely and ignores it. He's hungry, he's tired, and he's given up on trying to get rid of the devil. He's not going to give in to what he wants. But his mother raised him well and he figures there's no harm in offering the devil something instead of accepting it. You're a special kind of selfless idiot, aren't you? Satan wonders rudely, a hint of awe hidden in the disdain. Remus shrugs and measures out some flour. You're here to stay, you've made that clear. He frowns as he measures out the exact amount of milk needed, just like his mother taught him. You might as well eat with me. I could. Yes, you've told me all about the wonderful foods you could bring me. Remus interrupts with a wave of his hand, sending a light dusting of flour through the air. But I've had a bit of a shit day and I want my mum's pancakes. Satan hops off the table and walks around the counter slowly, like he thinks Remus might explode at any minute. Instead, he hands him the pan. Heat that up, would you? The black metal starts smoking instantly, and Remus sighs. On the stove. Satan obeys silently, and Remus keeps his surprise to himself. In fact, Satan is strangely quiet the whole time he cooks, getting in the way and hovering over his shoulder to watch what he's doing, but at least he's quiet about it. Remus finds himself talking to fill the silence, chattering like he does with his quieter students who open up with someone who's more talkative. He tells him how his mother used to make this all through his childhood for special events, or when he had a particularly rough day to cheer him up. His family had always been poor, much worse off than he is now, so having this was a treat, and he suspects she squirreled away the ingredients for days when he was particularly upset or had something to celebrate. He pours the batter into the frying pan and the sweet, familiar smell brings a smile to his face. He rolls his shoulders and feels some of the tension fall away. He desperately wishes he could talk to her. It smells good, Satan says quietly, sniffing over his shoulder. It might be the first nice thing he said that isn't loaded with innuendo or ulterior motives, thick and sweet like honey. Remus smiles and elbows him gently in the stomach to get him to step back so he can reach for the spatula. When he turns back to the pan he's back at his shoulder like there's a retractable string holding them together. It's oddly endearing, if a little annoying to keep bumping into him. He's a very curious person, no demon, underneath the mask of boredom. He watches everything with sharp eyes, rudely bumping Remus's hands out of the way to peer closely at measurements and ingredients like he's trying to figure out what makes this meal so special. Remus doesn't bother to explain that he won't find the answer in the amount of flour or sugar or even the delicate sprinkle of cinnamon. When he sets the large stack of pancakes in the middle of the table, he finds it already set neatly, a large jug of maple syrup and a bowl of neatly sliced strawberries and bananas in the center, between two bottles of beer.
he raises his eyebrows. Another gift, he queries softly. Satan shrugs carelessly but he answers with a tap on his own chest, and the X suddenly glows brightly before fading again, as if it lurks just beneath the skin. The pancakes are delicious, exactly how he remembers them, and he can't help smiling around each mouthful, memories rolling over him in waves with every bite, his dinner guests forgotten as he's pulled into their orbit. His mother makes them on his tenth birthday as his father hands him his present with a warm but apologetic smile, a kite that has a patch darned in one of the wings. He grins widely anyway and begs to go fly it after breakfast. When he's twelve, his mother makes pancakes on his first morning of school. He's been homeschooled up to now because they live remotely and they couldn't afford to move. His hands shake on his knees under the table, and she presses a kiss to the top of his head as she puts the plate down in front of him warm and sweet-smelling, and even though his stomach squirms with nerves, his mouth waters. She makes them again when he fails his first exam, sitting at the table with his head in his hands, his teacher's words playing on a loop in his head. Not everyone's cut out for university, kid. Maybe you should think about a trade. His mum puts the plate down and sternly tells him that he can do whatever he puts his mind to and there's no such thing as a bad student, only bad teachers. He swallows, throat tight, and blinks hard. He should visit her grave soon. Not bad. Satan mutters quietly around a mouthful of pancakes. Remus lifts his head, pulled out of the deep well of memories. Thanks. He smiles softly. Old family recipe. He looks back down at his plate and feels intense eyes on him again. Why did you offer me some? The question sounds stilted like he's uncomfortable asking it, caught off guard to not know the answer. Remus considers carefully for a moment, chewing slowly. Because you like sweets, he admits, feeling foolish to have noticed such a useless thing about him. Satan stares, tracing his fingers absently over his beer bottle. His face is an open puzzle of confusion, surprise and, for some reason, pain? Remus raises his eyebrows in surprise without realizing and suddenly the open door on Satan's face slams shut, gray eyes narrowing back into the haughty glare that could freeze molten lava. It's no wonder your life is the state it's in, you're so giving its terminal at this point. I'm the devil. His voice snaps sharply around the last words like he's trying to make Remus see reason. Remus ignores the insult and silently offers him the bowl of brightly colored strawberries and fragrant banana. Gray eyes narrow into slits and the frown deepens. Remus shrugs and piles half on his own plate. Good though, isn't it? He nods at the stack of pancakes on the devil's plate, drowned in syrup and half demolished. He doesn't get a direct reply but he does get a detailed report on where he can find the best waffles in London, and then a ridiculous story about the invention of macarons, which he directly tells Satan is bollocks to declarations of outrage as if I'd lie about that. Which makes Remus burst into laughter. The king of lies has limits, after all. By the time night has well and truly fallen, the plate in front of the devil is empty, just a few crumbs left submerged in sticky syrup, and Remus rests a chin on his hand, feeling warm and far more at peace with the world than when he'd started his day. Enough about desserts already. Go on, tell me about Rome. Chapter 3. The Wish Mr. Lupin, 
Remus jerks out of his daze with a start. He looks around at thirty pairs of wide eyes staring at him, and a few giggles bubble up from the group. He'd been lost in thought, thinking about last night and the journey through time Satan had taken him on, as his eager and extremely biased but knowledgeable tour guide. It was the most interesting conversation he'd ever had, intriguing stories about ancient Rome. The library of Alexandria was actually arson, although his tour guide hastily insisted it wasn't his influence, and then it flowed into the Romans' trading relationship with the ancient Brits and Vikings, and Remus was hungry for information, asking questions with each morsel of knowledge dropped. Satan was fit to burst with history on the Silk Road, laughing at the comparisons between the advanced ancient civilization of the Zhao dynasty and Britain during the Iron Age, who, as he put it, still hadn't figured out how to wash their own asses and Emperor Zhao was up to his neck in bureaucracy and philosophy. I got whiplash going between them. Remus blinks, gaze falling on Granger, whose hand is still raised hesitantly. He quickly gets to his feet and marches over to crouch beside her desk, mentally reprimanding himself for daydreaming. Yes, Miss Granger. I'm finished. She pushes her neatly filled out worksheet towards him and narrows her eyes as she closely examines his face. She lowers her voice to a whisper. Are you all right, Mr. Lupin? You look. Ah, yes, of course, I'm splendid. He fixes a smile on his face to cover his internal, furious scolding for losing his focus. Excellent work. Can you please continue reading from page? Are we on page 83 of the textbook? I've finished that chapter. She interrupts, which he should correct her on, but she's so eager to learn that he can only smile fondly. Well that's splendid. Why don't you do some quiet free reading while the others finish up? She almost bounces in her seat with glee at the prospect of more reading, and gets a book out of her desk drawer. He glances back on the way back to his desk with her worksheet in hand and sees her nose deep in the book, Matilda, rereading it again, and he smiles to himself. The rest of the class glumly return to their worksheet or stare off into space, and a few like Malfoy and Weasley scowl at the back of Granger's head. Her intelligence incites quite a bit of jealousy and teasing, but it's lessened over the year as he encourages and praises all of their individual strengths. But he must find a way to get the kids to open up to her. She's a thoughtful and kind child and she deserves friends who appreciate her. His interest is caught for a moment on what to do about the Granger situation, but then he looks back down at the marking on his desk, and for the first time in his career, he has zero interest in it. He wants to continue the stroll through history that he'd had to cut short last night, when he'd realized it was 3 a.m. In fact, he doesn't want to do anything else. He fiddles with his pen and flicks through the papers but his mind stubbornly drifts back to the previous night wondering how far back Satan's knowledge goes and if he can think up a good enough excuse to get him to hang around to talk more. Now all I want to do is walk through a museum with you, while you smugly prattle on about how everyone is actually wrong and it actually happened this way. Satan, you clever bastard. You rang? He jumps about a foot in the air and cracks his neck looking over quickly to his right. Satan leans his hip against the window frame effortlessly graceful and grinning at his fright. Remus clears his throat from the scream that had lodged there but thankfully hadn't escaped, and glances around at little curious faces watching him again. He coughs to cover his shock and says in a carefully even voice, 
Back to work, please. Ten minutes of quiet work left. Satan saunters over and slides onto the corner of his desk, carelessly pushing aside a stack of papers. Remus hastily grabs them before they fall and makes room for him even as he glares. You want to go to a museum, huh? Easy enough, we can go right now. The devil smiles brightly, his face inviting and warm, like Remus has offered him the sweetest, most delectable treat on earth. If Satan exists, then so must heaven and angels, but before this moment he hasn't spared them a thought. But this smile, this beam of light that shrouds him in warmth, makes one thing startlingly, suddenly clear. Oh, of course angels exist, there's one sitting on his desk. Because that's what Satan is, or was, underneath all the sins or evil that he's known for. An angel. Satan quirks an eyebrow and Remus realizes he's staring, staring in awe with his mouth slightly open. Embarrassing. He quickly looks back down at his work, snapping his mouth shut. He was just caught off guard by the sudden appearance, that's all. And anyway, how did? Are you thinking I can read your thoughts? Satan nods and Remus chokes back a strangled whimper. Please, for the love of God, no. The things he's caught himself thinking about this man and his broad shoulders and long legs and beautiful face. But Satan draws on. Relax, I can't. It's only when you phrase it like you're talking to me in your head. You know, like a prayer. Remus frowns down at the papers he hasn't read a word of. You mean like this, dear Satan, hear my prayers. Satan laughs, a loud, booming thing that rattles in Remus's rib cage and makes his stomach warm. Exactly. He smiles, which turns mischievous when his eyes narrow. So which museum will it be? I personally recommend either Australia or Iceland. They both have exhibits that you won't see anywhere else and I know how much you love a bit of unfamiliar history. Remus shakes his head down at his desk, hands clenched on his knees. He can't, his students, his job, his promise to himself to not wish for anything from this hurricane of a man, the devil. He has to mentally wrestle with his longing, his considerable self-control begging to crumble, to be allowed this little slice of decadence. Endless hours strolling through halls lined with ancient artifacts, immersed in unknown exhibits, with Satan chattering cheerfully at his side, a fountain of interesting stories, and knowing him he'd clear out the whole museum just for them, because he's so showy and likes to flaunt his power like he's trying to impress him. No. He grits his teeth. He has work to do, and a wish like that is most definitely selfish. He doesn't know what tarnishing his soul will do exactly, but he has a feeling it has something to do with hellfire and brimstone and he's not risking that for a walk through a museum to satisfy his own curiosity. And definitely not to watch Satan prattle on, how he waves his hands so enthusiastically, talking with his whole body in a way that is so foreign and endearing, and how his face lights up as he stumbles on something that makes Remus laugh. No. He shakes his head again and Satan's face darkens, the delectable treat sharply denied, and his lips pulled back over teeth like he's about to snarl something. The bell rings, interrupting him. The kids rush up to Remus's desk to leave their worksheets for him to mark, chattering to each other and running off to break with choruses of Bye, Mr. Lupin. Oblivious to the way Satan glares down coolly at them all, as if they'd each personally interrupted their conversation. Eventually it's just little Anders left, marching up to put his worksheet down, 
only half filled out. He doesn't run off with the rest of them. Instead he stares down at his feet in front of the desk and Remus blinks, confused. Everything all right. The boy wrings his hat in his hands, frowning hard. Remus waits patiently. I am, do you? Has anyone given you anything for me? Remus's heart drops to the soles of his feet. With everything that's been happening he'd forgotten to make lunch, thinking instead he'd just buy it from the canteen today. He stares in horror, thinking quickly. Satan makes an irritated tisk. Just ask me for it. Remus frowns and Satan rolls his eyes, snapping impatiently. It's nothing. It's tiny. Just a trifle of a thing. It'll hardly show a speck on your little blowing son of a soul. His heart thuds. His mouth goes dry and Anders is still frowning down at his shoes, hands flexing faster. All right, okay, yes. You hear me, Satan. You have to ask for it. Remus puts all the outrage he can muster into a glare and Satan spreads his hands, as if to show he has no tricks waiting. It's the rules. You have to phrase it as a request. You can pray it so he doesn't hear. Anders shuffles his feet in the dead silence, mumbling. It's okay. I didn't want it anyway, I was just seeing. No, wait. Remus begs, resistance crumbling as those big brown eyes turn towards him. Fine, Satan, please cover up my stupid mistake and make a lunch that I can give to Eddie Anders. Something with cheese. Immediately after the last word has left his thoughts, Satan wordlessly reaches down and taps on one of the drawers on his desk. Remus hastily opens it to find a paper bag identical to the ones he usually brings. He hands it over with a relieved smile. Sorry, I almost forgot. Here you are. Anders grabs it quickly, eyes hungry, and Remus's stomach twists. Is this his first meal today? A small smile flits across the boy's features and it would be heartwarming if his face wasn't grubby again, like he hasn't washed properly since Remus last washed his face and hands in the classroom's sink. Then he's running out the door, clutching the bag like a precious treasure to be coveted. Remus stares after him, heart neatly cleaved in two and bleeding pity. Wasn't so bad, right? Satan sounds pleased, for once oblivious to Remus's turmoil. And that's such a nice, typical you first wish. It should hardly count as something to mark your soul over, but that's God for you. If there's even a hint of asking for yourself it's somehow not good anymore. Bastard. Anyway. I made it a damn good one. Best lunch that kid'll ever have what? His eyes widen as Remus gets to his feet to stare him right in the eye, at level height with the taller man sitting on his desk. I need you to tell me everything, he insists firmly, determination setting like stone in his chest. Everything about the wishes. So you get to choose how it happens unless I am clear on the specifics. Satan groans, head in his hands. He's taken Remus's spot behind his desk while Remus paces in front of the desk and needles him about every tiny detail of how this works, and as the questions follow each other in circles Satan has slowly slumped down over the table. Remus has no sympathy for him. He's not going to get caught out by some loophole, or trick. The one piece of advice James has given him from law school is, read your contract and don't skip the fine print. For the twelfth time, yes. Satan grumbles through gritted teeth. Have I stumbled into a new level of hell that I didn't know about? I think I'll call it semantics, 
where you have to argue grammar and wording with a neurotic primary school teacher. Remus ignores him, pacing and thinking hard. But what if I'm going to ask for something that I don't know will have negative consequences? Will you know? Will you tell me? He rounds on the devil like he's already tricked him and ran away cackling. Satan glares from between his fingers. That's at my discretion, comes the muffled grumble. Hum, what happens if you can't grant a wish? Remus continues. Will it still count as a wish if I've already asked? No. Satan throws himself back into the chair, rubbing a hand over his face. Only if I grant it. Further to that, what can't you do? Remus cocks his head curiously, surprised that he hasn't thought to ask yet. He supposes he hasn't seriously considered doing this before now. Before being consumed by hopelessness and anger at the sight of little Ender's face unwashed and hungry again, countless conversations with both parents and calls to child services over the past few months proving fruitless. The question seems to rankle because Satan's eyes darken and he snarls. Not much. Remus sighs at the thought of having to tiptoe around the devil's sizable ego. He dismisses it with a wave of his hand. Elaborate, please, he requests politely, leaving no room for arguments with his firm tone. He gets eight-year-olds to pay attention to math with that tone. Satan doesn't stand a chance. He watches Satan's tongue dart out to lick his lips and the flash of white teeth as he sinks canines into his lower lip in one fluid motion. It's a feral animal biting back an attack and Remus vaguely thinks he should be far more afraid than he is, but he calmly folds his arms and waits patiently for a response. I can't change the past. Satan bites out finally, glowering. Not because I'm incapable, but because it'll just create another reality. It's pointless, so I don't, not that I can't. And I don't bring back the dead. Again, I technically can, but not in the way anyone wants. Not in the way. They're never the same. He interrupts impatiently, flicking black hair back. I can create a new body and pull the spirit back from hell or purgatory. Heaven is another story, obviously, but there's always a disconnect. They're not the person they were. Never a happy customer with that wish, I don't recommend it. Right. Remus nods, frowning deeply in thought. As far as he understands, if he words this just right, the devil will have to fulfill his request exactly as asked. He's always had an eye for detail, and this isn't exactly asking for the dead to be brought back to life, so it seems relatively safe. Worth any risk to himself, anyway. All right. He nods again, swallowing his trepidation. I know what I want. Thank fuck, the Spanish Inquisition was less painful. Remus ignores him, straightening his back and planting his feet firmly in front of his own desk. Satan, please. The please isn't necessary but I appreciate the manners. Do you want to hear it or not? Remus raises an eyebrow. Yes, fuck yes, lay it on me already. I'm about to perish from boredom. Release me. Right, be quiet then. Satan, please give Edward Anders of year eight at Hogwarts Presbyterian. Satan rudely twirls his finger to hurry him along, and he speaks even slower, more carefully. A loving, nurturing home. Specifically, with the parents he has now, help his mother and father process their marriage breakup healthily so they can give him the love and care he needs. Satan leaps to his feet, eager grin back on his face like he wasn't just a foot stomp away from a tantrum two seconds ago, and if Remus wasn't around kids for eight hours every day he'd have whiplash. It's as easy as that. 
Satan leers with a wink that teases a half-smile out of Remus despite himself. Consider it done, sunshine. He vanishes with his usual bright flash, but there's no burnt sugar smell lingering in his wake this time, just the earthy smell of ozone, like it's about to rain. Remus looks out the window. The sky is mostly clear. Unlike his conscience. He doesn't quite feel like he's done the wrong thing but definitely not the right either. He's caught in limbo between the two, one hand grasping desperately at the crumbling notion that the devil is bad. The most evil thing to walk the earth and he's a fool to be hoodwinked into believing otherwise. And his other hand is being tugged insistently by a dark-haired angel with stone-gray eyes and a bewitching grin, who calls him sunshine and just maybe keeps his promises. Satan doesn't appear again that day and Remus finds himself anxiously glancing over his shoulder for him, disappointed to find silence instead of a suggestive quip, and then irritated at himself for the disappointment. It's exhausting. He marks homework late into the night, and when that's finished, he brainstorms exciting, engaging assignments to set his students. It's a very productive night without the devil offering his shrewd comments and chattering about history with Remus humming interestedly, trying not to show that he's hanging on every word. Productive. But unsatisfying. He's almost late to work the next morning, having tossed and turned, unable to sleep properly once he made it to bed, and so reluctant to wake once he finally managed to sleep. He somehow makes every green light on his drive-in, and when he passes Tonks in the hallway with a few minutes to spare, she insistently pushes a cup of coffee into his hand, cheerfully explaining that they got her order wrong and he should take it. He steps into his classroom with a spring in his step and a hopeful smile, already looking for Anders at his desk. It's empty. He deflates, smile slipping. Good morning, Mr. Lucan. His class chorus. He fixes a smile back on his face and strides over to his desk. Good morning, everyone. He calls as cheerfully as he can. Before you curse me to hell and back. A familiar voice starts and he has to use every ounce of his self-control not to snap his head in the direction of the voice as the class watches him nearly drop his briefcase. He's fine. Roll call. Remus calls breezily, allowing himself a surreptitious glance to his right. Satan leans against the wall behind his desk, placating smile in place and looking. Different. He's dressed far more casually than usual, in a plain white t-shirt, tight black jeans that emphasize how long his legs are, but Christ they go for days, and heavy black boots. In short sleeves his tattoos show, and of course he has tattoos because he wasn't already devastatingly attractive enough and right out of every single fantasy Remus has ever had about a tall, dark and mysterious bloke covered in tattoos taking him home from a bar and Beasley, he calls to the room in a strangled voice, clearing his throat. Satan waits until roll call has finished and the kids are scribbling in their books before sliding into his usual spot on Remus's desk, which he's left clear in anticipation. Black runes and ancient-looking symbols ripple on Satan's forearms as he folds them over his chest chasing each other upwards over his biceps and disappearing underneath the white shirt. Remus does his best not to stare. His best is abysmal. He stares. Satan notices, flexing one forearm and looking at his tattoos fondly. Like him? Can you tell what time period they're from? I'll give you a clue. God's self-righteous, 
precious little son was still a twinkle in his eye. And that's just the ones on my arms. Hey Satan, can you stop flexing and give me an update on Anders, please? Remus prays desperately to stop the tour of Satan's tattoos before he starts picturing him shirtless. Hmm so tense this morning, had a feeling you would be. Satan grins, leaning back comfortably. Well, your wish has been granted and all is well in the world of the Anders family. They're at family therapy. Remus's eyebrows raise. Not what he expected. Rather more effective and thoughtful than he expected, honestly. Hey, you asked for healthy. Satan shrugs as if knowing what he's thinking. I keep my word. And his parents. Oh, Dark Lord, who is currently sitting on my desk. His mother is currently delving into the mess of a relationship she had with her father with the best family counselor this side of the globe, and she suddenly found her addiction to alcohol and sedatives is clogging her chakras. Or something. I stopped listening. Satan draws, carelessly waving a hand. And little Eddie is in the waiting room with his dad, thumb wrestling while they wait to go back in. This morning he had a full English fry up, a hot bath, and this is the happiest he's been in years. Poor sod. Remus stares in amazement but Satan is looking into the distance thoughtfully, grimacing as if there's a bad taste in his mouth. Why you wouldn't just let me give him a new family and erase his memory of the old one is beyond me. Satan crosses his arms, frowning harder. It'd be so much easier and he wouldn't have to go to therapy. Ugh. He glances over and catches Remus still staring in awe. He immediately preens, frowns shifting into a smug smile. It's alright, you can say it. I'm a miracle worker. You're amazing. It's the first thought that blurts into Remus's mind, unfiltered and blatantly honest. Satan blinks in surprise smug smile faltering and melting into something warm and almost shy. Remus glances away, berating himself for thinking without. Well, thinking. He has to be more careful about what he's praying and if he's praying. It's hard to tell the difference between thinking and praying when it's all in his head. But it's true, Satan's done everything asked of him and more. It is amazing. He's actually helping people and it doesn't take months and painstaking devotion on Remus's end. It's as easy as asking the devil, who grins obligingly and clicks his fingers, and he doesn't feel like he's doing evil. How can saving a child from neglect count as evil? Thank you, you've done a wonderful job. He prays more purposefully, hoping his genuine gratitude translates. The dark head drops, Satan looking away for a moment in an uncharacteristic but unmistakable image of bashfulness. When was the last time anyone ever thanked him for anything or praised him for doing something good? Satan gets to his feet and the moment slips away, swept under the usual swagger and cocky shrug of his shoulders. He claps a hand on Remus's shoulder, and his mischievous grin is back on his face. I've got to go. Regimes to crumble, important ears to whisper into. Send me a prayer if you need me. His eyes soften as they meet Remus's. Or for anything. You're a lot more fun than politics. The warm, heavy hand is gone in a flash with the rest of him, and ozone lingers in the air, Remus tasted on his tongue. He swallows. Rain pours that evening, a sticky early summer downpour that coats the school grounds in a silvery, shimmering light as evening falls. Remus has said goodbye to the kids hours ago, and is just finishing marking the worksheets when he hears the hushed sound of rainfall. He sighs. He doesn't mind the rain as long as he doesn't get soaked, 
but he lent his umbrella to one of the kids a few weeks back and they haven't brought it back yet. He considers staying a little longer, finding some more work to do. There's always more work to do for a teacher, but he's tired, hungry and desperately wants to curl up on his couch. Maybe text Lily and James and ask to catch up. It's been weeks since he's seen either of them with everything that's been going on. He locks the classroom and stands under the patio, watching the rain fall. It's peaceful. The school grounds are deserted and the only sound is the hiss of rain and the gurgle of the gutter trying to keep up. He deeply inhales the smell that rises from the warm ground, the fresh smell of summer rain, the ground quenched but calling for more. He used to love the smell of rain. He still does, but it reminds him of something else now. The sound of an umbrella popping open to his right startles him, and he spins. As if summoned by the mere reminder, Satan lifts an enormous black umbrella over his head, stepping closer so they're both underneath it. Weren't you supposed to finish ages ago? He mutters casually around a cigarette, which lights with a wave of his hand. Remus shrugs, struggling to stifle a smile. Always work to do. He gestures at the heavy clouds smothering the sky. This you. Not everything's divine intervention. Satan answers cryptically but he ruins the air of mystery with a smirk. Well, not divine. Undivine. Anyway, where's your car? Remus blinks, jerking his head at the car park. Where else would it be? Satan bumps his shoulder and starts walking, leaving him to follow, and he stumbles after him after a moment, hiding his surprise by ducking his head under the umbrella. The patter of raindrops hitting the fabric hides the crunch of their shoes on the gravel, and it's a satisfying, peaceful sound. Their arms brush, even though the umbrella is large enough to cover them both, and Remus searches for something to say. Productive day, he ventures politely. Hmm, comes the unimpressed reply. Politicians are bloody dull. Obsessed with power and fucking their stuff. Ugh, next. I thought that'd be right up your alley. Seen one, seen them all. Thousands of years of politics and nothing's changed. I mean, Twitter is new, but it's essentially the same shit. If it's so boring you could always change it up, Remus suggests carefully. You could make some positive change. You have the power to do it. The umbrella wobbles as Satan somehow rolls his eyes with his entire body, huffing smoke through his nose. I may grant your sweet, lovely wishes but that's not who I am. Don't get it twisted. A breeze curves the trajectory of the rain, and Remus grimaces as his jumper sleeve slowly dampens and one quarter of pant leg seeps through with cool water. He dresses for winter even in summer because of the cool classroom, and there's nothing worse than wool and cordura in the warm rain, sticking and clinging to skin, and his body is hyper-aware of every cloying inch. Satan wordlessly holds the umbrella out for him to take and he grabs it automatically looking over in surprise to find the devil with no shelter, getting soaked. Oh, that's all right, don't you want? I like the rain. The devil grins, interrupting his protests and blowing smoke into the humid air. The smell of cigarettes mixes with the rain, and it shouldn't smell so good, but the version of Remus that used to smoke between uni classes, smoking his way through a pack every few days, laughing and drinking with James at the uni tavern is clawing his way out of his chest to inhale the air deeply. He can't help staring. Again. As soon as he looks away his gaze inevitably sneaks back to him. 
He's just. Such a force of nature. The rain quickly soaks Satan's clothes, which cling and hug his body, every smooth curve and hard line visible, but he doesn't seem bothered. He flicks back his hair which sticks to his face and drips water down his neck, but miraculously his cigarette is still lit and perfectly dry. He must really like the rain if he's choosing to get wet. Satan glances over and catches him staring. Remus fumbles, looking for something to say but Satan saves him the trouble. He really is fine, if you're worried about it, he says, almost reproachfully, completely misinterpreting the staring. I know what everyone thinks of me but I don't go out of my way to mess with kids. He pauses, and then adds with a shrug and a sheepish grin. Well, I was a different devil back in the day. Look, Old Testament God was a total prick, murdered millions and everyone forgets about that, they're all you are the love and the light, save me father yada yada. This is New Testament me, I. Can't be bothered being a total asshole these days. Remus hasn't read a word of the Bible but he knows of course of the great flood that supposedly wiped out the world's population, and how God turned a city and inhabitants to stone, and the great many other things where people died in the book that priests cradle as evidence of God's love. Like a talisman against a man that stands next to him, who doesn't quite fit the picture of an evil monster that it paints him as. Remus nods. I know, I trust you. He means it as. I trust you with the wish. I trust that Anders is all right. But the shock on Satan's face underneath the rivulets of water running down his cheeks and dripping from his dark eyelashes has his amendment dying in his throat. Maybe he does trust him. He's not quite sure yet. In any case, he can't take it back now. That's very. Satan pauses, narrowing his eyes in thought. Remus of you. That kind of trust has burned you before, and you still trust so easily. Oh, hasn't it? Remus smiles wryly, slowly coming to a stop outside his car, lonely in the middle of the empty car park. It's well placed more often than it isn't, he answers vaguely. Satan stands before him in the pouring rain, watching him with shrewdly narrowed eyes, assessing carefully like he just can't figure him out. He lifts the cigarette to his lips again and inhales deeply as he thinks. Remus finds himself stepping into the exhale, lungs already open and calling for more. What is he doing? He steps closer and gently tugs the cigarette out of Satan's fingers, lifting it to his own lips. It's been years, and the taste is as awful as it ever was and his throat isn't used to it anymore, so the smoke burns. But it's so good, terrible, awful, disgusting, is what he tells the kids but so so good. He exhales, coughing and hating himself a little bit. Satan grins widely, gray eyes lighting up in delight. Am I a bad influence on you, sunshine? Terrible. Remus agrees around another inhale, deeper this time. His eyes trail up the dark lines of Satan's tattoos and his mouth goes dry to see the white shirt is soaked and almost translucent, and there's a faint outline of more tattoos covering the devil's chest. He's hit by the wild, insane urge to ask if he wants to come back to his, and this time it's definitely not for dinner, and has to bite down on his lip to hold it back. He hastily hands the cigarette and the umbrella back. Thanks, for the, thanks, he mutters, averting his gaze. Anytime. Satan chuckles, and Remus has to glance back at that, because he can't miss one of those smiles. 
It shines in the dim evening light, white teeth flashing. He gets into his car hastily. As he reverses, Satan watches him go, standing with the collapsed umbrella at his side, the end of the cigarette glowing in the other hand, letting the downpour soak him through. He makes a striking picture, tall and unheeding of the rain, alone in the middle of the empty lot. There's something about how lonely he looks that hits right in the center of Remus's chest, where he feels the loneliness too. He gives him a tight smile through the windscreen and pulls away. The smell of smoke follows him all the way home. Chapter 4 The Star If someone had asked Remus Lupin three months ago what he'd be doing to prepare for parent-teacher meetings, he'd have smiled politely and shown them the checklist he keeps on his phone for such things. Discuss with the kids what the meetings are about and why there's no need to be worried. Gather the notes taken over the semester about their gifts and strengths and the notes about what they could improve. Grades from each subject and notes on performance. Notes on what the parents could do to help their child in each individual circumstance. Examples of homework or assignments where they've done a fantastic job so the parents can see their child at their best. And right at the bottom of the list, a few spaces down. A bottle of Ogden's for after the melee. Remus Lupin always follows this list. For the three years he's been teaching at this school, and for the seven years he's been teaching total, this is his preparation. No teachers like these meetings as they inevitably devolve into defensiveness on both sides, and parents who are perfectly lovely any other day suddenly become ferocious, snarling monsters on parent-teacher nights. Remus doesn't particularly like these meetings either, but he prepares as much as he can and always comes ready with mountains of praise for the kids, which softens the parents. He doesn't feel the same dread and anxiety that he hears in Tonks and Flitwick's voices when they discuss them with groans and pleas to be violently ill to delay them. He feels genuine pride and excitement to wax on about the kids' achievements, improvements, and tell the parents exactly how wonderful their kids are, even if they're a bit of a challenge sometimes. The part that he loathes is the feedback given by the parents on the teacher's performance at the end of this night. A little form that the parents fill out after the meeting that goes straight to the principal, Dumbledore's desk for him to read the next morning. Even with all of Remus's praise for their children, parents get caught up in being told there are ways they can improve to help their kids, and there's always a little bite to their reviews of the teachers. This is the part that warrants the bottle of Ogden's at the end of the night. However, at the end of the semester and the night before the all-important parent-teacher meetings, Remus isn't poring over his list of things to prepare. Instead he finds himself at the movies. With the devil. Watching insidious of all things. Fucking behind you. Satan hisses at the screen. I can't with this. Remus, they're so stupid. Be quiet. Remus whispers, voice shaking in a barely suppressed chuckle. The cinema isn't busy but there's an older couple a few rows down who keep glancing back at Satan's hissed complaints and suggestions. Why he's chosen to be visible and audible for this particular occasion is beyond Remus. How he got roped into seeing a movie, this movie specifically, when he's never really liked horror, is also beyond him. It had started earlier that evening with an argument, a calm discussion on Remus's end, and heated bickering on Satan's on why the devil has such a bad reputation. Remus reasoned that he must have done plenty of awful things in his time, 
while Satan crossly protested that false media portrayals of him had made him out to be a child-eating monster, and he's never eaten a child before, thank you very much, children are disgusting. They ended up on the subject of movies and Satan's vendetta against Rosemary's baby in particular, as if I would do that, accompanied by a shudder, and then they bickered all the way to the theater where Remus blinked and looked around to find himself holding a bucket of popcorn and Satan leading him past the ticketing staff with no tickets, and just a wave of his hand. See, Satan whispers furiously in his ear as the characters monologue about the demon's evil intentions. This shit gives me a bad image. I stopped possessing people after the plague. And I am not ugly. The red-faced demon appears over the character's shoulder, and Remus jumps despite himself. He glares at Satan's titter. Christ, you look rough in this. Remus nods at the screen, shaking off his shock. I was going through a phase. Satan reclines further in the chair, ankles hooking over the seat in front of him and long arms spilling over into Remus's chair. The mystery of how Remus got roped into this is solved when he feels the heavy heat of Satan's firm arm pressed against his through the leather jacket and Remus's wool jumper. Oh, of course. The ridiculous, blasphemous crush he has on the devil. That's why he's sitting in a cinema the night before his busiest day of the year, watching a movie he's not even slightly interested in. Right. He pops some popcorn into his mouth fingers searching for something to do more than he wants to eat, and frowns at the screen. This is ridiculous. By far the worst case of I can fix him he's ever had. There's not even the slimmest chance that this is going anywhere. Sure, the devil flirts, but he's seen him flirt with a pastry before so it doesn't mean anything. Indulging himself by spending time with him, growing to actually like the devil, with all his endearing quirks and rare glimpses of thoughtfulness, is definitely going to come back and bite him in the arse. Probably when Satan flounces off to his next soul conquest, and Remus will be left searching through crowds for his dark hair and gray eyes, forever wanting what he can have. He should pull his arm away. He doesn't. They stay leaning against each other until the devil laughs way too loud at the scene where the demon is sharpening long black nails on a sander, his bark carrying through the theater. He leans over black hair tickling Remus's cheek as he mutters in his ear. Manicures in hell. You take what you can get. Remus snorts loudly despite himself and the older couple glance back again, glaring. Satan eyes them thoughtfully before leaning back, chuckling in a smugly self-satisfied way. He stretches his arms over the back of the seats either side of him. One of those being Remus's. The move is so familiar. How many times has Remus been on a date where he's pulled this exact move, that he automatically leans into it? Satan smells fresh tonight, still the undercurrent of storm but topped with something cool and crisp. His heart skips about four beats, and he fixes his gaze firmly on the screen. The devil seems unaffected, muttering under his breath something about Bad publicity. A hand slips off the chair and drapes over Remus's shoulder. He hopes the devil attributes his racing pulse to the horror movie. He's focusing so hard on the screen that it takes him a few moments to realize Satan is glaring at the older couple again, eyes hard and challenging. The arm around Remus's shoulders tightens. The man and woman stare wide-eyed, looking scandalized, and turn back around to face the screen. Remus sighs, brushing the hand off his shoulder. 
He feels like a fool for thinking, for hoping. Satan chuckles and the arm drapes back over the chair. It's a relief when the movie ends and he pointedly doesn't watch Satan stand and stretch, although why he'd be stiff after squirming and throwing his limbs about the whole time is yet another mystery. They make their way down the stairs and Remus turns at the bottom to tell Satan he thinks that he deserves a BAFTA for his performance. Whether he means in the movie or in front of the old couple, he's not sure. He finds Satan doing an excellent impression of the red-faced demon's most famous scene, leering inches over his shoulder. Geez fuck. Satan laughs his usual bark-like laugh. Language, Mr. Lupin. What would your precious kitties think? Fuck off. Remus doubles down, elbowing him in the stomach to get him to back up. By the time they've made it out the front of the building, Satan is muttering deranged things in his ear in a low, gravelly voice clearly meant to be a demon. Come here, pretty boy, the devil wants to eat your soul. Remus can't help himself. He laughs, shoving Satan back again and ends up stumbling on an uneven brick. Satan grabs his elbow, steadying him. You're so stupid, Remus chuckles, pushing at a leather-clad shoulder. Satan's smile beams in the low light outside the cinema, the soft glow of the fluorescent signs paling in comparison. Remus sways into the grip, and there's something bold and suggestive on his tongue, loosened by that thousand-watt smile and the tight grip on his arm and the fact that he wanted that stupid fake arm stretch move to be real. Remus? The words die in his throat as he spins at the familiar voice. James and Lily stand behind him, arms linked, twin smiles of surprise on their faces. Remus gapes, struck by an odd wave of guilt, skin crawling. The hand leaves his arm and his friend's eyes flicker to the man behind him. Oh right, they can see him. They can see him? Hey, hey. He fumbles, overwhelmingly aware of the warm presence against his back. Who's your friend? James grins, eyes glinting mischievously behind his round glasses as he zones in on Remus's discomfort. Lily's grip tightens on his arm, probably a warning to behave, but her grin holds just as much mischief. Oh, of course. He fixes a smile onto his face. This is a... He falters, the word Satan in his mind but he can't say that. And fuck they're looking right at him. He's not prepared to have anyone actually interact with Satan. He has no story prepared. Serious. Nice to meet you. The devil's voice rumbles behind him, cool and calm, and he reaches around Remus to shake their hands. Serious. Remus chances a glance at his face, full of questions, but he just smiles politely, unruffled and not a hair out of place. Lily and James. Lily says after a beat with a little grin, probably at Remus missing his cue to introduce them because he's so busy staring at Satan and trying to wrap his mind around where Sirius came from. It makes him so much more real and solid and... He seems so human. We're old friends from uni. James adds pleasantly, nudging Lily gently with his elbow, forever conspiring together. But we can catch up later. Didn't mean to interrupt your date. Oh, no, it's not. Remus explains hastily mouth going dry. We're just friends. Friends. Satan's. Or is it Sirius's? Smile widens minutely, like he can sense Remus's discomfort and thinks it's funny. Not for lack of trying on my part. Sirius offers smoothly with a slick grin. Arsehole. 
Remus's face burns but he keeps his expression neutral. Date night. He queries pleasantly before James can find an inappropriate reply to Satan's comment. Ahem. Lily nods, eyes crinkling at the corners as she smiles. Making the most of the sitter. Sweet tea. James interrupts, face lighting up as he eyes Satan's ACDC shirt underneath the leather jacket. Satan glances down, pulling the jacket aside so it can be seen clearly. Thanks. This album changed my fucking life. They're best, right? James nods enthusiastically, pointing. I have the record signed in mint condition. Nice. Satan sidesteps Remus to get closer to James. You know they almost didn't make it? Last minute change to the lineup and it caused this big fight. Lily unlinks from James to step closer to Remus and whispers. Nicely done. He's gorgeous. Remus barely holds back a tut, nudging her with his shoulder, insisting. We're friends. He rolls the word around in his mouth, wondering when that happened. Hem, sure. She smiles cheekily and God, he's missed her. Why hasn't he made time to talk to her? Where'd you meet anyway? Uh. Remus thinks quickly, glancing at Sirius and James chatting away like they've been friends for years. You know what I'm like. I like to feed strays. It's a half-truth and she swallows it easily, sighing in fond despair. What am I going to do with you? Save me from myself. He mutters without thinking, feeling the most inconvenient flare of jealousy as Satan, serious, laughs at something James says and shoves his shoulder. Lily doesn't miss a beat, clever green eyes narrowing at Satan's easy demeanor and leather jacket. He's not. Like Fabian, right? Remus. No. Remus says immediately, voice tightening. He just looks like trouble. I mean, he kind of is trouble but not. Look, we're just friends anyway. Her narrowed eyes turn on him and he swallows, feeling caught. He's nice. I swear. It's either the truth nor a lie. It's complicated. Satan just used him to make some stupid point. But Remus can't reconcile that absolute dick move with the guy who also spent his evening trying to make Remus laugh, and walked him to his car in the rain, and pretends that he plays no part in the coffees that miraculously appear on Remus's desk when he hits the midday slump during work. He's complicated. Lily's eyes bore into his and he's struck by a memory of Harry narrowing his eyes and wrinkling his nose at the smell of cigarette smoke. Bullshit detectors, the both of them. I just know your type, is all, she says carefully. His type. Tattoo rocking, passionate firecrackers who act stupid to make him laugh. She's not wrong. She seems to realize she's not getting more out of him right now and purses her lips for a moment, then turns back to her husband. All right, we better head back, busy day tomorrow, she announces, interrupting whatever hilarious story James had been telling. Remus's jaw tightens. Oh yeah. James grins, oblivious. Parent-teacher meeting. Still so weird to sit across from you all professional, and pretend like we didn't use to skip class to smoke weed in the back of my car. Satan bursts out laughing, looking absolutely delighted, and Remus levels James with a look. Best don't mention that in your teacher review. Wouldn't dream of it. James's brown eyes twinkle as he scoops Remus into a tight hug. See you tomorrow, Mr. Lupin. Come over soon. Lily insists firmly, replacing James when he steps back, and whispers in Remus's ear. You're going to tell me all about him. 
properly. It's not a request, and Remus's stomach floods with warmth with how easily his friends make him feel wanted and loved. See you tomorrow, he says with a wave and a genuinely warm smile, although his next words are laced with sarcasm. My favorite day of the year, Teacher Christmas. He watches them go with a sinking feeling in his chest. Ah, yes. Tomorrow. What's tomorrow? Satan asks around a cigarette, which is miraculously already lit with no lighter in sight. Parent-teacher meetings. Remus sighs, trying not to sound too miserable. Sounds boring. Yes, I suppose it would be to you. Remus agrees, thinking of his list and how only half of the points have been checked off. He's off his game this year. Want me to smite some snobby parents? Satan offers with a grin, and it shouldn't make Remus smile. But it does, of course. No, lovely of you to offer though. That's me, lovely through and through. Remus raises an eyebrow and turns to head back down the street to his apartment, shoving his hands into his pockets. Heavy boots fall into step with him, and he fleetingly wishes they could just keep this going until they pass his apartment, walking and talking well into the night, avoiding the topic of tomorrow. He slows to a stroll and Satan, Sirius, follows his lead. Your friends are nice, Sirius offers casually and Remus narrows his eyes at his boots. They are, he agrees, leaving it open and waiting for what he's actually trying to say. Nothing else comes and they walk in silence for a few minutes, Remus wondering what's going unsaid. He decides to drop it to satisfy another curiosity. So, Sirius, ha, Remus invites trying not to let on how curious he is. It's an unusual name. He must have chosen it for a reason, but he's never heard it used as a term for the devil. Sirius shrugs, although now Remus can recognize his indifferent shrugs from his. I pretend not to care, but I do. Shrugs. Oh God, he's got it bad. It's an old nickname. Sirius says would be casually, exhaling smoke. Always preferred it to Lucifer. God named me Lucifer. His mouth twists, and he stops to crush the cigarette viciously with the heel of his boot. Remus stops too, watching him tip his head back to look at the clear night sky where the moon hangs half full among the stars. He points up at the stars and Remus's eyes follow his finger with a frown, confused. Sirius huffs impatiently and steps closer, all heat and height and fresh earth, soaked by the rain. He leans their cheeks together and points insistently so Remus can follow the long line of his arm, although he's even more lost now because all of his brain cells are focused on the softness and warmth of his skin against his face. Canis Major. And there, the dog star. Sirius explains, voice low and laden with wistfulness. Remus can feel the vibration of it in his cheek. He blinks up in recognition at the constellation traced by Sirius's finger one star in particular twinkling brightly amongst them. Sirius, the brightest star in the sky, Remus murmurs, awash in a distant memory of a school field trip to the observatory. He feels the answering smile against his cheek. That's me. Every muscle in his body is tense to turn, to lean into the heat at his side, and it would be so easy to turn his head and catch those plush lips with his own and sink into that delicious warmth. He has a sneaking suspicion Sirius would let him, maybe bemused and indulging his silly human ways. His eyes flutter closed for a moment as he pictures it, Sirius's hands sliding up his shoulders, into his hair, cradling his face. 
he steps away. Serious, Remus repeats, feeling the weight of it on his tongue forcing a smile. It suits you, much better than Satan. Serious, it really is easy to just slip into thinking of him as such when his smile shines as bright as the star, blinks, expression oddly soft. No one's called me serious for a long time. As soon as Remus tilts his head in curiosity, a door slams shut on Sirius's face. The softness is gone and the usual cocky grin is back as he bumps Remus's shoulder, stalking ahead. Come on. Shouldn't you be preparing something dull? Or maybe you're going to smoke some weed and kickback instead. Remus tuts and rolls his eyes, following with a half-hearted protest. I was 18. When Sirius disappears with a flash and a grin outside his apartment, Remus doesn't go inside straight away. He tilts his head up at the stars, eyes locking on one in particular. I understand your frustrations, but I really would like to emphasize Ben's improvement. I don't think you do understand. Ben's mother, Mrs. Beasley, cuts Remus off icily. I've been paying for tutors for months now and his mathematics has barely improved. I'm starting to think it's your teaching that's the problem. What a fucking bitch. Remus bites the inside of his cheek and keeps his gaze firmly on the tiny, trembling fury of a woman before him, and not the fuming devil hovering behind his chair, unhelpfully biting out insults. It's a blessing and a curse that Sirius has chosen to hang around during parent-teacher night. It's nice to have someone on his side, someone who doesn't think he's lazy and incompetent. But Sirius's temper flares violently at every thinly-veiled insult against Remus, and it's getting hard to keep a straight face. We can absolutely discuss if I need to be using different techniques to help Ben. Remus offers diplomatically and Mrs. Beasley's hard eyes soften just a smidge. But I think consistency is key. If he falls behind on one piece of homework he seems to get overwhelmed. So it's my fault for not forcing him to do hours of homework every night? Not at all. It's outrageous, you know. The work you set, he's eight. It's far too much homework for his age, no wonder it's overwhelming. Perhaps we're getting off track. No, I think I've heard enough. She interrupts in clipped tones. I am being blamed for poor teaching. Yet again, I spoke to Dumbledore about this last semester and I cannot believe this hasn't been resolved. She abruptly gets to her feet and her fuming would be intimidating if she wasn't five foot nothing and at eye level with Remus when he's sitting, slightly hunched in exhaustion over his desk. If I've caused offense, he tries in vain. I will be speaking to him again, she insists, glowering at him before turning on her heel and marching out of the classroom. Remus watches her go with a sinking feeling. It's his second storm out of the evening and he sinks further into his chair with each meeting, feeling the weight of failure and incompetence slowly crushing him. Please let me cut her brakes, Sirius demands at his shoulder, and he can feel the fury rolling off him in waves. No one has to know. No. I won't kill her. Sirius. It's the magic word. The devil grumbles indistinctly, but he drops the subject of grievous bodily harm. Remus hides a smile, bending his head to rifle through the next folder on his desk. Draco Malfoy. His smile promptly evaporates. This kid's parents are so overly protective and defensive that they must genuinely think they've spawned the perfect human. He's not a bad kid but he's far from perfect, especially with his habit of bullying, and Remus has the miserable task of trying to tell them so. He thinks back to the Potter's meeting, 
where he waxed on for ages about Harry's talent for science and his improved participation in class. They'd actually asked him, asked, what they could be doing to help bring his math score up, and Remus had to fight the urge to reach over the table and clutch their shoulders in gratitude. But not everyone can be the Potters. The show must go on, Remus mumbles tiredly, pitching his voice in a vague and miserable rendition of the Queen's song. The voice behind his chair hums along, catching the tune immediately, and for some reason that's the encouragement Remus needs to get up and walk across the classroom to invite the Malfoys in. I've decided to create a new section of hell called Parent-Teacher Nights, Sirius announces with a dramatic twirl as he slams the door shut behind the last parents of the night, who are probably wondering how the door slammed shut on its own. I'm honored, Remus smiles tiredly too beaten down to even feel relief. I've inspired so many new levels of hell. He groans at the stiffness in his back as he reaches down to the lowest drawer on his desk. When he emerges with the bottle of whiskey in hand, the devil's face lights up in delight. Oh yeah, there he is. Remus tips his cup of water into the bin and pours himself a healthy shot. He holds the bottle up in offering and serious stalks forward wrinkling his nose as he gets close enough to read the label. Oh, sunshine. He sighs in dramatic disappointment. If you're going to be bad, do it properly. He flares his fingers and suddenly there's a brown, dusty bottle in his hand, wrapped in a nondescript black label. It's probably worth more than Remus's entire year's salary. As long as it gets me drunk, I don't give a toss. Remus replies, running a hand over his face. He drains his cup, grimacing at the burn. Before he can even lower the cup to the desk, Sirius is pouring his expensive-looking whiskey into it. Trust me, this'll do the trick. Sirius promises with a lopsided grin, taking a swig straight from the bottle. He must be letting his body feel the sensations of the whiskey, just like he chose to get drenched in the rain the day he walked Remus to his car, because he bares his teeth and hisses at the burn as he swallows. Fuck. Your little mortal body doesn't stand a chance. Remus finds himself bristling. He's hardly little. Mortal, well, sure. But he's never been a lightweight. He knocks it back and almost chokes. It burns like fire, but it's somehow smooth on the way down, warming his entire chest and stomach as it sinks into his body. It almost has a smoky aftertaste, and he licks his lips appreciatively. Probably should have mentioned it's a sipping whiskey. Sirius muses, pouring more into Remus's cup. Would have done it anyway. Remus wheezes, rubbing his chest in wonder at the scalding heat beneath his ribs. Remus is not a lightweight. He feels like he needs to emphasize that point. And he does, repeatedly, telling the devil that he's not drunk and he used to drink James under the table for God's sake. Sirius nods along, an elegant eyebrow raised and drawling. Sure, sunshine which should sound condescending but it feels like affection and fondness, and Remus is convinced it's not the whiskey making the room spin. Which, of course, means he's fucking drunk and more of a lightweight than he remembers. Or this whiskey is poison. Either way, he's having a brilliant time. He lets loose his real thoughts and feelings on the parents, and Sirius is delighted, sitting in his usual spot on Remus's desk kicking his feet and barking laughter with each scathing criticism falling from Remus's lips. It's sinking right into the depths of negativity, 
and snarkiness that he tries so hard to suppress when he's sober. And God, it feels fucking good. Complaining. Bitching. Just letting it fucking rip to an enthusiastic audience who encourages his sharp dissent. I get 30 kids for five days a week and they've got one. One child, who, by the way, has inherited the parents' brains, so if they've got a problem then they should take it up with their own fucking genetics. He rages, fingers on his temples and elbows propped on his desk. His arm rests comfortably against Sirius's denim-clad thigh, and he can feel his legs swinging. I'm so sorry, he continues, words dripping with sarcasm, that your kid is failing art. It's fourth grade art. I'm not asking for a masterpiece. It's a fucking painting of what they want to be when they grow up. How about you actually talk to your fucking kid and give them some direction instead of making me the scapegoat? You tell him. Sirius mutters encouragingly around a cigarette, having conjured it somewhere between Remus's raging. And I'm a good teacher. Remus sits up sharply, pointing his finger at Sirius like he's arguing, blinking as the room sways a little. I'm a damn good teacher. But what more can I do, you know? I pour my fucking soul into this job and they look down the noses at me and still expect me to work miracles. Ungrateful pricks. Sirius declares in support, lifting the almost empty bottle and salute to the ceiling before taking a swig. Remus watches, blinking hard at Sirius swaying on the desk. Is he letting himself get drunk too? What a life. He can choose to get drunk or not. Choose to get drenched in the rain or keep himself dry with just a thought. He can choose to feel. Or not. Something tells him that Sirius chooses the latter unless the feeling is anger. The classroom pitches forward and Remus grins around a surprised. Whoa. Letting his head fall into his hands. Don't vomit on your desk. Sirius mumbles, a heavy hand clumsily petting through Remus's tawny waves. You'll be right ticked off later if you do. Remus smiles into the darkness behind his eyelids, floating dreamily, lost in the sensation of the hand stroking through his hair. Sirius's hand. Sober Remus would be appalled. Current Remus leans into the touch. Won't. He murmurs. I'm not a lightweight. Told you. That you did. Remus's head tips to the right, and his forehead rests against something firm and warm. Sirius's thigh. The hand in his hair falters. You good? He nods, pulling on his last reserves of dignity to draw himself upright, rubbing a hand over his face. Get it together, Lupin. Sorry, that's good whiskey, he offers sheepishly. The devil grins, and his eyes are half-lidded and fucking beautiful, stone gray and framed so prettily by long, dark lashes and Remus can't find the will to look away. Sirius cocks his head at the staring but Remus is still consumed by indignation at the parents, his blood bubbling in his veins, and he's overtaken by a kind of recklessness he hasn't felt in years. His mouth moves of its own accord, brain not consulted. Did you choose this face? He blinks in surprise at the bluntness of his own question, fumbling to fix it. I mean, did you design this form? It's hardly better, but Sirius doesn't seem to mind. He arches an eyebrow and smiles knowingly. This is the form God gave me to visit the humans. I've made a few modifications over the years. He nods at his arms where his tattoos are hidden beneath the leather jacket. But my face is the same. Why mess with perfection? Remus hums in agreement, relieved for the excuse to stare at his face, drinking in each flutter of lashes and twitch of his smile.
His lips are the perfect shade of pink against his pale skin. It's a very nice face, Remus admits, chuckling at himself as his words slur. I kind of thought you did it on purpose. Sirius leans forward, black hair sweeping his shoulders. On purpose? Remus's heart hammers in his chest, and he knows that means he's in dangerous territory. His body knows it even if his brain is a sluggish mess and his mouth just keeps blabbing. You know, my type, to soften me up. The beautiful face lights up in a shocked grin, gray eyes widening, and he laughs, ducking his head. I, uh, happy coincidence, I guess. Sirius rubs a hand over the back of his neck and Remus watches dumbly, wondering if this is the devil embarrassed. He doesn't blush, but he doesn't have to, biting down on his bottom lip to hide his smile. God, how is he even prettier now? Remus is fucking done for. Come on. Let's get you home. Sirius clears his throat, getting to his feet and swaying just a little. Not completely drunk then. I'll get an earful tomorrow if I let you crash in your classroom. He takes Remus's hands and pulls him to his feet, stumbling forward as Remus sways dangerously. The room spins and he grins dopily, gripping tightly at the hands holding him up. Who knew the devil could be so nice? What a thought. Brace yourself. Sirius mutters, crowding against him, his face only inches away. Remus's eyes flutter at the sudden closeness, and his breath catches in his throat. What an odd thing to say before you kiss someone. But there is no kiss, just an odd, cool swooping sensation in the pit of his stomach, and then the sharp smell of ozone, mixed with cigarettes. For one wild moment he wonders if he's passed out because it's suddenly pitch black and his knees buckle a bit, but he can still feel warm hands holding his and the warmth rolling off Sirius's body. He's some kind of awake, although this feels like a dream. Hot breath tickles his cheek as Sirius huffs impatiently, dropping Remus's hand to click his fingers. Light flares and Remus winces, blinking hard. Oh. They're in his flat, standing just inside the front door in the hall. He lets himself fall back against the wall in relief, Sirius bracing him. Did we fly? He mumbles in wonder. Sirius smiles softly, and there's an odd undercurrent of sadness in it. It tugs at Remus's chest. Sadness doesn't belong on that face, although he often finds it there. We apparated. I can't fly. Not anymore. He explains, face darkening. Remus absently lifts a hand, fingertips gently stroking over the frown lines on Sirius's forehead, wondering. Sirius lets him, sadness melting into. Something. Worry? Concern? Remus's thoughts are fuzzy but he's crystal clear on one thing. He wants to erase sadness from his face forever, wants this man to be happy. Whatever the rest of the world says about him, whatever he is to others. I wish you could be happy. He sighs, thoughts spilling messily, self-control abandoned. Sirius's expression flickers, eyes closing for a moment as if he's fighting with himself. You shouldn't wish for that. Oh, right, the wishes. He forgot about that. What if I did? Remus wonders aloud slowly. Could you just make yourself happy if I wished for it? Sirius shakes his head but it doesn't really seem like a no. Remus remembers how insistently he grumbled I can, but I won't, about time travel and death. Is this the same? It doesn't seem like he's going to find out, because Sirius is pulling away, expressions slipping into something neutral.
I'll help you to bed. I want you to be happy. Remus slurs, overriding the change in topic as he tips sideways against the wall. Sirius wraps an arm around his waist and guides him down the hall. He doesn't reply. I like you. Remus continues matter-of-factly. Things are so much easier after half a bottle of whiskey. You're not what I thought the devil would be. Not that I thought you were real, but you're kind of, I don't know, nice. In your own way. The devil makes an odd noise in his throat. Almost like he's choking, like he wants to say something but it's caught. They've reached the door to his bedroom and Sirius props him up against the wall while he opens it. Remus tips his head back against the wall, but his eyes are glued to Sirius's face. Words spill out of his mouth, drawn out and running together. You can't convince me you're not nice. You're so nice. You pretend not to care about anything but you're nice to me. You don't have to be, but you are. Remus's blinks are getting slower, and the dim light is awfully nice. For fuck's sake, you are an absolute lightweight. Sirius hisses, finally breaking his silence. And at first Remus thinks he's annoyed but then Sirius shifts and his face is red and his eyes won't meet his. Embarrassed? Who could say? Not Remus, not at the moment. Why are you so nice to me? Remus asks, feeling like he's floating, unburdened, unanswerable to his strict self-control. It's nice to just say what he's thinking for once. He gets the vague sense that normally he'd be embarrassed. Now he just stares at Sirius expectantly. The handsome face is shadowed in the dim light, and he can't quite make out his expression. I am. Sirius starts hesitantly, sounding the most rattled Remus has ever heard him. The smooth-talking, flirty salesman is gone and in his place is the man who keeps conjuring little miracles to make his days better, more interesting, more fun. The man who gets embarrassed to be genuinely thanked for doing good, who reacts to heartfelt compliments like he's never heard them before. I guess. Sirius swallows, trying again. I guess I like you too. Remus blinks blearily. Oh. But, why? I'm not special. Fuck off. I'm not. I'm not even the nicest person I know. Sunshine. Yeah. Remus exclaims, leaning forward in emphasis as his mind catches on that word again, the one that makes his cheeks glow and heart flutter. Sunshine. You call me that, cause of my soul, right? I guess. But I'm not a sinless saint. My soul isn't anything special. I do things that aren't right. I'm lazy. I lie. I let people down all the time. I run away from my problems. And sometimes I stare at men's and women's asses, even though I know I shouldn't. I'm just a regular, boring, sinning old human. Why do you? Because. You're so stupidly selfless. Sirius snaps, hands slamming on the wall either side of Remus's shoulders. I've offered you the world and so far all you've done is help some little neglected kid that other people wouldn't bat an eye at, not with a genie in their pocket. You don't know. I'm the devil. Sirius snarls, frustrated for a reason that's completely beyond Remus. I've been doing this for millennia, I know humans, I know their weaknesses. And you, you refuse to look after yourself for the sake of others, it's almost lethal at this point. Sirius waves a hand around the apartment. Remus vaguely wonders if he should be offended. Right. Remus blinks, a little dazed, not quite sure he's understanding. You're. Sirius pauses, the tense lines of his shoulders softening, sighing. Fucking hell, you're even nice to me. And you shouldn't be. No one's nice to me, not really, 
Not unless they want something. Something in Remus's chest crumbles. That's sad. I don't want your pity. I'm. It's not pity. He reaches up to brush the back of his fingers against Sirius's cheek. Wants him to feel something gentle and soft. He feels so. Human. A human with a fever maybe, the skin burning hot beneath his hand, but a human with a racing pulse and eyelashes fluttering as Remus's thumb brushes underneath his eye. I like you. I'd still like you if you couldn't do anything for me at all. Remus says simply, truthfully. Sirius shakes his head, in denial, or disbelief, or what, Remus isn't sure. He spreads his hand across the smooth jaw to catch him, bringing him to a stop, even as he sways himself. Christ, when did he get so close? Their breaths mingle and Remus is able to focus long enough to see a little brown speck amongst the icy gray depths of Sirius's left eye. The tiniest imperfection. Remus vaguely wonders if anyone else has noticed it before. It feels natural, obvious, to let himself sway forward. Gray eyes slide closed and it's the permission Remus needs. He surges, pressing their lips together clumsily. It should feel messy. It doesn't. Sirius's lips are soft and pliant, and it's dizzying the way he presses closer, kissing him back fiercely, all wild ozone and crowding him against the wall. Like he's been waiting for this. Wanting this, unleashed now that Remus has made the first move. Warm hands, a constant furnace, slide up Remus's arms and one makes its way to his jaw, holding him so reverently that he's reeling at the raw desire. Being kissed by the devil is everything he imagined and more. He's impatient and demanding, tongue swiping into Remus's mouth roughly, and Remus is caught in a riptide. Pushed and pulled and fuck, he slides down the wall a little and strong arms catch him, steady and firm under cool leather. Remus exhales sharply into the kiss, a rush of whiskey and lust, hands sliding down Sirius's chest, pausing to tug at the button on his jeans. And then Remus is kissing air and a hand grabs his wrist. His eyes flutter open. I. Sirius falters, leaning back as emotions quickly chase each other across his face. Fuck, you're drunk. We. You don't want. Remus hears himself say, and he distantly balks at the disappointment in his own voice. You're drunk. Sirius repeats, softer, a small rueful smile on his face. He lets go of his wrist, but his eyes linger on Remus's lips, like he's trying to memorize how they look after he's kissed them. You'll regret this tomorrow. Shows what you know. Remus argues, words slurring a little, thinking of all the times he's wanted to do just this when he's been completely sober. But the devil never pulled away in his daydreams. Can't you just click your fingers and make me sober then? Remus grins at his own stroke of brilliance leaning into the warm hand that still cradles his jaw. A thumb strokes his cheek for one heart-stopping second before the warmth is gone. Not a good idea. Sirius steps back, pulling him by the hands into the bedroom. It's cold now, like it suddenly dropped a few degrees. He has to mentally grapple with himself not to step closer, back into the warmth of the devil. His face is closed off and his jaw is tight. Sorimus collapses on the bed and curls in on himself for warmth. He rubs his hands over his face, hiding in the wonderful darkness behind his eyelids even as the darkness somehow spins. His stomach lurches unpleasantly, 
and he has a feeling it has something to do with confessions and not the whiskey. Soft fingers brush his hair back from his forehead and that's a little encouraging, although it feels far too much like pity for his liking. There's the thunk of something placed on his bedside table and the fingers withdraw. Something soft is drawn up around his shoulders. A blanket? It's a relief from the cold, and he tugs it higher. Remus hums contentedly, sinking into the darkness, giving into the spinning feeling of falling even with something solid beneath him. It almost feels unnatural how easily he's falling into the grip of sleep, held softly but firmly. Falling, falling. Sleep well, sunshine, says a soft, deep voice and what a wonderful sound to fall asleep to. The first thing he sees when he squints in the late morning sunlight is a glass of water. He blinks. It reflects light around the room in dazzling beams like a diamond, and it's possibly the most appealing glass of water he's ever seen. Mouth as dry as desert sand and throat prickling, he reaches for it and drains it in one go. He sits up, expecting his head to be splitting and for his stomach to lurch with the evidence of his bad decisions, but he feels almost normal. He frowns at the empty glass in his hand. Almost. His memory is a little hazy as it should be with how much he drank, that much he remembers, just a few shots away from finishing the bottle of whiskey between him and Satan. Serious. Serious. He left the glass there. Remus distantly remembers hearing it being placed onto the table. When he'd put him to bed. Christ. How embarrassing, having to be helped to bed by the devil. But there's more. Sirius was holding him against the wall, hands braced on either side of Remus's head, caging him in. He remembers an overwhelming feeling of affection, and then he... Oh. He fucking didn't. But he did. He kissed the devil. And the devil kissed him back. Remus groans, pressing the heel of his palms into his eyes, as if he can push the memories back into the darkness. Take them back. Forget again and return to the blissful ignorance of a minute ago. No such luck. He thinks quickly, mind racing to coordinate damage control. What exactly did he say before the kiss and how can he explain it away? I like you. For fuck's sake. You pretend not to care about anything but you're nice to me. Oh sweet Jesus, no no. Why are you so nice to me? Remus lifts his head sharply, gaze landing on nothing. Sirius's hesitant reply whispers from the darkness of vague memories. I guess. I guess I like you too. Oh. Well. That's. Something. He bites at his knuckle, worrying the skin between his teeth. The devil definitely kissed him back. His memory is hazy, but he distinctly remembers being pressed into the wall, Sirius's hands running up his arms, Sirius's tongue swiping into his mouth. He swings his legs out of bed. He needs coffee. And food. And a clear head. Needs to take his time to carefully sift through these memories and figure out what he's going to say next time he sees Sirius. How he's going to navigate this. There's no chance for him to descend into his maze of thoughts. Because when he walks out of the bathroom a few minutes later, Sirius is sprawled on the couch. He glances over eyes dipping down Remus's legs and then back up to his face. Remus smooths his hair out of his face. Hello, he tries croakily. Hmm, is what he gets in return. 
Aya. Remus drops his head, shutting his eyes tight to drum up some courage. I got a bit carried away last night. Sorry. When he looks up Sirius has turned away, gaze fixed on the television. Some reality show is playing, a girl is shouting drunkenly and three people around her are exchanging glances. Right. It's fine. Sirius answers tonelessly, stretching his legs out on Remus's couch. But wait, that's not his couch. Remus shuffles forward, frowning. The sofa is enormous and plush, a navy blue that somehow communicates rich and expensive. His couch is a battered old thing with peeling leather and a permanent bevel in the center that he inevitably tumbles into when he tries to sit. What happened to my couch? He asks, the previous night temporarily forgotten. Hmm. Sirius grunts, having decided to stop being a chatterbox overnight. Wasn't comfortable. Uh. This one's better. I see. Sirius turns away from the television to glance back at him. Food on the table. Remus looks back. There is indeed food on the table, he must have walked right past it. Pastries and what looks like an enormous breakfast roll with greasy bacon spilling from the sides. Hangover food, although he doesn't feel like he has one. Thank you, he mutters, abashed and feeling like he deserves none of this continued kindness, mind swiveling back to last night. He feels like he should try again, although he'd dearly love to drop it. I really am sorry. I don't drink much anymore. Not that that's an excuse. He pauses, running a hand through his hair as he tries to somehow communicate the regret and shame he feels. I guess. Thanks for stopping me. He feels cool eyes fixed on him and he forces himself to meet the gaze. It's assessing and critical and he feels like he's being taken apart and examined piece by piece. He doesn't let himself squirm. Not the first time a human's made a pass at me, Sirius says coolly. Don't beat yourself up. The cold dismissal is light years away from the softness of last night, and there's an empty space between them that warmth and fondness used to fill. He doesn't really know what to do with being told he's just another silly human getting carried away by the devil's beauty. It's believable but it hurts. Did I? Did it upset you? He tries valiantly, still confused by the defensive spike Sirius has wrapped himself in. Sirius makes an impatient noise, almost a growl, and folds his arms across his chest. He turns back to the show, watching with narrowed eyes as a woman storms off screen. I'm not upset. There are other things going on in my life other than you and your little faux pas. You're not the only human that gets my attention. Remus bristles. Sorry, it just seems like you're angry with me and I don't know how to fix it. I apologized. He folds his arms too. Yes, I heard your apology. Sirius sneers. As if I'm bothered by a little drunken pass. I've been around for millennia. After the hundredth orgy I figured out humans and their desires. You always regret it in the morning, so fucking fickle. Remus frowns, trying to figure out how he's being fickle. He's apologizing for being a handsy drunk. But then the devil appears right in front of him, and he jumps. I've got to go, Sirius says abruptly. Pray if you want something. Remus opens his mouth to ask him to stay, to demand that he explain why he's clearly so miffed and denying it. But there's the usual flash and Sirius is gone. For a moment he just stares at the empty space where Sirius stood, stomach churning, mind racing. Unblinking, he steps forward and absently runs a hand over the couch cushion. 
smooth linen, warm to the touch where Sirius had been sitting. He shakes his head at himself with a self-deprecating chuckle because suddenly what he actually wanted to say, what he really, really meant and couldn't put into words is now on the tip of his tongue. It comes so easily now. I meant it. I meant every word. He sighs to the silent room. I regret being drunk, not that it happened. It's useless now that Sirius isn't around to hear it. And maybe he wouldn't want to, judging by his reaction this morning. Humans and their desires. Like he couldn't ever understand or feel the same way. Remus sinks into the couch. It's annoying how extraordinarily comfortable it is. And drops his face into his hands. He can't get the feeling of Sirius's lips out of his mind. Chapter 5 the hope. For the first time in Remus's life he starts praying frequently. Not to God, no, and he doesn't know if they really count as prayers, exactly. Dearest Dark Lord, ruler of hell and king of darkness, Weasley bit Malfoy again today. You would have loved it. He stares out the window of the classroom to the backdrop of scratching pencils on paper. He's got a firm bite, seems to be his choice of weapon for now. And I'm not saying Malfoy deserved it, but Granger looked like she was going to cry when I spotted them and then Weasley just sinks his teeth into his arm. I mean, why mess about, yeah? Get to the point. You bully, you get bit. It would make a catchy official school policy. But alas, I had to have a stern word with the little biter, and it was so hard not to laugh when his defense was just, I warned him. It's so boring being the voice of reason sometimes. Or maybe I've spent too much time around you. He sighs. Not recently though. I hope you have time to drop by soon. My life has been entirely too quiet. He stops just short of I miss you. He can make a wish of course, and he knows the devil would appear. But he's been thinking about that night. The one where he made an awful fool of himself and scared away the man he's trying to wrestle back. He keeps returning to something serious said, the words that broke something in him. No one's nice to me, not really, not unless they want something. He's decided that he's not going to ask anything from Sirius, not even to get him to come back. He wants Sirius to realize that he was being truthful. He doesn't want anything from him. Well, that's not strictly true. He'll amend that too. He wants his company, his laugh, his stupidly loud bark of a laugh that turns heads. The snarky comments he makes about, well, everything, the way he's always eating something, despite his protests of not having to eat, he walks around constantly munching on something sweet and getting in Remus's way. Remus still leaves room for him when he turns around, pausing so he doesn't bump into someone who's no longer there. Remus's prayers go unanswered, his life goes back to normal, or whatever it was before the devil. But on the third day, he finds himself drifting in the late afternoon, his rambling prayer to the devil stuttering and slipping into dozing, and suddenly there's a fresh cup of coffee on his desk from a cafe in Peru. Like someone has been listening and is giving him a gentle nudge to continue his train of thought. He smiles to himself and sends a prayer. Thank you, you're a lifesaver. But Sirius doesn't appear or answer. He keeps praying. Hey Sirius, I'm finally going to try that North Indian place you told me about. The one where you said the Vindaloo would have made you cry if you were mortal. 
Now, I'm not saying you're lying, but I don't trust the tolerance of a man who thinks Masaman curry is spicy, so... His thoughts trail off as he reaches the front door to his apartment, and he pats his pockets for the keys. The door handle is hanging at an odd angle. His heart skips a beat. Oh no, no, no. Something clatters in his apartment. Shit, not again. He pushes the door open and steps into his living room. The entire contents of his living room are strewn over the floor. Books lie open, pages crushed, scattered all over the room, his records covering the floor, every drawer in the room pulled out and emptied, and he can see cutlery among the mess so that means his kitchen looks the same. Even the broom cupboard has been ransacked, the miscellaneous mess that he never actually sorted, scattered among his belongings. Remus looks around with a familiar feeling of dread settling into his stomach. He doesn't need to see who's responsible for this, he already knows. A flash of ginger hair catches in the corner of his eye and he looks over at the man that freezes in the doorway of his bedroom. Hello, Fabian. Remus calmly greets his ex. Remus. Fabian shifts uncomfortably, sliding a hand into his back pocket and glancing around the room like he's looking for an escape. I was going to put it all back before you got home, I swear. Right. Remus steps into the room but doesn't close the door behind him, not taking his eyes off Fabian. He doesn't look well. Worse than the last time he saw him, which, Christ, must be almost six months ago now. When he'd ended up in hospital after a bad batch of codeine, Remus had picked him up, along with the bill, and told him it was the last time. It's always the last time. You look like shit, he states bluntly, figuring if he's being robbed he can forego the niceties. And he does look like shit. His handsome, freckled face is gaunt and almost gray, where it was once red-cheeked and jovial, the characteristic cheeky grin that Remus had fallen for, nowhere to be seen. He's thinner than Remus now, and his clothes are crumpled and stretched, like they're tired of being lived in. Fabian doesn't deny it, shoulders jerking in an aborted shrug. Remus sighs, running a hand over his face. Are you looking for money? You know I'm a primary teacher, right? No. Fabian insists heavily, voice hoarse. No, I wouldn't. You have before. I'm not. Not anymore. Fabian fixes him with big brown eyes, which is fucking cruel, because he knows that worked when they were dating, and he has the audacity to use it now. I was just looking for something I left here. Promise. Little brown box, you seen it? What's in it? Some things I want to sell. Of course, it's not in any of the books. Remus can't keep the sarcasm out of his voice, and he waves a hand at the books all over the floor. Fabian's awkward grin trembles. But Remus isn't going to cave, not this time. He clenches his fists, biting back the concern on the tip of his tongue. When was the last time he ate? Does he have a place to stay? Has he talked to his mother lately? He reaches for his wallet instead. This can't happen again. He can't keep letting this man back into his life to rip through it like a hurricane, taking weeks of devotion to get him back on his feet only to come home one day to find a Sorry. Scrawled on a piece of paper and no Fabian. Not only does it hurt like hell every time, Lily will murder him. She spent weeks coaxing him out of the depressive hole the last betrayal put him in. I've got a twenty, all right. 
he holds out the money that he's been saving for dinner tonight. Get some food with it at least. It's all I've got so just, take it and whatever's in your pocket and go. I didn't. Fabe. Remus raises an eyebrow, a bite of impatience creeping into his voice. How many times have we done this? Just take it. Please get help. Fabian looks ashamed for a brief moment, before hunger steals over his face and the man Remus thought he loved all those months ago is nowhere to be found, swallowed by addiction and greed. He stalks forward, reaching for the money. I don't fucking believe this. They both jump at the snarl that comes from the corner of the room. Sirius leans against the wall, one foot propped up behind him, as casually as if he's been there the whole time, fists clenched at his sides and his face a dark storm. Sirius. Remus breathes, torn between relief and dread. I don't fucking believe this. Sirius repeats, voice dangerously low. He stalks forward, movements somehow made smoother in his anger and within seconds Fabian is kneeling on the carpet with arms held at an awkward angle behind his back. Hey, who the fuck? Shut the fuck up, shit stay. Sirius twists the hand holding Fabian and Fabian cries out in pain, cursing brilliantly. Remus steps forward but the look in Sirius's eyes stops him a few feet short of the scuffle. It's dark and cruel, something that Remus hasn't seen there before. Sirius, stop. You. Sirius's eyes flash as he points his free hand at Remus while Fabian struggles in his other. I leave you alone for a few days and you're giving money to the fucker that's robbing you? He didn't even ask. Are you that fucking stupid? He's mine. I know who he is. Sirius snarls. His sins are written all over him, they're pouring out of him. All the times he's robbed you, lied to you, treated you like shit. Must be Fabian, the mystery ex. Nice to meet you, fuckface. Fabian seems to realize that he's outmatched because he doesn't reply and isn't trying to get away anymore, just hangs his head and tries not to tug at the grip on his arms. He's not himself. Remus tries, wincing at the awkward way Fabian's arm is bent. He can't help it. Oh, he can help it. He's just a dirtbag. He needs help. He's a piece of shit. Sirius argues, white teeth flashing as he snarls. Have you forgotten? That's my specialty, the fucking dregs of humanity and this guy's it. He's not dregs or shit. Addiction doesn't make someone a bad person. Remus argues, a sharp edge creeping into his voice because it's fucking rich for Satan to judge. And he wasn't always like this. Look, just let him go, let me talk. Sirius's eyes narrow and his mouth thins. He must tighten his grip cruelly because Fabian cries out sharply, jerking back. Let him go. Remus commands firmly this time, voice dropping a few octaves. The stare-off he has with Sirius makes his pulse race madly in his throat and fingertips. He's never seen Sirius this angry before. He looks murderous. Remus distantly registers thunder rumbling overhead, although the sky was clear minutes ago. He should probably be worried. But he's a little caught up on the fact that Sirius has clearly been listening to his prayers and refusing to answer. How else could he have known to show up now? Rude. It's the immortal equivalent of screening his calls. Sirius's teeth flash again, lips pulled back, feral and snarling. You actually believe he's worth helping? Fabian slumps a little and he's able to mutter to himself so Sirius must have loosened his grip. 
Absolutely. Remus answers immediately. He just needs treatment. His eyes widen as an idea flashes through his mind. Of course, it's so obvious. I want you to help him, he says quickly, as evenly as he can. That's my wish. I want you to help Fabian get his life together, get clean, get back on his feet. Sirius gapes at him and for a moment it feels like electricity zings through the air, like he's about to be struck by lightning. What? It's my wish, Remus reiterates more firmly, nodding as he convinces himself. You said anything. But this is when you stop caring about your soul? This? What? You can't do it. Remus arches an eyebrow in challenge. The devil glowers. He doesn't deserve it. Sirius growls. He pauses, considering, and then his mouth twists into a cruel sneer. He doesn't love you, you know. Never did. A part of Remus suspected it already, but to hear it from Sirius's mouth, it stings like a splinter in his chest, and his breath catches on it when he inhales. He swallows, breathing out a little shakily. It doesn't matter. He manages softly around the hurt. He deserves another chance. Sirius stills, eyeing him thoughtfully, tongue running over his teeth. Remus takes the thoughtful silence as acceptance and rushes over to crouch beside Fabian and explain, to convince him to accept the help, because Christ knows it's taken him weeks to get him to go to rehab before. I know this is a lot. He starts gently, well aware of Sirius's cold glare. But Sirius can help you. I promise. Remus, what the fuck is happening? You're friends with this psycho? Fabian mutters through gritted teeth, eyes enormous in his thin face. I, yeah, I guess I am. I trust him, and I need you to trust me. I don't need his permission. Sirius hisses and Remus shoots him a look, still only directly addressing Fabian. Please let him help you, let me help you. Fabe, you know your mum misses you. Your sister, your nephews. Remus thinks of little Ron Weasley in his class, Fabian's nephew. That was how they met. Fabian had taken Ron to the school fate where Remus had to do his part as a teacher and host a stall. James hadn't stopped with the innuendos about Remus giving out tickets for clowns swallowing balls and Remus was ready to pack it in after only a few hours of manning the stall, sweltering in the late summer humidity and wishing he volunteered for the dunking game instead. But then a red-haired man built like a powerlifter approached his stall, dragged over by a giggling Ron and Harry, with money already in his fist even as he protested, fondly telling his nephew he should pick a better game. You afraid of clowns, Mr. Weasley? Remus asked lightly, feigning offense. Pruitt actually. Fabian. I'm his uncle. And I'm Remus, his teacher. Although today I'm a waste of tertiary education, selling tickets at a fair. Good morning, Ron, Harry. Hi, Mr. Lupin. I like your clown nose. Makes you look silly. Thank you, Ron. Fabian chuckled, handing over money for two games, eyes raking over Remus's face, despite the giant red nose Tonks had insisted he wear, and he admittedly agreed only because she was the one that asked. So you're Mr. Lupin. My sister Molly said I should take a walk by your stall. Said I'd think you're cute. Remus was very thankful that Ron was focused on his game, with Harry as his second pair of eyes, because he was sure he never lived down the blush creeping up his neck. Oh, Molly's sweet. Shame about her eyesight. 
he replied dismissively in a slightly strangled voice. I don't know. Fabian shrugged with a devastatingly cheeky smirk. Can't tell with the clown nose on. Maybe I can get a proper look over dinner. Wow. Was it too smooth? It was too smooth. Remus couldn't help laughing. The hardest he'd laughed all day. And Fabian was all easy smiles and confident charm. He ended up spending a small fortune on a stupid clown game to keep his nephew occupied, while he asked about Remus's job and the kids and fuck, he was just... sweet. Funny. And his nephew adored him, swinging off his arm and calling him Uncle Fabe. Emotions flicker over Fabian's face, as if he's been reliving the same memory, and his jaw clenches. Make him let me go. Remus looks up and Sirius rolls his eyes. He raises his eyebrows pointedly and Sirius growls something unintelligible, shoving Fabian forward as he releases his arms. Remus shuffles back to give him room, and Fabian rubs his wrists, glaring at the floor. Please trust me, Fabe. For all the times, for everything. Remus tries again, not wanting to push but he can feel Sirius's impatience rising and he knows he's on the clock against an angry outburst. What if I'm not ready? Fabian mumbles so only Remus can hear, not knowing that Sirius can too of course, and Sirius rolls his eyes even harder. Remus hurriedly reassures him. I won't force you, you know I won't, but this is the best chance you'll ever get, I promise you that. Sirius here is a powerful guy, he's got a lot of influence. He can get you into the best place and it won't cost you anything. Fabian narrows his eyes glancing between Remus and the black boots which shift impatiently. And he'll do all of that for me. I know you see the good in everyone, Remus, but he's going to chuck me in a river the first chance he gets. Remus looks up to see Sirius has a contemplative expression, and then he makes a jerky shrugging movement. He won't, Remus says firmly, locking eyes with icy gray. Because I trust him. Fabian sighs. His hands are shaking. Look. It's real nice of you. But I've got people to see. Someone's looking for me and... It's a clean slate, Fabe. Remus presses a little desperately, grasping at Sirius's sleeve as he moves to make his way towards the front door. An empty threat because he's never needed to use a door, but he tugs at him to stay anyway, directing at his ex. You'll never get another chance like this. And if you don't take it... He pauses, stealing himself. Then I never want to see you again. Not for anything. This is all I can do for you. Fabian's eyes dart between Remus's hand holding onto Sirius's sleeve and the glower on Sirius's face. Realization dawns on his face. Oh, you and him? We're good friends. Remus corrects quickly, feeling Sirius stiffen. Fabian raises his eyebrows and chuckles ruefully. You've got a type. Christ. I. All right. Yeah. Okay. Fabian breathes, looking away. Can I have some time to just... No. Sirius interrupts curtly. Do I look like a taxi service? We're not making stops. Sirius leans down, claps a hand on Fabian's shoulder, and shoots Remus a dangerously sweet smile. Wish granted. Wait. Both Fabian and Sirius disappear with a flash. Remus doesn't move, his protest dying in his throat as he stares blankly at the space where he still sees that dangerous smile. Lighting flashes in the sky, illuminating the mess of the room and thunder follows immediately, crackling and sharp. Fuck. 
he didn't set the specific terms of the wish. It all happened too fast, Sirius didn't give him time to think and seeing Fabian after so long rattled him. He glances out the window. Hopefully he hasn't left a loophole big enough for the devil to find a way to kill his ex. Sirius doesn't stay away for long this time. He appears the next morning while Remus is anxiously spinning through the possibilities of what's happened to Fabian. He's suddenly there, the long lines of him leaning against the fridge when Remus turns to get milk for his tea. He's proud of the way he doesn't even jump anymore. You're an idiot. Sirius greets him snarkily. Good morning, Sirius. Remus scans his face. He almost looks tired, and his hair has been pulled up into a messy bun. Well, artfully messy. Something that would have taken a hairdresser at least thirty minutes, perfecting the little wavy strands that have sneaked out to elegantly frame his face. Remus blinks. How is he? He asks, flapping his hand at Sirius to move out of the way. He doesn't, so Remus sighs and tugs the fridge open bodily shifting him with it. He doesn't expect it to push Sirius into him, and he hastily steps to the side, ducking into the fridge. He's in pieces at the bottom of the ocean, the devil says smoothly, hands in his black jean pockets. Remus straightens and fixes him with a look. He's in rehab, Sirius amends sullenly, rolling his eyes. I've removed the codeine addiction and some other nasty shit you probably didn't know about. He just has to sort out the emotional dependency now. I've given him all the tools he needs. Remus raises his eyebrows. And he's got all his limbs. Yes. Sirius leans his hip against the bench so Remus has to reach his arm around him to pour milk into his tea. Not that he needs all of them. I was tempted. Sirius reaches into a pocket in the inner lining of his leather jacket. I took this back though. Something of yours? He holds out a gold ring with three diamonds set in the center. Remus pauses with the milk held in his outstretched hand. Exhales slowly. Thank you. He's glad his voice is steady. He doesn't know why he elaborates. There's no need to, but he does. It's my mum's. Sirius carefully places it on the counter where the diamonds refract the sunlight. He doesn't look surprised. His eyes are hard and cold. He knew when he took it. He adds coolly. Like Remus needs any more evidence of what Fabian will resort to these days. Remus turns away, busying himself with the fridge, thinking hard. Can I see him? Sure. Sirius arches an eyebrow smugly. Make sure you pack swimming trunks. California's beautiful this time of year. Remus slowly turns back to face him. California. He repeats tonelessly, wrestling his anger down. Rehab capital of America. None available on this continent. It's the best, Sirius insists, stealing Remus's freshly made tea and taking a sip. More than he deserves. Bring him back. Remus blinks, surprised at his own words. Where did that come from? Sirius seems taken aback too, eyes narrowed and his lips parted as if a quip died on his tongue. I, ah, uh, never mind. Forget it. Remus runs a hand over his face and then through his hair for good measure. It's not that he's still in love with Fabian. He got over that when he took Remus's phone and tried to trick Remus's parents into giving him money by telling them that Remus was in hospital and needed money for treatment, of course not knowing how poor his parents were. That one had been hard to forgive. The love hadn't survived it. But he always thought they'd end up back together at some point, after Fabian had sorted himself out. 
Their relationship had crumbled one year in, under the stress of Fabian having to take time off work as a paramedic due to an injured back. The pain meds were the only thing that helped him sleep, and then they were the only thing that helped him get through the day. He couldn't be himself without them. Weekly doctor's appointments for prescriptions soon turned into buying them off an old friend from high school, which turned into getting drugs by any means necessary. But before all that, before the lies and the stealing and disappearing for weeks at a time, he was the only guy Remus had ever actually pictured a future with. And if it wasn't ever going to be Fabian, then maybe there's no one meant for him. A part of him always hoped. But that's the problem, isn't it? Part of him is always hoping. Remus blinks out of his musing and finds that Sirius's eyes have lost their stormy anger and his face is curious and open. Inviting. Remus busies himself with making another cup of tea, having lost his first one to the devil's clutches. He hesitates as he looks into the cupboard, eyes catching on a mug that has world's best teacher in emblazoned rainbow letters. It was a gift from his mom. Too corny to ever take into work, but he's never had the heart to throw it away. I, I just thought things would be different, he confesses to the open cupboard. If Fabian got help and maybe if I was the one that helped him, maybe. I don't think that's how it works, sunshine, the devil says, not unkindly. Remus frowns, plucking out a plain green mug. I know, I know he wouldn't magically snap out of his addiction and be in love with me. It was just a silly thing that I didn't know I thought until now. But it wasn't ever going to happen that way. He stares down into the mug. Sorry, forget I asked to see him. I shouldn't. He's where he needs to be, away from everything, his triggers, his old friends. It was a good call. No one ever tells you it's so lonely trying to do the right thing all the time. He drowns a tea bag in boiling water and focuses very hard on scooping out the right amount of sugar. Out of the corner of his eye, Sirius slides closer, deep voice rumbling. I didn't do it for his sake. He was an idiot. Had no idea what he had, what he could have had. It's excruciating how kind his tone is. Remus shakes his head, gaze falling on the ring, glinting prettily. It used to catch the light when his mum would help him with his homework, sending shards of sunlight scattered across the pages. You can do better than him, Sirius insists, impatience edging through the sympathy. Remus looks up to see better lounging against the counter, face within arm's reach and framed so fucking prettily by those strands of hair. Close enough for Remus to reach out and brush them aside. How? How is he being undone by a few wayward strands of hair? Hum, that's what Lily said. That's what my mum said. Remus says tiredly, looking away. Before, well, anyway, I'm not exactly a catch. He gestures around at his apartment which is still a mess from Fabian ransacking it for cash and things to sell, making it look even more run down. He tidied up a little but part of him just wants to throw the rest away. Sirius's eyes narrow, fixed on his face. He doesn't answer. Remus takes a deep breath, gathering himself into something less negative and bitter. Thank you. Thanks for looking after him, for not messing with him, too much. He pauses, then adds with a smile. And thanks for bringing the ring back. Mum would have hated him having it. What, you didn't like your junkie boyfriend? Sirius asks with as much sensitivity as Remus has come to expect from him. Not as much as you'd think. Sirius picks up the ring, 
spinning it between his fingers and carefully examining the stones. His eyes have glazed over when he says, Something happened between you. Before she died. Remus blinks, frowning at the ring. Are you, are you getting that from touching it? Sirius cocks his head, gaze fixing on Remus's eyes intensely. No, I'm not a medium on a TV show. I know because even though you're a good liar, I'm better. What did he do? Nothing. Remus lies, fists clenching on the bench. Sirius arches an eyebrow. It wasn't him. Remus admits bitterly after a long pause. It was me. I, she was worried about me. She tried to tell me to be careful of him and I. Fuck. I. Hands gently lift his clenched fist and pry the stiff fingers open. He can tell Sirius is still listening carefully even though he's fiddling with the ring, absently sliding it onto each of Remus's fingers. The easiness of the touch somehow makes the words flow smoothly. I told her it was none of her business. Remus continues quietly. I thought I could help him and I didn't want to hear otherwise. I ignored her calls. She passed away a few weeks after that argument. Sirius pauses, turning the ring around on Remus's pinky finger, which is the only one it fits. You feel guilty? Sirius murmurs thoughtfully. Yes. That's typical. Excuse me. The self-flagellation is so you. You didn't kill your mum by disagreeing with her about your idiot boyfriend. I ignored her calls. She called me before she got into the accident, an hour before she... It's not your fault, Sirius says flippantly, like he knows anything about taking ownership for wrongs committed. I should have fucking... Remus's voice splinters and he takes a calming breath. He continues evenly. I never got to fix it. Sirius's hands drop, leaving the ring on the knuckle of Remus's smallest finger. Remus spins it absently, adrift in the sea of guilt and longing, wishing he could just talk to her. Look, I don't think she'd want you tearing yourself up over it forever. Sirius waves his hand. She'd want you to move on and be happy. That's what mums are like, right? Not that I'd know personally, but that's what I've gathered. Can you please start looking out for yourself now? And for fuck's sake stop mooning over that useless sack of shit you call an ex. Hey, I even said please. You did. Manners. Excellent manners. Would you like a sticker? Sirius laughs, the sharp noise of it rattling through Remus's ribcage, and he can't help smiling despite himself. Go on. Sirius pushes Remus's arm, still grinning. Wish for something for you. You've earned it. You deserve something. Money? A holiday? At least let me take you for breakfast. Remus ducks his head. They all sound wonderful. But he knows what he really needs right now. Hates that he's asking for it. Can you? He hesitates, steadies himself. Can you take me somewhere? Anywhere. The cemetery, where my mum's buried. Oh. It's all the way in Wales and I can't take time off work at the moment, and I know I should. I can do that. Sirius interrupts softly, and Remus has to look at him then, because all the impatience and bluntness has melted away. His face is soft and open, and so like the Sirius that braced Remus against the wall that drunken night, and Remus is full of questions. Do you need an address? He asks instead. Sirius shakes his head, stepping closer. His hand cups the back of Remus's head and his pulse flutters. Sirius murmurs. Just picture it. 
It seems impossible to picture anything other than the beautiful silvery gray of Sirius's eyes with him so close, so Remus shuts his eyes. The smell of ozone and he fills his nose, and he thinks about Tintern Cemetery, with the new church rising in the background, white and reaching for the heavens. Over the hill, the old church ruins are scattered beyond the headstones of hundreds of graves, dotted around the grass. Vines crawl along the barbed wire fence and bluebells bloom between the graves, little droplets of color bobbing in the breeze on the day that his mum was buried. He vaguely wonders if Sirius can see this memory, before he experiences the familiar cold, lurching feeling in his stomach and his knees buckle, even though his feet haven't quite left the floor. He opens his eyes. The bluebells are nowhere to be found but everything else is the same. He blinks in the late morning light and turns, Sirius's hand dropping from his head, as he marvels at the rolling hills and the old church that have replaced his flat. This is it, he says in wonder. Of course it is. The devil tuts. Remus frowns at the church so close. Thought you couldn't set foot on hallowed ground. Sirius rolls up a sleeve and taps a tattoo on his forearm that's shaped like a U in the middle of a pentagram. That's what this is for. Remus hums but his reply dies in his throat when his gaze catches on the ruins of the old church, the crumbling bricks just visible over the hill. He starts walking, as if in a trance, weaving through crumbling headstones and newer ones that gleam, dark and glossy in the sunlight. But he knows the one he's looking for. He hasn't been back here since she was first buried, but he knows the way. That day has been burned into his mind, down to the last bluebell. He slows as he reaches the edge of the cemetery, and gingerly squats in front of a small, light gray tombstone. Unassuming, although it's been maintained beautifully, with drooping carnations placed in a glass jar in front of it. His dad, probably. And there's another thing he feels guilty about. He swallows, brushing a stray leaf off the tombstone and pausing, hesitating with the words on the tip of his tongue now that he's here. I'm sorry I didn't visit enough. I'm sorry I got swept up with life and didn't call. I'm sorry I stopped calling completely when you said Fabian was bad news and I didn't want to disappoint you by not leaving him. I'm sorry I'm here now that I need something. I've been avoiding you for so long because I felt so guilty but now I need to talk to you and it's finally hit me that I can't, not ever again, and it's like you've died all over again. I'm sorry I didn't pick up the last time you called. I chose him and it was the wrong decision. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. He covers his face with one hand, leaning on the stone with the other. It's hot under his palm, warmed by the sun, and it's the oddest sort of comfort. Like there's still something alive here where she waits for him. He misses her like an ache in his chest, so acutely now after seeing Fabian again, after everything that happened with Sirius, which has been confusing in so many ways. He wants to ask her about it all. She was always his moral compass, the one who taught him to be kind and compassionate. And he doesn't know what to do. Is he putting his trust in the wrong person again? He mumbles the quietest of apologies to the stone, well aware that Sirius can hear every word clearly if he wants to, even though he's standing a few rows back. But it feels private enough anyway. He lifts his head once he can no longer bear hearing the apologies reverberate back at him off the hardness of the stone. He stares blankly over the crumbling ruins. It doesn't feel any better. The guilt still claws at his insides and there's no sense of absolution, 
no closure, like he'd hoped. None of it matters because she didn't get to hear any of it. He never got to tell her he's sorry. Sirius Footsteps crunch from his left, and he looks to see Sirius weaving between the graves, hands in his pockets, and looking unusually somber. You all right? Sirius takes care not to stand on her grave, and his hand flinches towards Remus's head, like he wants to touch his hair. Remus considers his next words carefully, twisting blades of grass between his fingers. I know you can't, you won't, but is there any way? He lifts his head to search the gray eyes. There must be a way. I just want to tell her something. Sirius stills, mouth turned down at the corners. There isn't. I'm sorry, sunshine. Remus nods, already knowing that would be the answer. He regretted it as soon as he asked. He drops his head, tracing the engraved words with his eyes. Hope Lupin. Adoring mother and wife. Equally adored. His father had chosen it. He hadn't been much help at the time with Fabian's issues going on as well. He blinks as his hair is brushed out of his eyes and he leans into the touch. It's so gentle. This is serious before the drunken kiss, before everything got so tense and bitter. He sighs, getting to his feet. The hand falls away. You can stay as long as you like, Sirius offers. It wasn't. It's enough. Thank you. Sirius transports them back in a blink of an eye, and Remus reels to be standing back in the exact spot in his kitchen, like it was all a dream. He looks down at his hands, some of his fingers stained green from the grass. I wish I could, Sirius says bitterly, breaking him out of his trance. I knew, you told me before, Remus shrugs, reaching for his cup. It's still warm somehow. But I would, Sirius insists earnestly. He hasn't stepped back after apparating, and his boots knock into Remus's shoes when he shifts. You know I would, if it would help. I know, I shouldn't have asked. Remus reassures him gently. Sirius doesn't look reassured. His eyes narrow and dart around frantically like he's searching for a solution. Another piece of Remus's heart breaks off. He thinks about what Sirius said again. No one's nice to me, not unless they want something. His guilt doubles. Hey, hey. Remus reaches for him, bracketing his face with his hands, making Sirius look him right in the eye. I shouldn't have asked it of you. I'm sorry. Please forget it. Sirius looks like he wants to snap back with something, defensive and snarling like an animal that expects to be hurt. So Remus keeps talking in the same soft voice. I never wanted you to come back because I needed something. I hoped you'd come back because you wanted to. I never intended to ask for this. I meant it. I like you, not what you can do for me. Sirius's face twists, and Remus doesn't recognize the emotion at first. It's so foreign on his face. It's uncertainty. I wanted to come back so many times. Sirius mutters quietly, frowning at Remus's shirt buttons. Emboldened, Remus admits. I missed you. Sirius freezes, wide eyes startled, not quite a deer caught in headlights, more like a dog who's heard a snatch of his favorite word and can't quite believe his good fortune. Remus throws caution to the wind and runs his thumb across his chin. He feels the jaw clench beneath his palm. I apologized because I was drunk, Remus murmurs, 
drifting closer, encouraged that Sirius allows him to. Not because it happened. Sirius's eyes are flickering between Remus's, like he's trying to catch him out in a deception, desperately looking for something to distrust. Remus stills, considering. He almost stops there but his heart is in tatters from seeing Fabian again and all the shit that comes with that, and from visiting his mum's grave, which confirmed his fears that he'll never outrun the guilt. What's one more hurt? What else does he have to lose? I like you, he insists with a sad smile. It's ridiculous and pathetic because you're a galaxy in a human body and I'm just an ant. I know humans fall at your feet all the time and I'm just another one. He seeks out the little brown speck in the silvery gray. You don't have to reciprocate, but I want you to know anyway. I don't want you to think I was using you or I don't care about you. His heart thuds heavily as he clutches onto the last of his courage, batting away his inner demons that cry he's not good enough for Sirius, not interesting enough, not attractive enough. Sirius came back when he needed help, without him having to ask. So Remus will make a fool of himself a little longer for the smallest, slimmest of chances that Sirius feels a fraction of what he does. Sirius's expression twists, like he's fighting himself. I'm not. I don't deserve you. What? You're so fucking righteous. Sirius snaps, like Remus is unreasonable for doing normal, nice things. I can't live up to that. You won't think I'm so great after you get to know me. The real me. This isn't the real you. It's... Sirius mouths silently, searching for words. I don't know what this is. Who I am when I'm with you. You make me want to be. I don't know. Better. But I'm the devil. I'll always be south of the moral compass. All I've seen so far is someone doing their best. Sirius's face flickers, eyebrows drawing together. He appears to fight with himself before his eyes harden and he takes a step back. Remus's hands fall limply to his sides. There's something I have to do, Sirius says firmly. I don't know how long I'll be, but I'll be back. Remus nods, not understanding at all, but nevertheless certain he's fucked up again. Sirius pauses, eyeing his slumped shoulders. He makes a cross over his own heart, and it glows white hot through the leather jacket. I promise, I'll be back. His eyes are wide and earnest and Remus believes him. Keep praying. It helps. I. Your voice in my head. It. It helps. And then he's gone again. The lights flicker overhead and mugs and plates shudder in place. Like Sirius took off with great force this time. Remus stares blankly at the place where he disappeared, turning the ring around on his finger. He decides he needs to talk to Lily. Sirius has been gone another day now, and he continues to pray to him, but he can feel himself dissolving into madness with all the unanswered questions. Luckily she's available the following day. Well, luck perhaps, or more likely she's made herself available for him, fiercely kind and thoughtful as always. She greets him at the door with a wicked grin and a bottle of wine. James took Harry to the football. You've got three hours to tell me everything. Games don't go for three hours, Remus points out as he toes his shoes off in the hall. They go for ice cream after and discuss the game blow by blow. She rolls her eyes and wanders off to the kitchen, long red hair waving behind her. Kick by kick. Whatever. Get cracking. 
Tell me all about Sirius Black. It's easier than he thought it would be. He tells Lily almost everything, tweaking the story so Sirius has a shady past instead of being the actual devil, and doesn't mention the wishes thing. So, not really everything. But it's enough to get across how torn he is over it. So he put Fabian in rehab himself. She repeats, green eyes wide as she absently crunches on a breadstick. And then he took you all the way to Wales to visit your mum's grave. Uh. Correct or not? Yes, yes, correct. And you're not sure if he has feelings for you? She says blankly, like she doesn't want to directly insinuate that he's stupid. He can read between the lines. It's not that, he argues, absently crushing a cracker into dust on his plate. It's not about whether he's interested or not, although I'd like to know for sure, obviously. I, I've put trust in the wrong people before. Am I doing it again? She chews slowly, thinking carefully. He can always count on her to tell him the truth. The brutal truth sometimes. But it's refreshing and what he needs right now. I can't tell you that. She says simply and he deflates. She touches his arm. But I can tell you, anyone that does that and asks for nothing in return, really genuinely cares about you. You haven't said exactly what he's done in the past and that's between you two, but you feel like you can trust him, knowing what you do, right? Remus nods but it turns into a shake of his head. But I trusted Fabe, I've trusted a lot of people I shouldn't have. I'm not a good judge of character. Yes you are. Lily points at him. You just don't listen to your instincts. I remember you saying you wanted to trust Fabian, not that you actually trusted him. Come on, you're good with people. What are your instincts telling you on this? Remus thinks hard, sipping the wine. It tastes expensive, but Lily had just shrugged when he asked what it was. Probably one from James's collection that he'll miss dearly. Either Lily nor Remus share his love for the finer things and he's forever bemoaning that he's the cultured one. Lily clicks her fingers. No thinking, just instincts, Lupin. First answer that comes to your head, do you trust him? Uh, yes. Was that so hard? He huffs in exasperation but he can't help his smile. She always makes everything sound so easy. She correctly interprets the huff. Look, I'm not saying blindly trust him now. Just trust yourself. Lily pauses to sip her wine, eyes narrowed over the rim of her glass as Remus frowns down at the cracker, reduced to dust. I can't get over him dragging Fabian off to rehab by force. Wait, tell me that bit again. She grins, leaning forward eagerly. Remus chuckles. I thought you'd like that. Ah, uh, and he got your mum's ring back too. And not that it should matter but he paid for rehab, he's obviously swimming in it. Dreamboat. Remus sighs. Under the table, his thumb touches his pinky finger, feeling for the ring and finding only skin. He took it off not long after Sirius left. Do you think mum would have liked him? He tries to ask casually, but the waver in her smile tells him he failed. She puts her glass down carefully. At first, maybe not. She replies thoughtfully. But after hearing all this, she would. He nods, wishing he had a nest. It's so childish, so vulnerable and unlike him, and he doesn't feel the reassurance he'd hoped for. The guilt claws its way back into his stomach. He smoothly changes direction. She liked you, 
I think I broke her heart when I told her we were just friends. Lily smiles knowingly but goes along with it. Um, and I ended up with James of all people. Settled, I suppose. My heart will always belong to you. She laments dramatically. Careful, it'll get pawned off the next time one of my exes robs me. Remus jokes with a half-smile. Lily snorts, absently rolling the cork from the wine bottle towards him. I don't think that'll be a problem with your new scary boyfriend hanging around. She grins at his look, amending. Sorry, not boyfriend. Friend that hangs around all the time who you kissed once and have feelings for. Such a mouthful. Sure I can't just say boyfriend. I'm sure. He rolls the cork back to her. Harry's been asking if you're going to get a boyfriend. She adds casually, and Remus almost chokes. He says you're always staring into space during reading time. Lily continues with a smirk. I think he thinks you're lonely. Takes after his father there, clueless even when it's right under his nose. What did you tell him? That you'll tell us if you want us to know. And that maybe you like someone. She pokes his arm and he feels like he's the one in middle school. Oh God. Relax, I think he just wanted to know if you got a boyfriend, would he come over and play football? I think he's trying to assemble a team. So far he's got his dad, Ron, Ron's brothers, and he says if he really, really can't find anyone else, me. Just wrote you off altogether I guess. The guy who doesn't even exist gets picked over me. It's school sports all over again. They laugh together and the space left by Sirius is obscured by the bright, shining sun that's Lily. He starts to come back to himself piece by piece as they talk, and he feels loose and calm again when James and Harry crash through the hallway, chattering loudly. Harry greets him cheerfully, giving him a tight hug that he only allows when they're not at school, and Remus is surprised to find himself holding back just as tightly. He's missed being his uncle instead of just his teacher since he got caught up in the chaotic whirlwind that's serious. He vows to fix that. Harry recounts the game for Lily and Remus, reenacting the best parts with additions from James, who beams with pride as he watches his son dart around a chair, pretending it's a Puddlemere player. They dutifully gasp and boo at all the right parts of the reenactment, and by the time the last goal is scored against Puddlemere's goalie, James, Harry's cheeks are bright red and his voice is an excited screech. Remus stays for dinner and catches up with James while he helps him cook, Lily wrangling an excitable Harry for a bath. After dinner, Harry drags Remus around his room, showing him new toys that he got since he was last here, and pointing out his science assignments that Remus had given him full marks for, stuck to the wall proudly. By the time Remus leaves, his heart is full again, and he's only thought of Sirius a dozen times. It's a start. Chapter 6 The Storm Sirius ducks behind a boulder, breathing hard and clutching at the wound in his side. Pine tree branches tremble in the breeze and birds chatter crossly with each other, fighting over territory in the peaceful, beautiful forest. The human whose heaven this belongs to, whistles contentedly as she strolls through the trees, touching her hands to the trunks adoringly. He's too exhausted to even try to hide and she freezes to see him squatting before the boulder, panting and bleeding. Ah, are you? He shakes his head desperately, holding a finger to his lips. Voices drift beyond the trees, from the direction he came from. He has to keep moving. 
Jumping between human personal heavens keeps the angels confused, but they can follow the trail his power leaves behind, like waves created by a ship cutting through a current. He doesn't have his full powers here, surrounded by everything divine and angelic, ugh, so he can heal himself completely, and using his power sends off a big blaring beacon to any angels in the vicinity. Here I am, backed by unpopular demand on a crazy suicide mission, alone and unarmed. Come have a crack. The human cocks her head, eyes flickering over his injuries. She nods her head in the direction behind her. He blinks. She nods again more insistently. He's taken aback by her kindness but recovers quickly, taking off running. Human kindness, that's how he got himself into this mess. He gathers his power, focusing on picturing where he's going next, rolling hills and countryside. There's some sheep milling around. Surely this is it now. Surely this must be Hope Lupin's heaven. She lived in Wales, right? He jumps into the darkness and lands heavily in tall grass, surrounded by sheep. They startle, bleeding frantically and scatter, and he needlessly pants at them to fuck off. An old man hammers at a fence post at the far end of the paddock, grumbling at the sheep to shut up and not noticing Sirius standing in his all-black outfit that looks so out of place among all the green. This isn't it either. He kneels in the grass for a moment to catch his breath and think. He's been searching for days. Countless heavens, running constantly, looking for hope. He must have been through half of Wales' past residents by now. Half of heaven's angel population too, fighting his way out of ambushes with the little power he's got, wishing he were facing them on earth where they've got equal footing and they'd be no fucking match for him. Not that he particularly wants to kill them. They were his brothers and sisters once, after all. Before the fall. Before humans were brought into existence and everything went to shit. He grits his teeth, pressing harder against the cut across his ribs. Fuck, this actually hurts. He hasn't felt pain in centuries. Hasn't fought an angel in centuries. Hasn't had to look his former family in the face in so long that he froze up, startled into momentary nostalgia. Weakness. The angels showed no such mercy. He supposes they've been fed the usual story. He's the origin of evil, the root of all the bad in the perfect little world God created. Whatever. They get in his way, they die. Sirius, I'm sorry again. I know I keep saying it. But whatever I said to make you leave, I really am sorry. He sinks further into the grass at the familiar voice in his head, a soothing balm to the constant fear and fighting, even though it's wrought with regret. If you're angry that I asked about Mum, I really meant it. Forget about it. I just asked because, I don't know, why do humans do stupid things? Why do I keep sticking my foot in my mouth when you're around? Just, come back, alright. We can go back to how it was. He closes his eyes. How it was. Spilling all of history's secrets. Lost to time, to Remus. Because he's the first person as far back as he can remember who looks at him with trust and no trace of fear. Even knowing who he is. He looks at him as an equal. Treats him with kindness which he's never deserved but he's addicted regardless. He was lost that first time Remus offered him dinner. It was everything he had and he split it down the middle to share with Sirius, who didn't need it. 
Remus offered because he thought he'd like it. The pancakes his mum used to make him when... Serious gasps. Fuck, sunshine, you're a genius. He exclaims to the grass. Out of the corner of his eye, he sees the old man turn towards him. Sirius ignores him, even when he shouts out. Oi, pretty boy, get the fuck off of my property. Scaring the sheep. Sirius grits his teeth, fingers clutching clumps of grass as he gathers his power again, picturing a familiar stack of pancakes, a small kitchen that Remus described in passing, a warm hearth where he told Sirius he liked to do coloring as a child when Sirius asked why some of his school kids were doing their arts on the classroom floor. The ground shudders and he's kneeling on hardwood floors instead of grass. Someone lets out a startled squeak but he ignores them for a moment, drawing a symbol on the floor, invisible to human eyes. It should hide him for a short while. Long enough. Who, who are you? He turns to the voice, taking in the cramped little farmhouse kitchen, with pots and pans hanging overhead and something cooking on the stove. A pretty blonde woman stands backed up against the counter staring with wide startled eyes. They're blue, not the familiar light shade of brown that melt into honey when the sunlight catches them just right. But the alarmed look on her face is a perfect picture of Remus when Sirius had first appeared that day, sitting on his dining table. He grins in relief. Hi, Hope. I've been looking everywhere for you. And you are? My name's Sirius, I. Ma. Duff said I could help him on the lower paddock if I... Sirius freezes as a child hurdles through the door and into the kitchen. The child slows and double-takes to see a tall, dark-haired man bleeding through his clothes, standing next to the dining table. Familiar light brown eyes look up at him as the boy steps back slowly, towards his mother. Hi, hello, he says politely, although his eyes quickly skin Sirius's ripped clothes and blood stains. Sirius stares. He can't be more than six or seven. Um, Remus. Hope says quickly, fixing a smile on her face. Why don't you go outside and get your da for breakfast? This man, Sirius, wasn't it? Sirius comes back to himself enough to nod. Wants to talk for a minute. Child Remus stares, thinking hard. Is he? Now, please. She says firmly and oh, that's where Remus got that voice from. The boy obediently walks back out the way he came, dragging his feet and looking back curiously at Sirius. Hope waits until he runs off, back down the garden path before she speaks again, sounding like she's gathered herself. All right, how can I help? I could patch you up, some of those look nasty. I've never seen someone hurt in heaven. Remus doesn't even scrape a knee here. Sirius shakes his head, coming back to himself now that the tiny Remus is gone. Fuck, he hadn't been expecting to see those big brown eyes here. Makes sense though, if this is Remus's mother's version of heaven, constructed from her fondest memories. The urgency of the situation resurfaces and he has a feeling she has the same eye for detail as her son, so he needs to talk fast. I have a message for you. I don't have much time so don't interrupt. So my son has made a deal with the devil. Sirius doesn't answer straight away, peering out of the window, scanning the vegetable garden for angels lurking among the cabbages. They haven't caught up with him yet. Thank fuck because Hope did not like being told not to interrupt and considers herself an active listener. 
He can see where Remus gets his snark to. Essentially, he replies distractedly. But it's not as bad as it sounds. Just ah, how do I? It's just a defiance of heaven and God thing. The devil doesn't necessarily want him condemned to hell. He glances over his shoulder to see a shrewd and calculating look on her face. All right, Nancy Drew. He fidgets, running fingers along a cut on his arm, trying to push his power into healing it. The area feels warm for a moment but the skin and muscle don't knit back together like they should, making him grimace. I told you, stop touching it. Hope tuts. You're going to give yourself an infection. Why you won't let me? And I told you. Sirius grumbles back. I don't get infections, I'm. He pauses, catching himself. Demons don't get infections. Hope sips her tea and raises an eyebrow. Oh yes, tell me again. You're a demon. Right hand of the devil, sent to bring you a message from your son and to take one back. He snaps impatiently, just like her infuriating son, always with the million questions. A demonic messenger. Now will you please? What I don't understand, Hope says pleasantly, ignoring Sirius's glower, is why you are risking your life for this. Clearly you are not welcome here among the angels that roam heaven. I see them from time to time, walking through the garden, surly lot. Why would the devil send just you to complete this task? A little risky, no. He grits his teeth, narrowly resisting the urge to set the room on fire. Because my life is inconsequential. Quit nitpicking and write, woman. She taps her pen on the paper he set out before her but doesn't write. Instead, she gets up to check the stove, transferring food to a plate. Sirius sighs despondently, sinking into a chair and running a hand over his face. He's beyond exhaustion. His power is thrumming weakly through his muscles and he desperately needs to get back to earth or hell. The longer he stays in heaven the more his power depletes from being surrounded by everything divine and angelic. Fuck, the very air tastes of their power. He looks up as a plate is set down in the middle of the table. An enormous stack of pancakes that smell familiar. He still makes these. Sirius mumbles absently, rubbing his temples. Hope smiles, and her eyes are oddly bright. I'm glad. Help yourself, wee demon. He glares at the nickname, and impatiently points at the paper. Today. He commands. After a pause he adds. Please. It works with Remus. She bites her lip which doesn't quite hide the smile and thankfully, finally, picks up the pen to start writing. I can hear him sometimes. She says conversationally as she writes. And Lyle too. But I didn't hear him tell me what you've just told me. How guilty he feels. Divine fate. Sirius mumbles with distaste when she trails off, discreetly pulling the plate towards himself. The power that controls everything. It decides what gets through and what doesn't. Don't ask me how it decides, that's how you get kicked out of heaven. She glances up, eyeing him thoughtfully. Is that what happened to the devil? He pauses with a rolled-up pancake on the way to his mouth and mutters tonelessly. So I've heard. She hums and continues writing. He chews slowly and closes his eyes as the familiar sweetness of the pancake soothes his nerves. It's exactly the same as Remus made. His eye for detail comes in useful sometimes. Hope stops writing again after about a minute of silence to ask. This devil, he's responsible for tempting Eve to eat the apple in the Garden of Eden, correct? The first sin. That much I remember. Sirius bristles, sneering. The first sin, 
opening humans' eyes to God's lies. What a horrific thing to do. And it was a peach, not an apple. Not that the Bible got much right, anyway. But who gets tempted by an apple? The wholemeal bread of the fruit world. Rather silly thing to do if God is all-seeing. Or this particular God is, I guess is more accurate from what you've told me. He's a, what did you say? An entity that exists on the same wavelength as other gods, the gods of the major religions existing as separate beings sharing the same power source. All right. She blinks, then waves her hand airily and continues. So if the devil knew God would find out, why would he do such a thing? For shits and giggles, I don't know. Sirius snaps. Hum, perhaps. She frowns, tapping her pen on the paper. I can't help but feel like there's more to it. Sirius grinds his teeth, rolling the last of the sweet flavor around his mouth. He decides to elaborate to get her to stop talking and keep writing. Well, from what I've heard on the devil's side of things, it's like this. This dear old dad has a loving family who obey his every command because they love him and he told them he created them for the sole purpose to obey. To be honest, they've probably got Stockholm Syndrome. She hums an acknowledgement as her pen scratches over the paper. Sirius's gaze drifts out the window into the garden. And then the dad decides they're not enough. He can make something better. He goes off and makes another family. Humans, he calls them. Doesn't abandon his old kids though. No, no. He makes them the watchers, protectors and servants of the new kids. Tells them the humans are better in every way, even though they would disobey him in a heartbeat, with just the slightest push. And God doesn't believe his former favorite son when he tells him this. Says they're perfect. So the son proves him wrong and holy fucking hell, does dad hate to be proved wrong? Sirius shudders and tears his eyes away from the garden to find Hope folding up the paper and looking at him thoughtfully. Sounds like an awful father, she says quietly. Hmm if the devil is to be believed, Sirius answers dryly. But he's the king of lies, right? And yet my son doesn't believe he's a liar. From what you've told me he's starting to trust the devil. He watches her slide the letter into an envelope, and he stands to take it. Hope holds his gaze as he reaches for it, and says deliberately. He's put his trust in the wrong people before, but I think he's learned what he needed too from it. He won't make the same mistake twice. He's not sure if she's implying that Remus doesn't really trust him, or if maybe she's the same brand of foolish as Remus is and has decided to give the devil benefit of the doubt. He straightens, sliding the letter carefully into a pocket in the lining of his jacket. He holds her gaze, trying to figure it out. I think he'd better be going, she says quickly, demeanor shifting to concern, eyes snapping to the window. Sirius glances back and sees two frowning angels at the end of the garden path, approaching the cottage. He doesn't recognize them from this distance, and he's not sticking around to find out. He turns back to Hope, wanting to say something, to admit who he is and that yes, her son inexplicably trusts him and maybe he shouldn't because he's been a hurricane of apathetic chaos for so long he doesn't know if he can actually be good anymore. And he's terribly tempted to tell her that he wants to be... He wants to help Remus and make his life easier, and give him everything he's ever wanted. He stopped trying to tempt him into condemning himself a long time ago. Remus deserves the world but he doesn't know if he should be the one to give it to him, if he trusts himself not to be an arsehole. But he wants to try. Instead, he just gapes wordlessly at her, the words caught in his throat. 
Her eyes flicker over his hesitation and she smiles knowingly. Look after him for me, wee demon. Treat him right. Go on now, I'll tell them you went the other way. He exhales sharply and nods, tearing off out the back door. He runs as fast as this form will take him. He has no wings to spread out and fly, so there's no use transforming into his angelic form, but the awful scars on his back still tingle with phantom sensation. His mind still reaches for his wings when his adrenaline is pumping, and he's desperate enough to imagine that the feathers start to spread, that he can feel the wad pooling in the muscle they were torn from. His feet pound the uneven pavement, and he focuses his power on his little corner of hell, the place where he's safe and can recharge. But then movement catches his eye. There, walking up from a paddock down the hill, Child Remus is waving his arms above his head, chattering at the side of a tall man who stoops to hear him. The man looks up at the sound of approaching footsteps and Sirius almost trips. It's Remus. Remus in a thick, gray woolen jumper, darned at the elbows, worn jeans, and Wellington boots. Da, that's the man. That's the man in the kitchen. I told you. Little Remus exclaims, pointing frantically at Sirius. Oh, of course, the man next to him must be Lyle, Remus's father. Or at least, Hope's memory of Lyle. Fuck, Remus is going to be even hotter in ten years with Grey at his temples, if this tall, rugged clone of him is anything to go by. Oh shit, he's lost his focus and his power is already burning white hot in his hands and his home in hell isn't clear in his mind anymore. Instead all that's in his head is Remus, standing in the lounge room of his pokey little flat, clutching a book and laughing at something serious said, eyes bright and his smile fond and fuck. Sirius is gone for a full five days. For the first few Remus theorizes on where he might have gone, why there was sudden urgency in his voice before he left. If it wasn't for the promise Sirius made with eyes so earnest and genuine, then Remus would have written off his leaving as not reciprocating his feelings and left it at that. This is something else though. He continues the prayers, even though they're mostly apologies and assurances that he's not going to keep making awkward fumbling passes at him if that's why he keeps running away. Fuck, even in his head it's embarrassing. By the fifth day, he doesn't even glance over his shoulder anymore. There hasn't been a sign of Sirius at all, not even afternoon coffee gifts. He's just finishing marking homework for the afternoon, and he gets up to make another cup of tea when something crashes through his living room. There's no warning, there's just his music playing at a low volume and then the cracking of wooden furniture breaking, books falling to the floor, and then the crash of something heavy landing. Remus finds himself standing in the doorway, gaping at his living room appended for the second time in a week. A bookcase has toppled, propped up only by the couch, books spilling all over the floor. The dark wood coffee table has snapped clean in two, which should be almost impossible, but then Remus sees what landed on it. Sirius lies next to the crack table, silent and unmoving, limbs sprawled elegantly even now. Remus is beside him before he's even registered what he's seeing. Sirius is covered in injuries, shallow cuts that look clean and precise, like they've come from a blade, and what look like burn marks, pink and raised. A few look like they're a few days old, but most look fresh enough that Remus glances around the room for a foe that might have followed Sirius. He hesitantly scoops Sirius's head into his lap, 
smoothing hair off the pale face. He doesn't really know where to start. He's never seen Sirius injured before, didn't know he could be hurt. He's always seemed so. Invincible. Remus's hands hover over the worst of the cuts, across Sirius's chest where something has sliced through the leather jacket and shirt, leaving a wound open and sinewy enough to make his stomach turn. He tries not to think about what kind of weapon or opponent could give these kinds of injuries to the devil, who he's never even seen break a sweat. He leaves to get his first aid kit and returns, pulling and tugging Sirius up onto the couch. He half expects him to wake when he rolls him awkwardly and Sirius's arm flops uselessly, smacking his face with his own hand, but he still doesn't stir. Remus cleans his wounds as best he can, and patches him up, taking his time to carefully stick plasters over the injuries. He's even more careful not to let his eyes linger on pale skin or let his hands stroke through the tangles of his long, black hair. Remus doesn't know if the bandages will help, or if when Sirius wakes, he'll blink his eyes and be brand new again, but it feels better than doing nothing. He wanders around the room, writing it again for want of something more useful to do. Once that's done, he pulls up a chair beside Sirius, reading a book but looking up furtively every few sentences. After taking half an hour to read one page, he's back to checking Sirius for a fever and trying to get him to drink water through a soaked cloth. A few hours of frantic energy later, he tires himself out and dozes in the chair. When he wakes again, it's dark outside and the couch is empty. He jumps up with a strangled yell, because he's gone again. He never got to say sorry in person, shit, he's fucked up again. But a deep voice calls through the apartment, and Remus exhales sharply. He follows the voice and freezes to see Sirius sitting on the railing of his balcony, perched precariously on the edge. He almost shouts before he remembers this is the devil, and a fifty-foot drop is as dangerous as stepping off the sidewalk to him. I don't remember having a gargoyle. Remus greets Sirius in a deliberately even voice as he steps out onto the balcony. Sirius looks over his shoulder, and Remus's breath is lost again. A storm rumbles above them, dark gray clouds pressing against the night sky, and Sirius's black hair is blown back from his face, eyes bright as he smiles, and all the feelings Remus has been trying to suppress for the past few days slam into him with the force of a truck. Oblivious to Remus's sudden wave of longing, Sirius makes a ridiculous twisted face with his tongue out. Oh, probably a gargoyle face. And it surprises a snort out of Remus. It's honestly ridiculous how much he's missed him. Still too good looking for a gargoyle. Falls out of his mouth and fuck fuck fuck. Stop hitting on him, Lupin. It's a miracle Sirius doesn't launch himself off the balcony to get away from him this time. He just raises an eyebrow, accompanied by a little smirk. Remus tries to smooth over the comment, stepping forward, hands on the railing so he can get a proper look at Sirius's injuries. How are you feeling? Remus can see his skin through the tears in his white shirt and dark jeans, and it's once again unblemished and smooth. Like there were never any cuts or burns, and Remus's carefully placed bandages have been removed. Sirius sees him looking and his expression is unreadable. Sorry. I didn't have time to aim properly. Apparated into your bookcase. Leaving heaven without wings is harder than I thought. It's fine. Are you alright? Did you say heaven? Yeah. Sirius chuckles humorlessly. Got ambushed. 
By who? Remus steps closer, raising a hand to touch his arm where his white shirt is torn, where a wound used to be. Sirius tips his head up at the sky, which blankets them in stormy gray, thunder rumbling in the distance. Angels. Oh, you fought them. One, two. Why? Sirius spins gracefully to face him, stepping down to lean against the railing instead of looking like he's going to leap off it, and Remus untenses a little. Sirius reaches into his jacket pocket and pulls out an envelope. Remus frowns in confusion. It only deepens when Sirius holds the envelope out to him. I went to get this, Sirius explains softly. It was the only way I could help. Remus stares, fingers fumbling the envelope. Sirius, you didn't have to. I said I didn't. I wanted to. Sirius shrugs, face oddly blank. Remus hesitates, and then opens the envelope, unfolding the letter that's inside. His face drops as soon as he sees the familiar chicken scratch writing. Dear Remus, I've never been so happy or so sad to hear your words recited for me by this lovely young man. My darling boy, read this very carefully and never forget it. You never have to be sorry for living your life. I'm so proud of the man you've become, and even when you don't listen to my advice, I'm happy you are forging your own path. I've never been disappointed in you, you've been a pleasure to raise, and I cannot wait to see all the wonderful things you'll do in your life. You were the kindest, most compassionate son I could have asked for, even when you were only four or five, you used to leave little drawings hidden all over the house for me to find when I was in a bad mood to cheer me up. I kept them all. I used to look at them when I missed you. And I knew you were out there, growing up, and still inserting those little bits of kindness in others' lives. It's who you are. Never stop, my darling. Sirius tells me you are worried I won't approve of what you are doing, this deal with the devil. Of course, I'm going to tell you to be careful, I'm your mother. But I trust you to know what you are doing. Besides, he came all this way, fighting tooth and nail with all of heaven to bring your message to me, under this Sirius alias. As if I were born yesterday. I don't think he's half bad. Now, he's hurrying me along, so I have to say goodbye for now. I want you to live your life, trust yourself, and follow your heart. And please, one last thing for me, call your da. He misses you terribly, and whatever guilt you feel, I promise he's never thought anything but the world of you. I love you. For as long as you live and in all that comes after. Ma. P.S. Please thank Sirius for me for getting this back to you safely, he's done a tremendous job. Handsome too. He has to read the last few sentences through blurred vision, tears falling thick and fast on the edges of the paper. He senses Sirius shifting awkwardly, but he has no words, no thoughts to spare after reading through his mother's letter. He stands there for several minutes, looking at the writing blankly, swallowing and trying to wrestle back some composure. Sirius finally breaks the silence, muttering nervously. Are you all? He grunts as Remus crushes him in a tight hug wrapping his arms around broad shoulders and burying his face in his hair. Thank you. I can't. Thank you, Sirius. He pours his genuine gratitude into the soft hair, breath hitching. Sirius hesitates and then arms are wrapping around Remus's waist, holding back just as tightly. Consider it a gift. Sirius replies softly. Remus pulls back far enough to see his face, to drink in the familiar elegant curve of his cheekbones the permanently haughty arch of his eyebrows, the gray eyes that grow warmer every time he sees them. Why? Why did you do this for me? You got hurt. You could have. Isn't it obvious? 
Should it be? You're really going to make me say it. Sirius huffs, shutting his eyes for a moment, as if gathering himself. Because you're not just a soul to me anymore. I don't know when I stopped seeing you as just another silly human to corrupt, but you're different. You make me feel different. The storm still rumbles overhead but Remus doesn't see or hear it, nor the wind whipping his hair around his face. He stares wide-eyed, with eyes only for Sirius. Sirius did this for him. He wasn't running away. When he kisses Sirius this time, he's completely aware of what he's doing, even though he's drunk off happiness and awe and sheer shock. Sirius hums in surprise, but the arms don't retract and after a moment, they pull him closer, which leaves Remus sagging into his arms in relief. It's different this time. It's less teeth and swaying and overwhelming urgency. This kiss is a question answered. What Sirius did for him, how he found a way to bring him the one thing he needed, is beyond anything Remus ever expected. Lily's voice is in his head, adding to the growing tally of ways Sirius has shown that he cares about him, and this overshadows them all. It's in the way Sirius cradles his jaw when he kisses him, holding him in place to dip his tongue into Remus's mouth, gentle in a way that he doesn't think Sirius is with anything else. He doesn't need to hear it confirmed in words because the evidence is held tightly but carefully in his fist, retrieved all the way from heaven, the one place Sirius told him he wouldn't go. As if on cue, the sky releases a deafening clap of thunder and Remus breaks the kiss to glance up, flinching at another flash of lightning. Sirius is grinning, hands slipping into Remus's hair. They're just angry I made it back out in one piece. Ignore it. A fat water droplet falls on Remus's cheek and he blinks. They won't come after you. Is the only thing holding him back from jumping Sirius right now. Nah. Sirius's grin widens. I'm back to full strength. They wouldn't dare. The sky rumbles as if responding in outrage, and Sirius's confidence is thrilling in a way that's primitive and animal and not at all what Remus usually is. But he's feeling all kinds of reckless tonight. Sirius kisses him again, and it's as if the crackle of lightning overhead has singed the air around them, intensifying everything. A storm in a human body. That's how he always thinks of Sirius. Crackling lightning, rolling thunder, unpredictable, wild. It's in the way he pulls Remus roughly against him, a growl rumbling from his chest, teeth nipping at his lower lip. A calm sunny morning turning to rough weather in the blink of an eye. The gray sky spins and Remus's back is pressed up against the cool brick wall. He arches his neck, trying to catch Sirius's lips again but then Sirius has the nerve to stop, resting their foreheads together while he breathes hard. Tell me you don't want this, he demands sharply. Tell me right now and I'll stop. Remus shakes his head immediately, huffing impatiently and not bothering with words, pulling Sirius down by his neck into another kiss. It's good enough for Sirius because he doesn't hold back anymore. Remus gasps as Sirius presses roughly against him, the force of it unexpected but most fucking definitely welcome. If this is post-fight adrenaline somehow still singing in his veins then Remus is happy to be the outlet. Sirius's hand cups his jaw, the other on his waist, the bricks are catching the threads of his jumper, and Sirius's tongue licking into his mouth eclipses it all. It switches Remus's brain over into primitive mode. He clutches desperately at the white shirt, fingers hooking in the rips in the fabric, scrabbling to get a grip on something, 
to keep his head so he doesn't sink to his knees in full view on the balcony of his apartment. Sirius doesn't seem bothered about public indecency, abandoning Remus's mouth to kiss across his jaw, leaving a trail of wet that cools in the air, making him shiver. Wait, actually. Remus opens his eyes. It's raining. Thick and fast, but he's mostly sheltered, pressed against the wall under the eaves of his upstairs neighbor's window. Sirius is getting drenched. Just like before, he doesn't seem to mind, solely focused on sliding warm hands up underneath Remus's shirt and tonguing along his jaw. Remus clutches at his broad shoulders and finds the shirt wet. Oh fuck, this is what started it all. Seeing Sirius in that wet shirt that day in the car park had been the start of his downfall, and there hasn't been a single day where he hasn't drifted back there, thinking of the outline of his stomach underneath the clinging fabric, or the dark shadows of the tattoos across his chest. Remus pushes at the firm shoulders so he can lean back and appreciate the sight openly. The real thing is even better than the memory. Sirius isn't soaked through yet, but it's getting there his hair weighed down and dripping onto his shirt which is about as useless at covering him up as a napkin at this point, with all the rips and growing transparency. Sirius sees him looking and roughly pulls it over his head. Remus has just enough non-primitive brain left to put a hand on his bare chest, it's like a furnace, to stop him from crowding him against the wall again. Inside is what he manages. Sirius is only able to summon a grunt in response. Remus blinks, and then his bedroom walls have replaced the balcony and he doesn't even have time to think about the familiar feeling of apparition in his stomach, or the fact that Sirius is so desperate to continue that he couldn't walk the few feet to his bedroom, because Sirius is shirtless and breathing hard and fuck. Pale skin gleams with rain, decorated liberally with stark black tattoos. Remus trails fingertips in wonder over the intricate maze of symbols interlocking and crawling over each other. Most of them he doesn't know, but there's pentagrams, a symbol like two claws attached end to end that he recognizes as the Buddhist Vajra, something that could be hieroglyphics, and a tree, a pagan symbol. He cocks his head to follow a trail of what looks like Latin writing marked across a bicep that could be made of marble. How does the devil stay so fit? Surely he doesn't exercise, does he use his power to look like this? Sunshine Remus jerks out of his daze to see Sirius looking fondly exasperated. You're looking at me like I'm an old book. Remus blinks, running his palm flat over the dark ink over Sirius's pecs, smirking at the slightest hitch of breath when he brushes over a nipple. Oh I never think about books this way, trust me. But what does this mean? Later, after him. Sirius swallows his next words in an impatient kiss, pushing him backwards until his legs bump against the bed. Clothes are divested quickly, pausing only at the discovery that the devil doesn't wear underwear, and holy fuck, he's packing, and Remus can't quite pinpoint the moment that they both agree he's the one getting fucked tonight, but he ends up lying back on the bed with Sirius's mouth on his cock and lubed fingers up his arse, and not a single thought in his head besides more. And maybe a few words of appreciation for Sirius's talent at giving head. He's clearly learned a few things mingling with humans for millennia. Remus scrabbles at a firm shoulder as Sirius swallows him deeply, his mouth gloriously wet and hot and tight, and oh fuck, his fingers know exactly what to look for, pressing up with unnerving accuracy and rubbing over his prostate mercilessly.
He doesn't seem to have a gag reflex, or he's controlling it for Remus's sake, because he sinks right down till his nose is huffing against Remus's skin without his eyes even watering. Remus bucks into the tight heat and shudders at the intensity of it all, mind split between Sirius's throat milking his cock and the building waves of pleasure shaking through his body from the constant pressure on his prostate, and his hand forms a fist in the silky black locks, tugging, trying to warn Sirius. It's embarrassing how quickly his orgasm sneaks up on him, ferociously pulled from him like Sirius is demanding his body give it up with unrelenting fingers and tongue. It barely has time to build, crashing into him with all the force of a storm, tearing a strangled cry from his throat and making his hips jerk uncontrollably. Sirius doesn't back off, sucking determinately until Remus is squirming from overstimulation and desperately pushing his face away. Even as he trembles in the come down, eyes shut tightly as he tries to gather himself, he can feel Sirius watching, the heaviness of his gaze. Sirius releases him, and Remus tips his head back, running a hand over his face. Sorry, you're, fuck you really do know what you're doing. Remus chuckles breathlessly, his cheeks warm, mind floating uselessly. Just give me a minute and I... He jerks snapping his eyes open as intense heat trails up his cock. Sirius is sliding a finger up the softening length. Only it was softening a moment ago. Now he watches with wide eyes as his cock hardens again, barely a minute after an orgasm. He hasn't managed that since he was a teenager. Sirius grins at him, eyes dark and half-lidded, lips pink and full from stretching around his cock and yep, he's fully hard again. Power-enhanced sex, that's something he hasn't considered before. Oh God, he's going to die. Just a little boost. Sirius murmurs, voice low and hoarse as he wraps a hand around Remus's cock. You didn't think I'd stop after just one, did you? Remus rolls his hips up into the grip, groaning at the firm heat of Sirius's fist. He grits out. I'm not complaining. Sirius leans over him, hair tickling his chest and shoulders as he mouths at his neck. Fingers slide into Remus once more, pumping slow and shallow, and he arches his back, already bearing down on them, trying to encourage more. Sirius nips at his neck, murmuring, You want more? Sounding terribly satisfied with himself. Remus grunts in frustration because what a stupid fucking question. He swears Sirius just likes to hear himself talk sometimes, and now is not the time. He reaches down to hold Sirius's wrist in place so he can grind down on his fingers properly, taking them deeper. He exhales sharply in relief and is privately pleased to see Sirius stunned into silence, eyes wide and fixed on his own fingers disappearing into Remus's body. So maybe Remus hasn't been doing this for a millennia, but it's not his first rodeo. Been a while since being on the receiving end, sure but he's wanted this since the first time Sirius perched himself on his desk, and he's done being patient. Thankfully, Sirius gets the message. He tugs his wrist out of Remus's grip, and then he's wrapping Remus's legs around his waist, bending him in half over the bed. So confidently. Like he knows this is how Remus has dreamed of this. Pressed back into the bed and Sirius's face above him so he can see how good he feels so he can watch his face when he comes inside him. And who knows? Maybe he could sense where Remus's thoughts strayed. He said he can detect people's sins, right? Surely it must count as a sin, 
the amount of times he's wanked to a fantasy of Sirius slamming him into the headboard, hands bruising his hips and then gripping the sheets either side of his head as Sirius arches his back and loses himself. He has a feeling the fantasy isn't even going to compare. Sirius lines himself up, and Remus finds himself pulling at Sirius's hip and gripping the back of his neck tightly in demand. Sirius grins, rolling his hips slowly, sliding, hot and wet and smooth, the head catching where Remus needs him most, but not pressing hard enough. Sirius. Yes. Fucking move. Oh, sorry. Did you want? Remus grabs a fistful of black hair and pulls Sirius down so they're nose to nose. I'm not playing. Fuck me right now. Sirius's lashes flutter like he wants to shut his eyes, and hunger chases across his face. He doesn't answer but the grinning jokester is gone and what's left is desire, raw and dark and animal. When Sirius pushes into him it's both a relief and a sharp reminder of the fact that he hasn't done this in a while. He can feel every inch of Sirius's cock and fuck it feels enormous now, impossibly big, surely this will never fit. His breath catches and his body refuses to relax, even though he wants this, wants this so bad he's frantic with it, but he has to close his eyes tightly to try to untense. Warm hands stroke over his skin, down his chest, down his thighs, over his hips, chasing the tension with soothing touch. Take a breath, whispered in his ear. He inhales sharply and focuses on the feeling of Sirius's lips on his neck, sucking a kiss into the sensitive skin. And oh that's good, that's. He shudders, his body pulsing. Something cold and slippery is added to the pressure, and the resistance eases. Remus bites his lip at the glorious stretch of Sirius sliding deeper as he discovers with hitched breath and a hammering heart that yes, yes he will fit. The lips turn into teeth and Sirius is rocking his hips and then everything goes a bit blurry. The embarrassing number of fantasies Remus has had about this never quite captured the intensity of it. Sirius props himself up so he can roll his hips in a way that keeps almost constant pressure on his prostate, and it's the most exquisite kind of torture, pulling low groans from between gritted teeth. He doesn't even need anything touching his cock with Sirius clearly able to zone in on his prostate like he has a map to Remus's body and X marks the spot and he's never been able to come with just this but if anything can get him there it's this. The building waves crash into him again with increasing frequency, pleasure climbing with each roll of Sirius's hips, and it's even more of a turn-on, to feel like he has no control over his own orgasm. Sirius is going to pull him over the crest whenever he wants, however many times he wants. Remus is vaguely aware of mumbling. Gonna, oh god, I'm gonna. Sirius stops. Remus groans in frustration and grabs at him again to demand that he finish what he started, but Sirius pulls out and backs away out of reach. He stands at the edge of the bed and grabs Remus by the thighs, yanking him closer like he weighs nothing, and he probably doesn't to an all-powerful being. Sirius's grin is a picture of evil when he says, Not yet. You're not. I'm gonna fucking ruin you first. You won't ever want another man again. He punctuates it by thrusting back in and Remus can't even argue with the sudden possessiveness, his throat tight around a strangled shout. Sirius grips his thighs, holding him firmly in place and lets loose. This is what Remus pictured, all those nights alone with just his hand for company. Sirius towering over him, 
muscles rippling beneath his tattoos as he holds Remus in place and fucks into him. A wild storm of energy unleashed, untethered by the limitations of the human body. His thrusts are hard and deep and he doesn't need to slow down to catch his breath or to stop himself from coming. He chases Remus's pleasure as if it's his only goal. Turning him into a babbling mess is all serious cares about. It's so intoxicating in its unfamiliarity. Remus is used to being the one that gives, that delays his own pleasure to make sure his partner is taken care of. It feels selfish and primal, taking whatever Sirius is dishing out and mindlessly demanding more. Remus scrabbles at the sheets, gripping tightly, and he's never been a big talker but words are spilling out of him, slurred and mumbling and he's sure Sirius has to use his supernatural hearing to understand any of it. Fuck, that's so good, it's so good. You're so, fuck, oh my god. Sirius thrusts particularly roughly, his beautiful face twisting as he growls. Not him, my name. You only say my name. Whatever you want, just don't stop. Say it. Remus arches into the mattress, mind a blissfully blank slate, for once completely inhabiting his body rather than his mind and he's aware of every singing nerve ending that screams for more. Sirius, Sirius, Siri, oh fuck. Sirius's hips stutter, losing some of the rhythm, and Remus is vaguely aware that it's his words that are chipping away at some of that unnatural composure, where Sirius is clearly enjoying himself but able to control his own release. But the thought is lost as soon as it appears, as the stretch and pressure and slide builds into one tsunami of a wave. He's helplessly rushing towards climax again and he thrashes, arching, crying out, taken over by something primal and animalistic. White-hot pleasure soaks his nervous system and nothing else exists but the grip on his thighs and the pressure inside him, and he's vaguely aware of crushing Sirius between his legs but it doesn't matter, because nothing matters right now but the floaty, heady feeling of coming without touching his cock. It's incredible. How was sex ever enjoyable before this? This is otherworldly. Sirius doesn't stop completely after he comes, grinding slowly into him, milking the trailing end of his orgasm out of him, and it's just tipping over into too much when he pulls out, leaving Remus empty and shuddering. Hands slip under his hips and Remus blinks dopily as he's effortlessly flipped onto his front, his boneless body offering no resistance. His brain is still uselessly humming in satisfaction when Sirius reaches around and gently strokes his cock. Remus hisses at the overstimulation, but then it's melting back into pleasure, and he half sobs as he hardens again. He collapses into the bed and scorching heat covers him as Sirius drapes himself over Remus's back, biting at his shoulder. I did tell you. Sirius murmurs in his ear, voice low and rumbling. I was gonna ruin you, sunshine gonna keep you coming until you can't take it anymore. Fucking hell, I could watch you come forever. Remus shivers and despite his exhaustion, his back automatically arches into the heat, Sirius's words going straight to his cock, which is impossibly hard again where it's pressed into the bed. Sirius's cock slides against his lower back and as his hips roll, it slots into place, nudging against his arse again. Sirius is going to be the death of him. He's going to fuck him to death, and he's going to die happy. When Sirius thrusts into him again, Remus hides his face in the rumpled covers to muffle his groan. His body is wrung out and exhausted, offering no resistance, 
and his mind is a useless mess. This is so far beyond what he imagined, and it's amazing. It's second nature now to direct his thoughts at Sirius in a prayer, and he's not even aware he's doing it, mind rambling in a broken, lost train of thought. Fuck, Sirius, I didn't even know I could come that hard. And I still want more, I still want you to fuck me into the bed. I want all of it, all of you. Hot breath hitches against his shoulder, and Sirius's hips jerk sharply. Interesting. Remus pushes back and sends another thought, deliberately this time. I want to see you lose control, stop holding back. I know you're not letting yourself feel everything. I want you to feel it. Let yourself feel how tight I am around your cock, fuck you're so big. Can you feel how much I fucking love this? He bears down purposefully, tightening and grinding back, grinning into the mattress as Sirius chokes, mumbling something garbled into Remus's shoulder. You can feel that, can't you? All for you, take what you want. Fuck me, come in me. I want you to come in me. Does it count as a sin if you come inside me? Fuck. Sirius gasps, rhythm crumbling, hips thrusting wildly. Remus, you're... I can't if you keep doing that. Remus grunts as Sirius's full weight presses into his back. Sirius's hips pump faster, uncontrolled and desperate, and Remus pushes back as much as he can, trying to rise to his elbows and knees, but Sirius is holding him down. It's addictive, the way he can feel Sirius losing control. If Sirius has power over Remus's body then it only seems fair that Remus has his mind in a chokehold. You like that, don't you? Thinking of coming inside me, knowing I want it. Getting me all messy and fucked out. I want it so bad, Sirius, I want everything. I want you to come so deep inside me and I don't give a single shit what it means for my soul. And then I want to fuck you and make you feel so good. I bet no one's ever had you the way I'm going to. Remus. You clever little. Sirius pants, breaking off as he groans, rich and guttural. Sirius adjusts his weight so he can slip a hand between Remus and the bed to grip his cock in a tight, hot fist. It's sensitive after being neglected for so long and Remus moans into the bed, thoughts stuttering to a halt. He can feel Sirius grinning against his shoulder and he reaches back grasping a fist of hair in his hand to remind Sirius that he's not completely under his control. It's close, though. Remus can't even control his own voice anymore, grunting and moaning with every thrust, and he vaguely senses that he's drooling on the covers. He doesn't care. All that exists now is Sirius's cock slamming into him and the teeth biting down on his shoulder and the tight warmth of the hand he's pumping into. Fuck, fuck, fuck. Sirius. Sirius's hips stutter, his teeth sink mercilessly into Remus's shoulder, biting around a vicious growl, and Remus gasps as heat fills him. The hand on his cock speeds up demandingly as Sirius's hips continue to thrust erratically, shallow but deliberately nudging against his prostate, and then he's coming again. This one's almost too much, wrenched out of him forcefully, his whole body spasming, arching his back into Sirius with a shout that might have been Sirius's name but he's too far gone to know. It's several minutes before he drifts back to reality, down from the hazy cloud of his third orgasm. Sirius is mouthing lazily at his shoulder, where it must be bruised and raw from his teeth, and Remus hums giddily at the thought of him leaving a mark. Sirius rolls off, leaving him empty and shuddering, 
covered in sweat and cum. He turns his head and chuckles at Sirius's blissful faraway gaze, looking up at the ceiling on his back. Remus gingerly rolls onto his side to face him. I guess it shouldn't be a surprise that the devil is good in bed. Remus slurs lazily, grinning. But holy fuck, that was something else. I said I'd ruin you, didn't I? Sirius grins back. Remus hums, closing his eyes to feel the pleasant thrum of blood singing in his veins and the faint ache in his back from getting his arse pounded. Consider me ruined, he mumbles with a smile. The bed dips as Sirius rolls closer, sweaty arms slipping around his waist. Remus automatically drapes his arm over Sirius's shoulder, fingers tracing along the damp skin, dipping lower, over his shoulder blades. Sirius is warm and pliant against him, a raging storm tamed and quiet, and he could get used to this. His fingers trail over uneven, raised skin and Sirius jerks, flinching away. Hey! Remus blinks the haze out of his eyes, trying to focus. Sorry, you alright? Sirius's eyebrows fro briefly, and he turns his face back up to the ceiling. Just scars. They're sensitive. Remus drops his hand to Sirius's waist, searching the face that refuses to look at him. Scars. From my wings. I can't hide them in any form. Do they hurt? Sirius's expression goes blank, like his mind is drifting. He's far away when he mutters. Sometimes. Remus waits patiently, feeling the weight of Sirius's past pressing on them. When Sirius speaks again, he almost seems absent, his voice hollow. They were beautiful, you know? My wings. So bright that my brother named me after the brightest star. God's greatest creation. Until humans came along, of course. Sirius pauses and Remus flounders, knowing that it's just the tip of the iceberg. A single chip of ice compared to the entire continent of Antarctica which is everything that Sirius isn't saying. He waits a little longer, and then gently prompts. What changed? Sirius closes his eyes, voice rumbling in a monotone. I was just trying to make him see that we were still his most faithful. The angels, my brothers and sisters. More than humans ever could be. And he turned on me. In front of them all, he held me down and tore my wings off. Remus flinches, hand tightening on Sirius's waist, but Sirius continues in the same blank voice, like he's deliberately keeping emotion out of it. I'd never experienced pain before as an angel. It was the worst thing I ever felt, it's still the worst thing I've ever felt. The Bible says that I fell but I was thrown out of heaven. Torn apart and broken and my brothers and sisters just looked on, and our father never looked back. Discarded me like nothing. All because I questioned his will. Remus strokes gently over his stomach, his chest, eyeing the dark symbols under the skin. Protective charms he understands now. Do you hate humans for it? He asks softly. Sirius frowns, opening his eyes to blink at the ceiling thoughtfully. I did. For the longest time. I still do, maybe. But I think I pity them now. God has all our fates planned out and he built suffering into human DNA just like he made me with the intention of me rebelling. What a fucked up thing to do. He knew what I was going to do, what would happen to me, and he never tried to stop it. He lets us all suffer. He turns to face Remus, gray eyes searching, his expression softening in a way that feels achingly familiar. That's why I fuck with humans sometimes. Less now. But that's why I started trying to tempt you. But something happened this time. I. 
Sirius breaks off, brushing a strand of hair away from Remus's forehead, unbothered by the cooling sweat. You made me feel like my old self. Like I could be something better. For some reason you trusted me, even though that's the stupidest thing you could have possibly done. And for the first time since falling I didn't feel like I had to be like this, like I had no choice but to be evil. Remus's heart clenches and there's nothing he can say to encompass how he feels, how Sirius's words have settled in his chest and made their home there. He leans forward and kisses him, soft and tender. When he pulls back, Sirius's dark lashes are fluttering and his face is less haunted. I'm sorry you were treated that way. Remus cradles his jaw, thumb brushing over his cheek. You're not evil. Maybe you've done bad things but you're different now. And you never deserved what he did to you. Sirius blinks, like it's the first time he's considered that thought. Like he's never been treated with forgiveness and kindness. Remus's throat tightens and his voice comes out slightly strangled. My life is better with you in it. I'm better with you. I refuse to believe that you're evil. He was wrong. All of heaven can get fucked. It surprises a bark of laughter out of Sirius and Remus smiles pressing his forehead into Sirius's cheek, feeling the vibrations in his skull. He can't imagine how this man composed of light and lightning, and little kindnesses that he pretends are accidents, is the embodiment of evil. If this is what it means to tarnish his soul, to fall, then he's throwing himself into the abyss without a single look back. Chasing Starlight Chapter 7 The Altar Getting out of bed in the morning on a normal day is a struggle for Remus. He can fall asleep anywhere, anytime, and sleep through an earthquake. In uni, when he and James would cram before exams in the library, he'd inevitably fall asleep crumpled in his chair or slumped over his desk and wake to find photos in his own camera roll of himself sleeping with library books, pencil cases, even a laptop once, balancing on him. Needless to say, he likes his sleep. Getting up for work is usually difficult, but it's practically impossible when he wakes with Sirius's head on his shoulder, an arm draped over his hip. For a moment he revels in the feeling of having Sirius in his arms, and then his breath catches as heat curls low in his stomach. Sirius is trailing fingertips teasingly over the head of his cock, taking advantage of the very human trait of morning erections. Morning Sunshine yeah, he's not making it out of bed in time for work today. Luckily Sirius makes quick work of him, his hand warm and rough and gray eyes fixed on his face when he comes, drinking it in eagerly, like he's been waiting all night for this. And maybe he has. Remus didn't see him fall asleep, he probably doesn't need to. But he stayed anyway. Remus doesn't even wait to catch his breath. He slips down the bed his tongue leaving a trail of wet as he kisses his way down the glorious plains of Sirius's body, intent on showing him he's not the only one with a talented mouth. Bringing Sirius to pieces is the only thing on his mind, and when he has to hold Sirius's hips down as he comes with a shout, his brain is pleasantly empty and throat full. When he looks up at the time, he only has ten minutes to get to work. Think you could give me a lift? Remus requests with a smirk, as he gives Sirius's cock a fond departing kiss before rolling off the bed. It'll cost you, Sirius says faintly, his face a picture of dopey bliss. Remus hesitates at the bathroom door, heart skipping a beat. He assumed with everything, 
Is Sirius still trying to bargain for his soul? Was this all just part of his plan? Sirius stretches, oblivious to Remus's turmoil and drawls. Price has gone up. It's an ask grab per trip, one way. I don't make the rules. Relief floods Remus's veins and he sighs and found exasperation. Finally something I can afford. Sirius drops him off behind the building of his classroom where they'll be out of sight. Remus is already five minutes late and he knows he should care. But it seems so unimportant when he can push Sirius up against the bricks and kiss him until he's breathless, Sirius's hands gripping his arse as promised. Ten minutes late then. If Remus thought Sirius was distracting when he was a chattering, demanding presence that popped in and out of existence, he's woefully unprepared for Sirius when he's really trying to distract him. Remus makes a rule. If Sirius wants to show up at his work then he has to behave and stay at arm's length at all times. He works with children for hell's sake. Sirius agrees with a grumble and a huff, but the rule is broken before a week is up. Someone sets off the fire alarm during lunch and Sirius is conveniently there to corner Remus before he leaves his classroom, yanking Remus by his belt to stand between his legs where he sits on his desk. Remus protests weakly for one second but then his mouth is occupied. Sirius's legs are wrapping around his waist, his hips are warm under Remus's hands, and he'd be lying if he said he hadn't wanted to fuck Sirius over a desk for months. Luckily, he keeps his head enough to stop before it gets to that because it's a classroom after all, but he does make Sirius take them home for ten minutes where his dining table serves the same purpose. When Remus eventually makes his way over to the evacuation point, face flushed and sweating, Minerva purses her lips disapprovingly and tells him if it was a real fire, he'd be dead. Remus just smiles warmly and shrugs because it's a beautiful day outside and it feels impossible not to be happy. He should have known it wouldn't be this easy forever. Remus gets into his car after work to find a note stuck to his steering wheel. 7 p.m. Dinner? Don't wear the beige jumper. It's written in beautiful, perfect cursive and he doesn't need to guess who it's from. He's glad no one's around to see the giddy smile that splits his face because Sirius told him this morning that he'd be busy all day, grumbling something about hell needing a fucking babysitter, so it's kind of sweet how he can't stay away. Remus is just about to send a prayer confirming yes, and that there's nothing wrong with his beige jumper, when the glorious day turns to absolute shit. Yeah, this is him, this is the one. He swivels sharply but before he can see who's in his back seat, something touches the back of his head and everything goes black in an instant. Look at him, Isaiah, his soul is scorched. He's beyond saving. You know they're not capable of our selfless faith. Remus blinks, the hissed words trickling into his brain one word at a time, the beginnings of a downpour swelling the banks of a river, his understanding of them slow and then clarity rushes at him all at once. He tries to glance around without letting on that he's conscious. His muscles ache from sitting on cold stone, sagging forward with his hands behind his back and tied around something solid. He clenches his hands and there's no give to the restraints. Before him, red-carpeted stone steps descend into an aisle. He blinks hard, suddenly reminded of Lily and James's wedding of standing by his friend's side in a grand, sunlit church, where they looked into each other's eyes as they made their vows while friends and family looked on with smiles. 
a church, he's in a church. This is nothing like the pleasant memory, however. It's dark, lit mostly by candles with little light making it through the stained windows as thunder rumbles overhead. He has no idea what time it is, how long he's been here. Our orders were to save him. You were bordering on treason. This voice is different from the hissing one he heard before. It's low and gravelly, deep and baritone. He glances in the direction it came from and holds his breath at seeing movement. A tall woman paces into view, polished brown boots silent on the plush red carpet. She's pale and severe looking, her brown hair pulled back into a tight, smooth bun, and her gray suit crisp and pristine. She reminds him a little of what Minerva must have looked like in her youth. But he's never seen this look of disdain on his fellow teacher's face. Her sharp features are pulled into a point as if she smells something terrible. She speaks in the same hissing voice, as if she's afraid of being overheard, anger bleeding through every syllable. This is saving him. Lucifer got his claws into him already. This is all we can do now. Lucifer. Serious. Remus clenches his eyes tightly to focus on keeping his thoughts undirected and vague. Accidentally praying to Sirius right now would bring him in an instant, and knowing him he'd come with all the fury of hell and fire, but Remus doesn't know how indestructible he really is. And these are angels, he knows it. Remus won't be responsible for him getting hurt again. We haven't even tried, Esther. The baritone draws, and a tall, dark-skinned man strolls after the woman. His tone is smooth and even, but he eyes her carefully, as if she might turn and lash out. We will wake him and find out how bad it is first. Isaiah, you can see as clearly as I. He may yet renounce him. Remus thinks quickly. He can work with this rift between them. Talking his way out of trouble has always been a specialty of his. He clears his throat, lifting his head and stretching his neck, which is terribly stiff after being slumped over for who knows how long. Both angels swivel to look at him and he tries for a polite smile. Don't suppose I get a say in what happens to me. Esther folds her arms and glowers down from her immense height. Human, you should have thought about that before you gave in to temptation. Ah. Remus nods slowly so their attention is focused on his face as he twists his wrists to try and loosen the binding. You'll be talking about Sirius then. The angel's eyes narrow and the one named Isaiah makes a jerky movement. Lucifer is the name our father gave him. Esther corrects disdainfully. Yes, that's the one. Remus agrees pleasantly, glad his voice is even and disguising how his heart is beating madly. Tall, black hair, dresses like he's going to an ACDC concert and stomps around everywhere. Sirius, Lucifer. Esther blinks, frowning. You address him so casually, human, as if the Herald of Evil is your friend. I wouldn't say friends, exactly. Remus counters, keeping his voice light as he buys time to glance around for his closest exit. The double doors at the end of the aisle are too far to make a break for it, but there's a door to his left. If he can just loosen the binding and distract them. We haven't put a label on it. It's a little soon but I feel like it's going well. Well, apart from this, but I guess meeting the family isn't perfect for anyone. Esther gapes, spluttering furiously. His family. He betrayed us. He is no more my family than a filthy cockroach that crawls this cursed earth. Esther. Isaiah sighs, but she's quickly unraveling. 
Remus blinks innocently as she devolves into a tirade that he can half listen to as he twists his wrists harder. There's the tiniest bit of give to the rough rope now, but he'll have to get the two angels to engage in a real argument with each other if he... Bang. The heavy double doors at the end of the aisle swing open, letting in a gale, swirling leaves skittering across the floor and rain lashing the doors. Sirius strides up the steps, fury in every smooth movement, his dark hair flying around his face in the wind. His eyes are bright in his face as they sweep the church. They catch on Remus, and there's the slightest look of relief that flickers over his features before they return to pure, smoldering fury. Esther steps between Remus and the walking bolt of lightning that just entered the church, and Remus is impressed by her sheer daring with Sirius's face looking like that. He can't help but breathe the tiniest sigh of relief. As much as he didn't want to put Sirius in harm's way, he didn't fancy his odds trying to escape by himself. Lucifer, Esther sneers, rolling her shoulders back. I see you've mutilated yourself further. I assume that's why you found us even on sacred ground. She waves a hand at the tattoos on Sirius's forearms where he's rolled up the sleeves of his black button-up. And I see you're still a prim. Brainless little soldier, Esther, Sirius says tightly, tilting his head to call past her to Remus. All right there, sunshine. Won't be a minute. Just need to disembowel my estranged bitch of a sister. Isaiah interrupts before Remus or Esther can reply. A moment, Lucifer. We were about to discuss the fate of this human soul. He deserves a chance to revoke his loyalty to you so he can be saved. Saved. Sirius snarls, but Remus beats him to it. Saved from what exactly? What have I done that's so awful? Cavorting with Satan. Esther whirls on him. Don't think we don't see his marks on you, human. You've descended so far as to fornicate with the serpent. Do you really think you deserve anything but damnation? Remus feels heat crawl up his neck, wondering if she saw the bite marks on his shoulders but she barrels on, solving the mystery. Your soul is covered with his filth. He's poisoned you. Funny, I've never felt better, Remus argues coolly, keeping his eyes fixed to her face and away from Sirius, who is inching closer while her back is turned. And I fail to see how it's any of your business what I do. You were baptized as a child, you're one of the flock. Not that you deserve to be. So if I tell you right now that I'm converting to, I don't know, Satanism, let's say. Remus allows himself to smirk to see her eyes narrow and nostrils flare. You'll leave us be. Just as I thought. Esther's features smooth into cool disdain, and she steps closer, a hand stretching towards his face. You won't renounce him. Our only hope of taking you back to the light is to end it here. Taking your life now is the only way to save your soul while it has some purity left. You're going to kill me. Unless you renounce Lucifer. Isaiah says, gaze glued to Remus's face. It's the only way. Remus looks between them both in disbelief. Angels are not at all what their religion makes them out to be and for the first time since meeting them, ice-cold fear shivers down his spine. Fear and anger. He hasn't hurt anyone. He's dedicated his life to helping others and trying to do the right thing. And now that he's found some happiness, and yeah okay, his happiness is the devil but he's met worse, they're going to kill him for daring to want something for himself? He pulls harder against the restraints, frantically now with adrenaline pumping through his veins. Wait, wait. 
He needn't have worried, because Sirius uses their complete absorption in Remus to swiftly take the last few steps towards Esther and places his hand on the back of her head. She manages to half turn towards him before her eyes roll and her body stiffens. Remus watches in frozen horror as her face shudders, contorting before blood spurts from her nose and mouth, pouring down her chin and onto the pristine pants suit. Isaiah shouts and rushes forward but she's already crumpling to the floor in a limp heap and Sirius is gone. Isaiah spins wildly, hands raised like he's feeling the air for Sirius, his eyes wide and darting around the church. Remus glances at him, but he can't help looking back at the gray and crimson heap that's Esther. She hasn't moved and her blood is slowly staining the red carpet a deeper crimson. He pulls his feet away from the spreading stain. Show yourself, Morning Star. Isaiah calls to the silent church, still turning in circles. I know you won't abandon this human. You've revealed that much. You came for him. You care for him. The wind bangs the door against the wall and Isaiah spins, slowly backing towards Remus. I've never known you to care about anything but yourself. The angel says to the room at large, and Remus shuffles back as Isaiah blindly reaches back, one hand grasping for him. Perhaps taking this human to heaven will finally teach you a lesson. On my count, Sirius. Remus prays, eyeing the outstretched hand. Three. Isaiah takes another step back. Two. Leaves skull along the stone, brought to life by the wind, and Isaiah jumps, taking another step back. One. Remus kicks sharply at the back of the angel's knee and his leg gives out just as Sirius appears behind him. Caught off balance, Isaiah's look of shock is frozen on his face as Sirius grasps the back of his head. Remus's blood chills at the focused, cold look of fury on Sirius's face as Isaiah shudders just like Esther did, blood pouring from his mouth and nose with an audible gurgle. The angel hits the floor and Sirius wastes no time dragging him by the back of his collar to the other angel lying still on the floor. He waves his hand and they're bound together by thick rope and Remus's wrists are blissfully released. Remus gasps as blood starts to rush back into his hands and he rubs over the raw skin around his wrists. Sirius's hands are suddenly there too, and on his face and through his hair, on his shoulders. You're all right, yeah? They didn't hurt you? Sirius's voice is gruff but his hands are gentle in their searching. Remus sags in relief. I'm fine. How did you find me? I was sure I didn't pray. You didn't reply to my note. Sirius cradles Remus's face, examining closely as if looking for the slightest scratch. There are little droplets of blood on Sirius's cheek. Remus stares at them as Sirius continues, oblivious. I knew something was wrong when you didn't argue about the jumper. Oh. Uh, Fair, actually. They're going to fucking pay. Sirius growls sharply, having decided Remus is unharmed enough, face shifting from concern right back to fury. For fucking daring to go after you. They're going to wish they were fucking dead. It'll be a warning to all the rest. What? They're not. Not dead, no. Sirius says with something like gleeful anticipation, as if he plans to fix that. Their earthly forms are incapacitated so they're trapped in there. I'm going to kill their true forms slowly. Remus blinks hard, willing his brain to shake the numb haze that descended with the sight of Esther's blood. Oh, I thought. Not in front of you. Sirius has the audacity to sound offended. I wouldn't kill them in front of you. I know how much you'd fuss. 
This breaks through the haze and Remus fixes Sirius with a glare before pushing aside his irritation. It sounds like they were following orders. There'll be more, won't there? Someone is sending them. Then I'll kill them too. But why is anyone bothered with what you're doing? Who are we hurting? Remus wonders numbly, staring at the angels lying on the carpet, tied together, with unease curdling his stomach. Sirius pauses and Remus glances back to him to see a flicker of concern back on his face. I may have ruffled some feathers with my trip upstairs. Ha, feathers. Because you went to heaven for me. Remus's heart sinks. Sirius, you shouldn't have. Fuck them. Sirius spits, getting to his feet to whirl on angels. They deserve what's coming. Going after you because they're too afraid to face me. I'm going to fucking enjoy tearing them to pieces. Sirius bends to leer into Isaiah's slack, bloody face as he grips the ropes. He turns back to Remus. I'll take them to hell and I'll be back for you. We can still make our reservation. Wait, you're just going to kill them. Sirius halts, blinking. Not right away. I'll punish them first, of course. Like, torture. Obviously. But. Don't start this again. Sirius's face twists in frustration. They were going to kill you. I don't want to hear any of your mercy shit. Not this time. Exactly, they were going to kill me. Remus presses. Shouldn't I get a say in what happens to them? Sirius's eyes narrow. Not if you're going to tell me I should let them go. Do you trust me? Remus searches his face. Sirius hesitates, fist clenching around the binds. His face softens just slightly. Yes, but... Then give me a say in what happens to them. Remus gingerly gets to his feet, straightening slowly as his joints and muscles protest at being slumped on the cold stone for so long. He sees now that he was tied to a concrete pillar of an elaborate, gray altar, shrouded in white cloth. He walks over to gaze down at the unconscious angels. The odd numb feeling has faded and he's a little surprised to find that the sight of their bloody faces no longer turns his stomach. He thoughtfully examines Sirius's irritated expression and raises an eyebrow pointedly. Sirius glowers, pausing, and then nods. Remus smiles. Right, thank you. I do want them punished, actually, he says pleasantly. Sirius's eyes widen. You. But, Remus adds, tapping on Sirius's forehead. We do it my way. Can you take their powers away? Sirius's jaw snaps shut, and he thinks quickly. I think so, with the right runes. Excellent, Remus smiles. I want you to make them as human as possible, but leave their memories intact. What? Oh. Oh. And then I want you to give them jobs. Human jobs. Something where they have to help people. Give them a good taste of what it's like to live as a human, since they seem to hate us so much. And maybe after a few decades they'll see the god is an asshole and killing innocent people is an awful, awful thing to do. Oh sunshine that's... Sirius pauses, a grin splitting his face. It takes Remus's breath away. That's brilliant. I was just going to go with traditional torture but that's horrible. And I mean that as a compliment. I'll take it as one. Remus rubs at his wrist where it's still marked from the rope. This isn't like you though. Sirius adds thoughtfully, grin fading. Why the sudden common sense? Remus pauses, examining the crimson stain on the carpet as he thinks. Before Sirius had brought back the letter from heaven, before he opened up about what happened to him, the scars on his back, 
Remus would have thought that these angels deserve mercy just as much as anyone else. They're angels, they're beings created to do good. But heaven and God and everything associated with them had hurt Sirius so terribly. Unforgivably. And they were going to kill Remus in the name of saving him, as if Sirius isn't his salvation. As if being wrapped up in Sirius is something evil and not the best thing Remus has ever felt. If Sirius isn't all evil, then what does that make heaven and the angels? He doesn't know, but he has a feeling they're not all good. It's a fair punishment, Remus decides, keeping his musings to himself for now. Sirius's eyes rake Remus's face as he clicks his fingers and the angels disappear. He gets to his feet, and the smell of ozone hits Remus. It's comforting, even though he knows it means Sirius's power is at his fingertips, all that rage and energy barely contained. Sirius steps closer, examining him closely, like he's trying to worm his way into his mind just by looking at him. Remus's gaze once again catches on those little droplets of blood. He can count four dotted in an arch along the curve of Sirius's cheek. He expects to feel disgust. But there's nothing. Or rather, it's not disgust. Huh. His hands move of their own accord, yanking Sirius forward by the collar to crush their lips together. Sirius hums in surprise but quickly wraps arms around him, kissing him soundly with just a hint of urgency. Remus pulls back, quirking an eyebrow. Can they see us right now? Yes, but I can. Good. Just make sure no nuns walk in. Remus pulls Sirius roughly against him, swiping his tongue against Sirius's bottom lip and deepening the kiss with a single-minded, urgent haste. He stumbles backwards, pulling Sirius along with him until he falls back against the unyielding stone of the altar. Remus's heart is thudding, blood rushing, lighting each of his extremities on fire, startlingly aware of every touch of how everything Sirius does sends a jolt of pleasure right to the back of his brain. It's adrenaline and relief and anger. Simmering, roiling anger that had settled in his chest when Sirius told him what happened to his wings, and the fury, the outrage, made its home there. He hasn't really known what to do with it. This intense feeling of hatred for God, heaven, angels, anything that had a part in hurting Sirius and condemning all of humanity for wanting anything for themselves. But this feels good, this defiance, this open rebellion. He unbuttons his trousers and pushes them down with his underwear, foregoing his usual worship of Sirius's body and any form of foreplay to palm at him roughly through his black pants. Sirius's breath shakes and Remus can't tell if it's Sirius's power or if it's because they're humming with adrenaline, but they're both hard already. Remus turns and bends over the altar, reaching back to tug Sirius flush against him. Think they'll get the message if we desecrate a church. Remus breathes, chuckling. Or you desecrate me in a church. Fuck, Remus. Exactly. Remus grunts as a hand on his shoulder roughly pushes him down so his chest is flat to the stone, cool underneath the white cloth. He tries to arch away from the cold but Sirius seems to have finally caught on and isn't budging an inch. His fingers are cool and slippery at Remus's entrance and Remus spreads his legs as much as he can with his trousers around his knees. The preparation is quick and perfunctory, because this isn't about pleasure, not completely. Remus bucks and growls, 
pushing back and demanding against Sirius's fingers until Sirius's movements become jerky and hurried. When Sirius pushes his cock into him, the adrenaline is still coursing through his veins, and Remus grits his teeth through the uncomfortable pressure, the slight jagged edges of pain dulled by the frantic need. He doesn't care. He wants Sirius on him, in him, around him, so no one can ever be mistaken about how he feels. So if some divine power is watching upstairs, they'll see he's a lost cause and why it'd be a terrible idea to try and fuck with either of them again. So they can see he's made his choice and there'll be no saving him. Remus grips the brass candelabras bolted to the altar to hold himself in place as Sirius starts thrusting into him with hard, rough snaps of his hips, slamming him into the altar and Remus already knows his hips will be bruised tomorrow. He finds himself grinning maniacally at the thought of it, pushing back as much as he can. He arches his neck and his gaze falls on the enormous, human-sized cross erected on the back of the church wall, a central place of honor and worship. His eyes lock onto it as he grits his teeth around his growled. Yes, yes, fuck. Fucking show them how good you fuck me. Sirius. For once, Sirius appears to be lost for words, strangled groans filling the air and joining the telltale sound of slapping skin. Remus's legs shake and buckle, and his hips are held up by Sirius's hands, holding him in place and it's so good, so fucking good that his cries almost drown out Sirius's grunts. He scrabbles at the silky cloth on the altar, pulling it tight in his fist as he arches and comes. His own shout echoes back at him off the stone walls and it's a beautiful blasphemy, an imitation of the worship that would usually fill this church, but it's all for Sirius. Sirius seems to be thinking along the same lines because he comes almost immediately, groaning low and guttural and so animal that for a second Remus believes the depictions of him in the scriptures as a beast. Sirius slumps onto his elbows on the altar, bracketing Remus's shivering body as his forehead drops to his shoulder a heavy, pleasant weight. Remus blinks slowly, still grinning drunkenly at the cross. Think they got the idea? He asks, words slow and slightly slurred. I think so. Sirius agrees with a chuckle. Remus grunts as Sirius pulls away. He's still catching his breath as he pulls his trousers back up and buttons them. Even though he's starting to feel the ache in his arse with the receding tide of adrenaline, he feels oddly calm. Serene. He looks up to see Sirius staring at him in wonder, and maybe a little bit of awe. Remus smiles, straightening his hair. So, dinner. Chapter 8 The Collision For the next few days, Remus wakes in the morning and immediately prods at his conscience. Remorse? Guilt? His conscience shrugs. Each morning he expects it to change, bracing himself for the waves of guilt he should be feeling from forcing angels into servitude as punishment, from fucking Sirius at the altar of a church as a defiant fuck you to whatever divine power wanted to watch, from going to dinner afterwards and enjoying every bite of the glorious Italian food as if he hadn't essentially watched Sirius kill in front of him. For him. The guilt never comes. He's not as bothered as he thinks he should be. Whenever he bumps into this question in his head, of why he doesn't feel torn over what happened like he would have six months ago, he's met with an overwhelming surge of anger at the thought of angels and God causing serious pain. There's no words, 
just the unshakable feeling that someone must suffer. Something in him roars that the angels deserve it, and it startles him a little. How sharp the anger is, to feel the points of its teeth in his slow smile when Sirius tells him the two angels are miserable at work as public defenders. After a week passes, he stops interrogating his conscience and accepts that he doesn't feel bad about what they did and maybe it doesn't matter if that's right or wrong. Maybe he doesn't care. It's difficult to ponder the morality of it all when, ever since the church, Sirius seems to be absolutely enamored with him. Remus finds himself surrounded by anything and everything he ever mentioned that he liked, even in passing. He never wants for a tea or coffee, there always seems to be one at his elbow wherever he goes, hot and exactly how he likes it. There's no such thing as inconvenience, bad weather, or struggling to pay the bills, or struggling to do anything actually. He hasn't had to pay for a thing in weeks. Items seem to just replenish themselves, and every time Sirius uses something in his apartment, he tuts and before Remus's eyes it's suddenly replaced by something better. There shouldn't be space in his tiny apartment for all the new gorgeous, outrageously comfortable furniture that keeps appearing, and Remus has a sneaking suspicion that his apartment is slowly getting bigger every day. Slowly, because for some reason, Sirius doesn't like to claim any involvement in these little miracles, unless he can pass it off as doing something for himself. Like he doesn't want to admit how generous or caring he actually is. Like he doesn't know that there are nights where Remus wakes to find his bed empty, Sirius traipsing off to wherever he goes to perform his devilish duties, and Remus stares at the ceiling, fighting the urge to ask him to come back for nothing more than to lie next to him and hear him talk. He always manages to resist. But that's it, isn't it? He doesn't just want Sirius at his best, he wants it all, everything, and he'd give up all these possessions to be enough for Sirius, to be the one he comes back to at the end of a long day. And how can that not be selfish? To ever dream that he can be enough for someone who has lived a millennia, who has seen regimes crumble and history be born. To want anything more than what Sirius offers, to wish that they could share a life rather than Sirius stepping in and out of his. So Remus accepts the wordless gifts, and stares up at the ceiling from the extremely lush California king bed that appeared while he was at work, and tries not to dwell on the silence of a house filled with possessions, none of them belonging to Sirius. But during the day he gets to bask in Sirius's presence, and as the days trickle by, Sirius spends less and less time elsewhere. No kingdom to preside over today, Remus asks lightly as Sirius once again sprawls on his couch watching one of his terrible reality shows. One which Remus knows the stars by name now. It might be the worst part of Sirius's influence on him. Tisk, they know if I have to go back to fix something I'll be pissed off. Sirius explains as he stretches, taking up the whole couch. And no one likes when I'm pissed off. Ah yes, hail and lightning. Remus nods, eyes glued to the screen but he's absolutely not watching the trash TV. I'm familiar with your tantrums. I do not. Who are, they, anyway? Demons. Lovely. They're like employees. Kind of. Except I own them. Exactly like employees then. Sirius chuckles darkly. Am I see where you get your storm-offs now? Remus smirks at the TV as a blonde woman kicks her chair out, and pushes through cameramen to storm out of the dining room where her fellow reality stars gasp and call after her. Sirius grumbles something inaudible and then snaps. Sit down, 
Already? Just admit you want to watch with me. No, no, I can't. And I don't. Remus tears his eyes away from the screen. Harry's birthday party is on today. I have to go soon. A kid's party? You do realize we could go to Fire Island instead? I've never missed his birthday and I'm not going to start now. Lily and James will need help and I don't mean to brag, but I'm a professional at managing a sugar-loaded horde of kids. Sirius doesn't sulk. But it's a close thing. He grumbles about some very important things he has to be doing anyway, and how he can't imagine a worse hell than children's parties. But when Remus heads towards the door with his keys in hand, he's suddenly very insistent that Remus shouldn't be going alone. It isn't safe. Remus snorts. I really don't think your angel friends will be wanting any contact with me after the church. Sirius's mouth twitches in a barely disguised smirk. They might. Maybe they need a repeat performance to really hit it home. If it's so dangerous, why don't you come with me then? It comes out before he has a chance to think about if it's actually a good idea or not. Sirius immediately wrinkles his nose in distaste and Remus feels his skin crawl with embarrassment. Yeah, it was a stupid idea. As if Sirius wouldn't rather do anything else. Besides, it's probably best not to surround him with kids. To a children's party? I'm. The Lord of Darkness, King of Hell, yes, yes, I've heard this speech. Go on then, off to your important business. Sirius looks somehow surlier. Being the King of Hell is so boring. He crosses his arms and looks ready to settle in for a proper sulk. Then delight flickers over his face, like he's just thought of something wonderful. Which means it's something terrible. Wait this is Harry as in James and Lily's brat, right? Yes. All right, I'll come but I'm not talking to any kids. Remus blinks, mouth hanging open as his mind races. Ah, you don't have to. And since I'm coming, we're traveling in style. Style? What? Remus splutters as Sirius strides past him out the front door pulling on his leather jacket as he goes. Remus pauses, warily eyeing Sirius's leering grin. You've got a loud, flashy sports car, don't you? Is it a Ferrari? I bet it's a Ferrari. It's not a Ferrari, it's worse. It's a motorbike. Remus protests valiantly because it's so noisy and statistics have shown how dangerous they are, but trying to argue these points when Sirius is sitting astride the gleaming bike finishing off a cigarette and smirking, makes Remus's arguments seem pretty feeble. It's like Marlon Brando drove right out of one of Remus's father's favorite old movies and pulled up on the curb outside of his apartment, grinning charmingly, and patting the seat behind him. Except he has shoulder-length hair, tattoos, and is infinitely more magnetic. And this version of Marlon Brando tugs Remus over by his belt loops to kiss him, all smoke and leather and the rumble of the engine drowns out everything except the sensation of Sirius's hand on his hip and tongue tracing his bottom lip. Remus loses the argument. But he's learned to pick his battles, and it doesn't feel like such a loss when he's sitting behind Sirius with his arms wrapped firmly around his waist and Sirius's hips wedged between his thighs. Even with the sticky heat of the summer day, he presses closer against the leather of his jacket and it's actually kind of nice to feel the breeze on his skin as they drive. But the rumble of the engine is deafening and he can't help but roll his eyes as heads turn when they ride down the street, no helmets, and no regard for speed limits, because as Sirius told him, laughing, What are they gonna do? 
Arrest me? They arrive at Lily and James's house in record time, and Remus is already preparing the apology in his head as the motorbike rumbles down the quiet suburban street, with its manicured lawns and neighborhood watch signs everywhere. He breathes a sigh of relief when they pull up in front of the potter's neat two-story house with its charming bay window and red-bricked face with jasmine flowers creeping up between the windows. They're so early that no one else is here yet, which he was hoping for so he can help them set up. He knows how flustered Lily always gets around other parents from the private school. Like Remus, she comes from a hand-to-mouth childhood and even though she's plenty wealthy now, her insecurities seem to crop up around people who were born into money, like many of the families from the school. Her temper flares when she's uncomfortable, and it isn't helped by James being an oblivious social butterfly. At least Sirius's presence ought to distract her from her stress, Remus thinks, as he clambers off the bike and watches Sirius swing his leg over with a level of grace that Remus can never hope to achieve. His black hair is artfully windswept, and he grins fondly when he pats the bike, almost like a thank you. Sirius turns and smirks to see Remus staring. Remus fixes his expression into a blank look. I feel like I shouldn't have to say this. He starts as they head up the driveway. But this is a kid's party. Absolutely none of your ancient Greece stories and please try to be as nice as possible to the children. Remus pauses, considering. Maybe nice is a bit ambitious. Civil, let's aim for civil. Sirius makes a face. I can't make any promises. James answers the door on the second knock, his face lighting up at the sight of them, and doing a double take at Sirius. Hey. Sirius, right? Hey. I hope it's all right, James. Remus starts but James waves it away and shakes Sirius's hand enthusiastically. More adults the better. We're about to be outnumbered. Harry went and invited his whole class without telling us. James hastily glances down the hall where it sounds like someone is banging pans around. Lily's about to go spare but she keeps snapping at me when I try to help. Remus, could you? I'd love to. Remus says warmly and moves to step inside, but a whirl of black hair and green eyes crashes into his stomach, and he grunts in surprise. Uncle Remus, I'm nine now. Harry beams up at Remus's face from around his navel. Happy birthday, Harry. Harry steps back and glances out the door, zeroing in on the gleaming black motorbike parked on the curb. His jaw drops and he looks up at Remus, considers for a moment and then seems to decide that the two things don't belong together, and looks past him at the tall, leather-clad man behind Remus. Sirius stares down at him blankly. Wow, is that your bike? Harry gapes in awe. Sirius raises an eyebrow. Yeah. It's wicked. Harry grins ear to ear and makes to run towards it, but he's stopped by James's hand on his shoulder. Ah, today's not the day to develop a fascination with motorcycles he admonishes lightly. Your mother's already at breaking point. Harry ignores his father and addresses Sirius eagerly. Can it go faster than cars? Sirius blinks. Sure. Pigs have never caught up, so. All right. Remus interrupts briskly over James's guffaw. Let's go help your mum, Harry. Can you help James? He directs at Sirius. Sirius shrugs but his face brightens when James leads him away and asks something about horsepower. Remus tugs Harry along with him, suppressing a chuckle at how he strains against it a little, 
leaning back to hear the conversation about bikes. Better not mention that to Lily. He follows the sounds of chaos and finds his friend kneeling on the kitchen counter, head first in an overhead cupboard and rummaging around noisily in the contents. Remus raises his eyebrows quizzically at Harry, who purses his lips and shakes his head at her. Christ, this kid is going to be sassy as hell when he's a teenager. Need a hand, Lily. Remus calls carefully so he doesn't startle her. She turns wildly, and seeing him, points aggressively. Yes. Tall, lanky man. Come here. Remus grins, already at her side in two steps. Ask and ye shall receive. I need the icing piping thing. Right at the back. As Remus reaches easily into the back of the cupboard, she turns narrowed green eyes on her son. And I need you to clean your room. Why, though? I'm not inviting the Malfoys to my room. Harry whines, folding his arms. Remus hides a laugh and a hasty cough as Lily huffs, putting her hands on her hips. This has nothing to do with the Malfoys. Just go clean it. Harry drags his feet out of the room, grumbling under his breath. I don't care what the Malfoys think. Lily insists to Remus as she clambers down from the bench. Are that Narcissa, always looking down her nose at everyone. I can't stand her. And Lucius either. You know he made a nasty comment about the Weasleys not having money at pick-up the other day and I wanted to strangle him. She blows sharply to get strands of red hair out of her face and snatches the piping bag from him. Remus hums agreeably, peering at a rather sad-looking batch of collapsed cupcakes waiting to be iced. They do seem to be passing some rather unfortunate traits onto their son. He muses before hastily adding, Not that you heard that from me. Don't get me started on Draco. Lily grits her teeth as she messily pours icing into the piping bag, getting as much on the bench as she does in the bag. Remus hurriedly wipes up after her as she whips around to squirt messy swirls onto the sad cupcakes. That boy is always picking fights. And he brings out the worst in Harry. The only time I get called down to the school is when it involves Draco. For fuck's sake, this gluten-free icing is shit. I heard Harry invited the whole class. Just like his dad. He thinks these things just work themselves out, invites everyone because he doesn't want to leave anyone out. But of course, I had to force him to invite Draco so he wouldn't be the only one not invited. And now I'm making all allergen-friendly cakes and you would not believe how expensive almond flour is. Where do you want this? Remus asks over his shoulder as he picks up some sandwich platters. Better to keep her off the topic of the Malfoys if the cupcakes are to survive being drowned in icing. Outside. Thank you, lanky man. I'm not having thirty kids in my house. You know, this is starting to sound like work. He calls back over his shoulder, as he elbows open the sliding door to the enormous backyard. I hope you pay me better than Dumbledore does. He smiles as her laughter rings through the kitchen. When he glances back, she's managed to get a smear of blue icing across her cheek but the tension has bled from her shoulders and he'd wrangle a hundred sugar-high children if he could keep that smile on her face. Remus finds Sirius and James in the middle of the enormous backyard, setting up some football goals and chattering eagerly. He knows James's family is obscenely wealthy but it's easy to forget until he sees the backyard again. No suburban house warrants a yard this big to be honest, but it is beautiful lined by hedges and a winding stone pathway running around the perimeter. Remus squints at Sirius, 
He wishes he could hear what they're talking about, watching Sirius Mime kicking something and then James fall about cackling, clutching on his shoulder for support. They don't seem to be getting much done, truthfully, but Remus suppresses the little stabs of jealousy because Sirius isn't complaining about helping and that's a miracle in itself. When he goes back into the kitchen, which is blissfully cool compared to the heat outside, Harry is back and he's regaling his mother with the story of the tall man in black with the cool bike. And he said it's faster than cars. Can I go see it? What if he just rides it up and down the street? Remus notices her frown and intercedes quickly. Sorry, Lily, I invited Sirius along. But he's helping James. Sirius. She pauses in the middle of squeezing a whole lemon into the punch bowl, her dropped jaw quickly smoothing into a gleeful grin. As in Sirius Black, the guy who you're not. He has long hair. Harry says quickly, as if this is very important for her to know, glancing back at Remus. So he does. She agrees with a smirk, stress forgotten as she unceremoniously drops the lemon into the bowl with a plunk. He distantly notes not to drink the punch. The doorbell rings before he can come up with a response, and she sighs sharply. Fine, I'll talk to the not-boyfriend later. She mutters under her breath as she leaves to answer the front door. Harry darts past her, calling. It's Ron, it's Ron. All the way down the hallway. Remus watches her go, frowning. He hasn't really decided how much to tell her about what happened with Sirius yet. He wants to tell her about the letter because it's the most outlandishly thoughtful thing anyone's ever done for him, but it's kind of hard to explain without mentioning heaven or the fact that Sirius is literally the devil. Probably should have figured this out before inviting Sirius over. Remus distractedly licks frosting off his thumb and immediately grimaces. Ugh, the gluten-free stuff is shit. Have you raced anyone? A girl's excited voice squeals. Remus spares one ear to listen to Arthur Weasley's eager chattering about his eldest son's work as a detective, and with his other ear he keeps tabs on the small gaggle of children surrounding an increasingly aggravated Sirius. Harry is chief among them, but even little Anders is there too, bright-faced and staring up at Sirius with wide, reverent eyes. He looks happy. Healthy. Remus's heart swells. Of course I have. Sirius grits out frowning down at the eager faces turned towards him, all in varying levels of awe. Why don't you paint some flames on it? Ron asks loudly. Because I can just flame out. Sirius replies matter-of-factly, huffing impatiently when they look at him blankly. It's when you shoot flames out of the exhaust. Whoa. Kill. Can you make it go louder? If you go really fast, can you fly? Don't be dumb. Bikes can't fly. My dad says blokes who ride motorbikes are compin. Compin. I'm compensating for summers. Sirius bursts out laughing and a few of the kids jump at his usual loud bark. Harry doesn't. He's staring intently at Sirius, like he's trying to memorize everything he does. Remus fidgets. Lily's going to kill him if Sirius ends up being Harry's role model. A few parents are looking curiously in Sirius's direction and a bead of sweat rolls down Remus's neck. He taps Arthur's arm and indicates his head in Sirius's direction. Sorry, Arthur. I've got to rescue him. Arthur looks over and chuckles good-naturedly to see Sirius frowning down at Ron's animated chattering. 
Remus strides over just in time to hear Sirius say. Yeah, he sounds like a little prick, but he's gonna see biting coming a mile away now. Here's what you do. Do you know how to throw a good right hook? No? Here, make a fist like this. Ron gapes, watching intently as Sirius shows him how to curl his fingers into a fist. Sirius. Sirius looks up, blinking innocently as Remus hastens over. What? Remus shoes away the crowd of kids, nudging Harry and Ron in particular who seem to be in a constant state of admiration for Sirius. All right, off you go. Harry, why don't you show your friends your new swing set? But, wait, I want to. Harry, Remus begins sternly, but Harry is already taking off towards James who's beckoning him over with a football under his arm. Remus rounds on Sirius and raises his eyebrows pointedly. Sirius looks back blankly, reaching inside his jacket. What? Don't teach him to fight. Trust me, you don't want to make an enemy out of Molly Weasley. Remus pulls Sirius's hand out of his jacket before he can take his cigarettes out, and jerks his head in the direction of Ron's mother, standing at the food table, pointing to various dishes and talking to Lily. Lily's expression darkens as Remus looks and he has a sneaking suspicion that Molly is giving her pointers on improving her baking. Sirius looks over and scratches his chin, completely unimpressed. Ginger can't go around biting forever, can he? Gotta learn how to throw a punch sometime. Probably how to take one too, he's got a mouth on him. No, dear God. Oi. Right, right, sorry. Remus mutters distractedly, pushing his sleeves up. He's not sure if it's the sun beating down on the back of his neck or the fact that he's accidentally brought the literal devil with him to a kid's party. But he's sweating. Can you just behave? Sirius narrows his eyes, gaze raking over Remus's face. Oi, I'm behaving. Do you see anything on fire? This is me behaving. Remus opens his mouth to argue but pauses when Sirius makes an irritable beckoning gesture at the sky. Before he can ask what Sirius is doing, a shadow falls across the sun, interrupting the harsh heat, and Remus sighs in relief, thoughts stuttering to a halt and he's wondering why he's even arguing with Sirius in the first place. A breeze picks up, cooling his sweat and his tension is blissfully melting away. Sirius, Sirius. For fuck's sake. Remus sighs again as Harry races over, beaming. We're playing football. You can be on my team. Sirius blinks in surprise. Nah, I don't play, kid. Harry's face falls. Oh. Remus pokes Sirius in the arm, a little harder than he means to, but his shirt is still clinging to him in sweat and Harry looks so disappointed and sometimes Sirius is just so. Sirius. He's saved from figuring out how to console Harry as James trots over, grinning. So the team captain says you're replacing me, he says good-naturedly to Sirius, missing Harry's slumped shoulders. Booted to the other team by my own son. You must be good. Sirius straightens, suddenly alert. What play you? Me and a bunch of kids. Man, I haven't played anyone over ten since uni. This'll be good. Sirius looks him up and down, eyes narrowed and assessing. He grins slowly. All right, you're on. Harry recovers from his disappointment immediately, beaming ear to ear. Yeah. I haven't played in centuries. Sirius's grin grows and it's like there's a ray of light behind his eyes brightening his face. 
Suddenly he's not an ageless immortal, but a kid who's getting picked for a team for the first time. He slips off his jacket and blindly hands it to Remus. I know the feeling, mate. James replies at the same time that Remus wonders aloud. Centuries. What an awfully long time not to do something that Sirius so clearly loves. When it's worded like that, the long stretch of immortality seems infinitely lonely. Remus grips the jacket tightly, chest tightening. Sirius glances back at Remus as they make their way to the field, Harry running in dizzying circles around them, and Remus can't help but return Sirius's smile as he notices the little spring in his step. Sirius spins to address Harry, muttering in a low voice as the boy dribbles the ball effortlessly around the adults. You better be good, kid. I don't lose. So, your not-boyfriend is playing football with my son, Lily says matter-of-factly, joining Remus at the edge of the field, outlined by blue spray paint on the grass. Kids are screeching over by the porch, where there seems to be an intense water gun game going, and there's another group of kids gathered at the far end of the yard around the swing set, which Draco Malfoy has claimed, with his friends Crab and Goyle standing beside it, frowning at anyone who says they want a turn. At least his parents didn't stick around, dropping him off with upturned noses and sneers at the potter's house and yard. Normally Remus would intervene with the lack of sharing, but he's a little preoccupied today. It seems that way, Remus replies distractedly as James tears up the other end of the field with the ball, cackling madly with Sirius in hot pursuit. Their eight-year-old teammates trail behind them in various states of interest. One boy stops to inspect something in the grass and Harry shouts at him on his way past, sprinting after his father. Lily nudges Remus with her elbow and he jerks out of what feels like a very absurd daydream. How what? Tell me what happened. Lily presses, sipping her cup of punch and wrinkling her nose. Last time we talked you weren't sure about him. This feels pretty sure to me. Ah, I don't know. Remus tugs at the collar of his shirt and looks down at the leather jacket draped over his arm. It's warm and heavy, and when he moves, he can smell a trace of ozone. I guess I'm going with my instincts, like you said. James likes him. She continues, amused. That's a good sign. I think Harry likes him even more. Remus admits with a flutter of guilt. He hopes she never finds out that her son Hero worships the devil, and it's all his fault. Isn't that just so cute? Do you think this is his first crush? Remus chokes on his laughter just as James kicks a goal past Ron, who dives for it admirably, but ends up face first in the grass. James sportingly helps him up and brushes him off, but Sirius and Harry hang back, looking equal measures frustrated, which makes Remus burst out in more bewildered laughter. This collision of worlds is so strange. Sirius pulls Harry aside and crouches before him muttering hurriedly. Remus bites at his knuckle as Sirius turns to hide his hands and gestures something to Harry, who nods along seriously. Are they talking strategy? This is the weirdest dream he's ever had and he's not sure how he feels about Sirius teaching Harry anything. James strolls away from the two-man huddle and winks at Lily. She rolls her eyes but her grin widens. Look out, they're making a comeback. She calls to him loud enough so Harry and Sirius can hear. They ignore her, deep in their discussion. It's practically James versus the two of them at this point, 
with the other kids milling about on the field and starting up an impromptu game of tag, none of them coming close to Harry's intense fervor for the sport. As the group tear off, chasing each other, Remus sees past them to the other side of the field. His heart sinks. Granger sits on a lawn chair by herself. There's an open book in her lap, but she keeps glancing up at the giggling children hopefully. Lily notices where he's looking and she sighs. I've told Harry to include her more. Just like James, once football's in the picture his manners go out the window. Remus automatically takes a step in Granger's direction, but Lily grabs his arm, hissing. You can't. Trust me, I've been in her shoes. It'll be worse if she hangs out with her teacher. He allows her to pull him back. Lily continues, her voice tight. Look, I'll get James to talk to Harry about it. He might get through to him. Remus doesn't reply. He's tried everything at this point. Even with all the books with the themes of inclusivity and kindness he's made the class read, and all the different variations of seating arrangements where he's put Granger with every kid he thought she would get along with, he can't seem to solve this problem. A shout tears him from his thoughts and he blinks in surprise as Sirius races up the field with a mad grin on his face, pursued by James who looks like he's actually playing hard now, red-faced and panting heavily. Just as James makes to steal the ball, Sirius stops short and deftly kicks it behind his own leg to Harry, who's waiting just behind. James spins wildly but Harry's already off running across the pitch, artfully sweeping the ball and Remus's arm is almost crushed in Lily's sudden grip. The boy has clearly inherited his father's skill because he effortlessly gets the ball past James's goalkeeper, Abbott, and into the goal. Ron whoops from the other end of the field and Harry grins elatedly, red-faced and panting and looking like he's having the time of his life. He laughs as James runs over and jostles him in that odd athlete thing that he does that's always bewildered Remus. That was incredible. Fucking amaze. James. Right you are, Lily. You were amazing, Harry. Sirius showed me the Rabona kick. Did you see it? Wasn't it so cool? I did. Just like Ronaldo. James beams fondly at his son, ruffling his hair. He turns to Sirius, who's strolling over, also red-faced and even panting for effect, wiping sweat off his forehead as James continues. Did you play somewhere? Greece. Sirius answers with a smirk. You're not bad. You play like Hoddle, you could have played for Manchester. No way, mate. Coming from Lineker himself. Lily nudges Remus with her elbow. Oh you've definitely lost your boyfriend now, look at that flirting. Remus snorts, watching James and Sirius compliment each other's skills and kicking at the grass. Just my luck, I fall in love with someone who immediately prefers James. It's uni all over again. You know the same thing happened with my girlfriend in first year. Lily doesn't reply and after a moment of silence he glances over. The expression on her face is hard to read. Her eyebrows are raised and lips pursed, like she might be amused or surprised. Remus raises an eyebrow. Yes. Nothing. She turns back to the makeshift field, calling over Sirius saying something about Rooney. All right, sunscreen time. It was meant for Harry, but James's eyes light up at her shout and he turns towards her with an evil leer, his face grimy and sweating. He runs towards Lily with outstretched, grass-stained hands and cackles as she makes a disgusted noise, 
jogging back to hold him at arm's length. She releases a litany of heated threats, but they're softened by her wide grin, and there's no trace of her earlier stress to be found. Remus can't help smiling fondly at them. They really are so good for each other. He looks back over at Sirius to see him crouching beside Harry again, talking insistently about something with one hand on Harry's shoulder. Remus starts walking over, wary of whatever Sirius could be telling him, and Harry's reluctant nod makes him speed up, jogging the rest of the way. Before he reaches them, Harry runs off towards Ron and Sirius gets to his feet. Little brat's got talent. Sirius grins. If he sticks with me I can take him fro. Remus's brain stumbles over that, and he forgets what he was going to say. Dicks with you. You know, when he's sixteen I can introduce him to the right coaches. Half of England's in my pocket. When he's sixteen. Seven years in the future. Where apparently Sirius plans to still be in his life. Oh. Sirius glances at him quizzically. You good? Speechless at my skill. Understandable. Remus blinks, mentally shaking himself out of his daze. So impressed. Especially the part where you beat eight-year-olds. And James. And James. Remus agrees, handing Sirius his jacket. He smells of something cool and fresh, and Remus can feel the heat radiating off his skin when their hands brush. Remus clears his throat and looks away from the sweat darkening the neck of Sirius's shirt, trying to wrangle his mind away from what's underneath the clothes. Hey, want to go back to yours and fuck? Sirius offers helpfully. Remus takes a moment to gather himself. Sorry, is football like foreplay for you or something? No. Well, no, I don't think so. I can just sense where your mind's going. Sirius arches an eyebrow and stretches languidly with a grin, muscles in his arms flexing distractingly. I don't have to sweat, you know? It's on purpose. I know. Remus mumbles numbly, staring again. But I have to help out. I always. He glances back at Lillian James. There's a smear of dirt on her cheek and she's laughing as she rubs sunscreen on her husband's nose. Remus distantly notices there's a kid stuck in a hedge all the way up the back of the yard, but Molly and Arthur are already hurrying towards them, and Sirius smells so fucking good, so maybe he can make an escape, just for ten minutes. Motherfucker. Sirius hisses suddenly. Wah. I have to go. Sirius spits angrily. Eyes unfocused like he's seeing or hearing something Remus can't. Fucking demons. Incompetent little shits. Gotta do everything myself. Oh, yeah, of course, if you have to. I'll come back. Sirius insists earnestly, dropping his anger for a moment. One of the pillars of hell is collapsing. I just have to fix it. I won't be long. Collapsing? It's fine. It's probably because I didn't go back last night. An hour should do it. Sirius backs away, leering. And then we can pick up where we left off. Sirius strides off into the house and there's no sound of a rumbling engine, so he must really intend to come back. Remus squints as the harsh sunlight returns. Hell is collapsing? Something curls heavy and cold in his stomach. Oh so now the guilt decides to show up. Chapter 9 The Precipice Remus knows that he's an overthinker. He meets any situation that arises with calm, methodical thought, but sometimes he ends up spinning in circles, stuck inside his own head. This is one of those days. 
but Sirius has been gone for an eternity, just under an hour, and he can only suppress his concern for so long. It's long enough that Lily asks where Sirius went and Remus hastily tells her he had to take a phone call, then makes an excuse to go over and help James hang a lion-shaped piñata so he doesn't have to try to think of an occupation for Sirius that isn't king of hell. Remus skillfully avoids her after that, knowing she'll be able to read the concern on his face in a second and then needle him about it. But how can he not be concerned? Sirius said something in hell was collapsing. That seems pretty huge. Even bigger in Remus's mind is that it sounds like it's because Sirius has been spending so much time with him that he's been neglecting whatever duties he has in hell. He feels a little guilty for not taking Sirius seriously when he said he had important business to do. He didn't realize that a whole realm was in turmoil without him. Not that Remus knows anything about hell, just drips and drabs that Sirius reveals in passing. Remus pauses at that thought hovering over the scraped knee he's currently supposed to be putting a band-aid on. Malfoy sniffs, his pale face screwed up in discomfort and blonde hair falling over his face as he glares down at his scraped knee. Wait till my father hears about this. That Weasley won't be laughing after that. Remus hums distractedly, still adrift in thoughts of hell and its surly monarch. It's just a scraped knee after all which Draco had screamed about like he'd scraped half his leg off when he fell on the stone path around the potter's backyard. Remus is sure Malfoy's more upset about Ron and Harry giggling at him than the actual scraped knee, but he has no band-aids for embarrassment, and his mind is otherwise occupied. It has just suddenly occurred to him that Sirius knows almost everything about him and his life. He can even list the kids in his class by name and Remus doesn't know the first thing about what Sirius does when he isn't with him. Malfoy huffs impatiently, and Remus shakes himself. He places the band-aid carefully over the lightly bleeding knee and advises gently. Keep to the grass when you're running, all right. He receives another sniff and scowl in return but continues unperturbed. It looks okay now, but I can call your parents if you'd like. Malfoy glances back where Crab and Goyle lurk by the food table devouring Lily's terrible cupcakes as they wait for him. He shakes his head and mutters stormily. I'm fine. Remus holds his hand out to help him to his feet, but the kid glares at it and gets to his feet himself, wincing in a way that would be more appropriate for a broken bone. Remus watches with a careful look of concern, but internally he can't help but be amused. This kid could have a decent career in acting. Want some punch? Remus offers politely trying to keep the amusement out of his voice. No, it's disgusting. That's not very nice, Draco. True though. You're not my teacher today, it's Saturday, I don't have to listen to you. Malfoy sneers and turns on his heel. Remus watches with raised eyebrows and a well-concealed smirk as the boy stomps back over to his friends. Another kid that's going to be a nightmare as a teenager. Speaking of... He should probably have a word with Harry about making fun of people who are hurt. Where did he go anyway? Remus searches the backyard, sidestepping kids as they chase each other and politely waving off Molly when she beckons him over to come have some of the pie she baked. He'd very pointedly eaten Lily's food in solidarity, but his stomach isn't too happy about it. He stops short when he catches sight of familiar messy black hair by the swings. Huddled closely with bushy brown hair. 
Harry leans in as Granger chatters in his ear about something, then he jerks back, laughing. As Remus watches, Harry beckons to Ron who's waiting in line for the swings. The redhead slouches over, scowl on his face and ears red as Harry pulls them both into a huddle. Remus stares, frozen, trying to convince himself of what he's seeing when a familiar voice speaks over his shoulder. Ready to go, sunshine? Sirius stands behind him, hands in his pockets with his usual casual slouch that somehow looks both bored and elegant. Remus blinks. There's a smudge of dirt on his forehead, the only noticeable change in his appearance since he left. I, uh, is everything all right? Remus eyes the dirt. It's gray, actually. Maybe ash. Is, is hell okay? Not a sentence he ever thought he would say, but here he is, hoping Sirius isn't letting hell fall apart by just being here. Sirius shrugs. Hell is hell. I've got twenty minutes, let's make them count. Remus laughs in exasperation as Sirius pulls him by the wrist back towards the house. Wait, wait. Twenty minutes. Barely enough time for one round of you. What happened? You said something was collapsing. Sirius. The insistent tugging on Remus's wrist halts with his firm tone. Sirius whirls around, looking rather put upon and sullen. And I've fixed it now. It's not important. Remus lowers his voice to a whisper, although it's not necessary with the children and parents starting to gather around the long table on the porch, now that James has brought out the cake. It sounds like something you should be worried about. Is it, is it because you've been spending time here, with me? Remus feels Lily's eyes on his back, but he can't tear himself away. Watching emotions flicker over Sirius's face, he can tell when the facade crumbles. I don't know what's happening, all right? But I don't care. I'd rather be here than surrounded by fire and doomed souls and whiny, shitty little demons who don't understand anything. Sirius pauses and glances back at the table at the exact moment that a kid vomits. Ugh. Well, not here. But you know, with you. Oh. Uh. Oh? Don't say it like that. I just mean hell is fucking boring and we're having fun. Aren't we? With you. So it is kind of Remus's fault. Which isn't good. At least he doesn't think it's good. What with the kingdom that Sirius is supposed to be ruling falling apart. But he has to suppress a smile at the thought of being someone's highest priority. It's selfish, he knows and it's not a feeling he knows very well. It's addictive. I like having you around too, Remus admits, pushing down the urge to ask him to just stay, stay forever and to hell with hell. But surely there'll be consequences if you're not running hell like you're supposed to. Look, you spend all your time here. What if I come with you sometime? Insane. Stupid. Idiotic. That's what that idea is. Remus ignores the voice screaming in his head that this is a terrible idea. He doesn't want to go to hell, not when he's dead and certainly not when he's alive. He ignores it because wanting to be with Sirius, all of him, even the not-so-pleasant parts of him, means this. Seeing him for who he is, in his element, understanding his world. Sirius stares, frozen and bewildered, for so long that Remus wonders if he's dialed out and listening to demons again. But then Sirius swallows and says carefully, You'd hate it. It's not a nice place. Oh no, shame. I always wanted to retire there. I know it's not a nice place, but it's your home. I'd like to see it. 
Remus shifts his weight and tries to steady his voice, to make this more of a casual request. Just bring me along for a tour, and less. I want to know every last thing about you, the good, the bad, and the downright evil. If it's not too much trouble, of course. But you really wouldn't like it. Sirius presses. Is he sweating? Lots of unhappy souls. I mean, it's hell. And you never get the smell out of your nose, and there's demons everywhere. If you think I'm rude, well. I don't care. You will. You underestimate me. Sirius hesitates, eyes raking over Remus's face, like he's trying to peel back the layers. I do. You're not what I thought you were when we first met. Then take me with you. I can handle it, Remus says simply. Truthfully, he doesn't know if he can. But Sirius isn't the only one that's underestimated him, and this feels like he's hovering over a precipice, and there are parts of himself on the other side that he can't help but be curious about. Sirius takes half a step back, eyebrows drawing together. I'm not. I'm different when I'm with you. Down there I'm. I'm the devil. I have to be, they'll start a coup at the first sign of weakness. Not that I care, but then I'd have to kill them all and it takes forever to create an army of demons. I don't want to start from scratch. Sirius rubs the back of his neck and glances away. I don't want you to see me like that. He finishes quietly. Six months ago, Remus wouldn't have pushed. He respects boundaries and limits. But he needs Sirius to understand. The gifts and the miracles all amount to nothing in comparison to actually knowing Sirius, all of him. Behind them, a child shouts something that doesn't quite carry all the way down to them at the bottom of the garden, and Remus glances back. Ron and Harry are cackling, clinging to James's arms and he's stumbling dramatically, pretending to collapse under their weight. As Remus watches, Harry reaches out to Granger and she grins ear to ear, yanking at his wrist to help pull James down. Remus turns to find Sirius still staring at him, concern in his narrowed gray eyes. You said something to Harry, didn't you? Remus accuses calmly. Sirius arches an eyebrow at the change of subject. Told him to practice his feints. Kid can't bluff for shit. About Granger. Sirius looks past Remus at James pulled to his knees, laughing as Harry takes advantage and leaps on his back, hollering. You think so? You said something. Remus insists, gaze catching on that smear of ash on Sirius's forehead again. He reaches up and smooths it away with his thumb. My point is, you're not all bad. And I don't care who you have to be for others because you're this with me. The kind of fallen angel that gives a lonely little child some friends and pretends that he had nothing to do with it. Sirius hisses as if Remus has said something scandalous, and Remus chuckles, rolling his eyes. Relax, I wouldn't tell any of your demons about it. As far as I'm concerned, you're evil, so very appallingly evil. Sirius's eyebrows furl further, and he shifts from foot to foot, thinking hard. All right, fine. He breathes finally, folding his arms. You can come with me. But tell me as soon as it gets too much. Should we have a safe word? What about, Holy Communion? You're the worst. I'm afraid that's your job, darling. Sirius huffs, but a smile tugs at the corner of his mouth. Remus reaches for his hand without thinking, surprised to find himself gently pulling Sirius back towards the house, hands clasped in full view of the crowd around the table, waiting for the birthday song to start. Sirius allows himself to be pulled along, 
silent for a moment as they make the trek. The potter's backyard is ridiculous. I only brought it up because of you. Sirius grumbles suddenly, one hand in his pocket. What? I only told Harry to give the girl a chance because you worry about it too much. Sirius elaborates, looking very much like he wishes he was doing no such thing. You're such a worrier. You know how many times I've had to listen to you fretting over it in my head? Just trying to get you to quit yapping about it. Is that so? Remus smiles. Ch. Remus squeezes his hand and catches Lily's eye as she emerges from the house with a handful of candles and a grin that widens to see him hand in hand with Sirius. What do you think, oh most evil one, one slice of cake and then show me hell? For the living know that they shall die, but the dead know not anything, either have they any more a reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Ecclesiastes 9 verse 5 Sirius watches, shifting uneasily as Remus silently mouths the words carved into the stone over the towering gates. There's a tiny crease between his eyebrows. I put it there a long time ago for religious types. Sirius hastens to explain. I haven't renovated recently. He chuckles encouragingly but Remus's gaze dips to the pillars hewn into the cliff wall, stopping as they reach the cracks, and Sirius's chuckle peters off. Come on. Sirius ushers Remus towards the doors with a hand on his lower back. You get to use the guest entrance. Sirius leads Remus through the doors, and after a moment Remus turns and Sirius's tension eases slightly because now he can clearly see the little crease between Remus's eyebrows and it's his I'm listening closely expression, not his eye severely disapprove of this expression. They're painfully similar. Guest entrance. How do people usually enter hell? Remus asks as the massive doors slowly creak open. A tumble down the rabbit hole. Sirius replies vaguely, leaving out the little detail of the torture along the way. Come to think of it, he threw this all together a long time ago and hasn't reviewed it since. It's a little dated if he's honest with himself but he hasn't cared about anything for so long, drifting through his duties and scrounging the earth for something, anything that piqued his interest and distracted from the eternal boredom, that hell is still stuck in the dark ages. And what a time that was. They enter through the doors and stop at a crossroads amidst an empty wasteland of sand, the cobbled path extending as far as the eye can see. The sun beats down on them from behind a thin layer of smoke that permanently blankets the sky, and heat rises from the ground. Sirius leads Remus down the path by the hand, glancing over to see him wiping sweat off his forehead with the sleeve of one of the jumpers he wears everywhere. It's like one day he decided to forego his youth and start dressing like a fifty-year-old professor. The sort of professor that half of his university class would have a raging hard-on for but he remains oblivious. Sirius looks into the distance. You know, I haven't used this entrance since I brought Dante for a little tour. Let's skip the walking for miles bit. He squeezes Remus's hand and their next step falls on the same path but about sixty miles on, where a castle suddenly looms ahead. Remus stares up in awe, neck craning back and mouth slightly open. I built this not long after I first fell. Sirius explains as they approach. Castles were all the rage then. Remus glances back at the path. Is there more to see out here? We can continue the tour later, if you still want to. I have a meeting, but I can show you around the castle. Of course. Remus pauses and then says in a rush. What sort of meeting? Can you talk about it? It's bloody dull. 
Bunch of demons arguing over what to do about the state of hell. But you can see it if you want. If that's all the same to them. They don't get a say. Sirius chuckles dryly. You're my guest and if you want to watch a boring board meeting then so be it. They enter through the enormous wooden, double doors and Remus blinks in the gloom of the foyer, human eyes adjusting to the candlelight. Sirius has been meaning to renovate, put some electric lights in, get rid of the blood stains on the rug. But time got away from him and he hasn't had guests in centuries. He hurriedly waves a hand and lights more candles that line the walls and hang from the ceiling. Remus drops his hand and spins slowly in the center of the cavernous room, looking interestedly at the paintings hung on the walls. Ah, Salvador Dolly's most recent works. Post-mortem, of course. Sirius grins to remember how much the angry little man protested. No human's ever seen them before. Remus turns back to him, surprised. Dolly's here. Of course he is. I commissioned these and then threw him into the pit. The shit he did to women and animals is only half the story. The guy's an asshole. Ha! Huh. Come on, we've got some time. I'll show you my collection. They walk through endless halls, littered with various precious things that Sirius has collected, pilfered and bargained, over time. Ancient Greek statues that historians thought lost to time, suits of armor worn by some of the greatest, and worst, warriors through the ages, crowns and scepters from monarchs long fallen, some still stained with blood. Remus stops to marvel at them all, eyes lighting up as Sirius explains the origins of each one. It's convenient that Remus is so fascinated by the details of the past. Sirius suspects that's what allows him to overlook the sordid details to appreciate the moment in time that it represents. Typical history buff. They have only scratched the surface of the castle's many rooms. Sirius added rooms when he started collecting and now not even he's sure how many there are. But Sirius can feel the mutters of the demons growing restless as they argue upstairs and he has one last thing he wants to show Remus first. A hand on the small of Remus's back guides him through an unassuming door, one that Sirius seldom uses these days. Sirius hears a catch of breath and can't help but grin in triumph, waving a hand as the candles sputter to life. Hell's Library Every book that was ever coveted, every scroll that ever burned. The soft, orange glow of the candles reflects in Remus's wide eyes and shadows flicker over his face, slack with wonder. As he steps further between the shelves lining the walls, more candles light, leading a trail of fire up to the high arching ceilings, and down the hall, illuminating endless shelves extending into the distance. He lets out a breathless, disbelieving laugh, eyes roving over the books, hands twitching as if he longs to reach for them. In this light, in every light, he's beautiful. Sirius knows Remus doesn't see it. He's endured him talking about himself like he's the most plain, uninteresting-looking human on earth enough times to know he's completely unaware of his own allure. But it couldn't be further from the truth. Remus smiles, open and warm and full of awe, and Sirius is lost, once again drawn into the sheer brightness of him the gentle glow that's so hard to look away from. Sirius was first intrigued by the brightness of his soul, shining like a supernova condensed into one tall, lanky human. Now Sirius's gaze hungrily rakes over his human features. The way his light brown hair falls in his eyes when he dips his head to look at books on low shelves, the slightly crooked left incisor when he smiles, the faint scar on his lower lip from getting into a fight in high school trying to protect a cat from boys throwing stones at it.
The eyes that Remus thinks are dull brown, but in soft light they remind Sirius of the oak tree that he likes to visit, that stands tall in Sheffield Park, planted on the birth of King Henry IV, and still it grows, oblivious to the world that bustles around it. How long he's known the tree, greets it like an old friend. How quickly the brown of Remus's eyes replaced it as one of his favorite parts of this world. Beautiful, isn't it? Sirius swallows, gesturing blindly at the books. Magnificent. Remus breathes, eyes straining to see the very top of the shelves. They stroll between the shelves, Remus pausing every few paces to examine dusty books and scrolls, Sirius translating the titles as half of them are in languages that haven't been spoken on earth in hundreds of years. Sirius makes a mental note to have a demon translate them. He's never had a reason to before but he has a feeling that Remus could spend years poring over the books in this room. Anything that makes hell more palatable for him. And this one. Sirius obliges, stepping closer to peer at the title etched into a cracked spine of the book. The Letters and Musings of Grigory Rasputin. Long live the mad monk. Sirius translates. Bit of a rambling mess, in my opinion. I'd skip it. I can give you some recommendations. You mean I can read them? The English ones? Don't be daft. Of course you can. I'll have whatever you want to read translated. Remus's smile grows and he turns to run a finger along the spine of another book. Sirius watches him for another moment, aching to stay and watch him gently glow here in this place Sirius knew he would love, his presence a calming oasis in a land of dry hunger and thirst but he has to reluctantly usher him along as the voices of the demons hiss and grumble overhead. Sorry to cut it short, they're wetting themselves up there. But we can come back, I'll bring you back whenever you want. I'd like that. Remus looks back longingly at the room as they exit through a side door, then turns to Sirius. You're sure it will be alright? Me coming with you? I told you, they don't get a say. But it won't cause problems for you. Nothing I can't fix with fire. Sirius grins reassuringly, leading him up some stairs. The little crinkle between Remus's eyebrows deepens. They make their way up to one of the higher floors of the castle, where it's brighter and boasts a little more modern comforts, the parts of Sirius's home that he actually frequents. Sirius pauses outside the boardroom door, one hand on the handle and the other lingering on Remus's sleeve. Just. Sirius swallows thinking hard as voices grumble through the hardwood door. Tap me or something if you want to go. They can be a little. Much sometimes. All the time. Remus raises an eyebrow and amusement bleeds through his voice. You came with me to a nine-year-old's birthday party. I can handle this. Famous last words. I'm kidding. Sirius chuckles uneasily and clears his throat. He can't remember the last time he was this nervous. Right. He tries again swinging open the door. Let me introduce you to the lords of hell. Ambusias, Lilith, Abigar, Baal, Beelzebub, Citri, and Belphegor, the seven lords of hell, sit at the long table in the well-lit room, and they immediately fall into hushed silence and spin to face the door when he enters the room. They look the part, Sirius supposes, trying to look at them with fresh eyes, the way Remus must be seeing them for the first time. Some of them, like Beelzebub and Abigor seem to relish modern media's depiction of demons, having allowed their forms to char and burn, with pointed teeth and long, gnarled claws for hands. A bit cliché in Sirius's opinion. 
But then there's others like Lilith, Citri and Bale who look like perfectly normal humans, preferring to keep their human forms even in hell, distinguishable as demons only by the black of their eyes. You can quit your griping. Sirius draws in greeting, effortlessly falling back into the version of himself that rules hell. Daddy's home. He strolls into the room, haughtily drawing himself to his full height. Even so, all pairs of beady, black demon eyes are on Remus, following behind him. Sirius waves a hand carelessly in his direction. I'm giving a tour to Remus here, don't mind him. Now. He's a living human. Beelzebub pipes up, sniffing the air with his snake-like nostril slits. Yes. He does not belong here. Abigor booms in his deep baritone. Lucifer, what is the meaning of this? Sirius slowly turns towards Abigor, movements smooth and deliberate as he approaches, relishing in the flicker of nervousness on the demon's face. Tell me, Abigor, do you think I answer to you? Sirius asks softly. The demon lowers his eyes and mumbles down at the table. No, my lord. Then keep your fucking mouth shut unless I tell you to speak. Sirius hisses venomously glaring around the room to make it clear that the command applies to everyone. Silent, cowed faces blink down at the table and Sirius strides back to the head of table, pulling up a chair next to him, patting it invitingly. Remus slowly lowers himself into it, looking at the demons around the table with a carefully polite expression. He's a little pale but otherwise he hides his emotions well, which is wise in the present company. Right, you lot. Sirius addresses the table. I've had to listen to your whining and pleading for weeks now. What? What's the big problem? What's so urgent and pressing that you couldn't handle yourselves? Lords of Hell. Sirius sneers. A meaningless title for a bunch of useless, lazy shits. I should throw you all back into the pit where you came from. The demons glance at each other, the silence deafening. Sirius rolls his eyes. Honestly, from one command to the next they get confused. No wonder things are falling apart. Speak, he barks. The, the pillars. Beelzebub starts, wringing his hands. Fixed already. Sirius bites. Next. The pit, my lord. Belphegor mutters in her whispery voice, her pale, blotchy skin dotted with sweat. It's reaching breaking point, too many souls in the same place. Perhaps if you... Sirius leans forward towering over the table menacingly. Then find somewhere to put them. Next. But my lord. Beelzebub tries again, his voice reedy and quivering. We cannot presume what punishments you wish to subject the souls to. You must. I must? No, no, I did not mean to. Lucifer, if I may. Bale interrupts Beelzebub, with his calm, even tone. The most reasonable of the lot, and one of the oldest, He's adopted the role of Sirius's advisor so Sirius pauses to listen. I think what Beelzebub is trying to say is there are honorable duties reserved for yourself, handed down by the Christian God and we would not presume to perform them for you, lest we do so poorly. The demons shuffle uncomfortably and Sirius raises an eyebrow for Bale to continue. You have been spending much of your time on the surface, Bale says carefully, but his meaning is clear when he glances quickly at Remus. Perhaps if you were to explain. What I do with my time doesn't concern you. Sirius replies curtly, painfully aware of Remus's presence at his side. He doesn't move or speak and Sirius chances a glance his way. The crinkle between his brows is a canyon now. Fuck it.
This human belongs with me and that's all you need to know. Sirius admits between gritted teeth. He may be joining me in this realm at times and if any of you even thinks about laying a finger on him or question his presence, I will find a new, very personal way to bring you pain for all of eternity. The demons blink and crane their necks to look at Remus in varying states of surprise and curiosity. Is he one of his? Belphegor hisses the last word, and Sirius knows it to mean God. Before he can answer, Remus speaks, voice firm and steady. No, definitely not. Beelzebub, who is nearest to Remus, wriggles to the edge of his seat and leans across the table eagerly, sharp claws digging into the surface. You are not of the flock, but your soul is so bright, the brightest I've seen in hell. Sirius rounds on him and Beelzebub shrinks back in his seat. A surge of rage threatens to burn Sirius's throat, and he doesn't bother keeping it out of his voice when he growls. Keep your eyes off his soul, I'll fucking burn them out of your head. Apologies, my lord. That goes for all of you. Sirius turns back to the table. Hands, claws, eyes off the human. He's met with subdued silence and rolls his shoulders, shaking off the image of any of these demons looking at Remus and seeing what he does, willing the rage to subside. Fucking hell, can we get off the topic of my personal life? He sighs, suddenly feeling his age, thousands of years worth of weariness settling into his bones. What he'd give to just be lounging on Remus's couch right now, listening to him mumble to himself as he marks homework, getting up every so often to make tea and absently run his fingers through Sirius's hair as he waits for the kettle to boil. Bliss. Sirius wearily drops into his own seat beside Remus and points at Bale. You, go. What's so urgent? The black eyes scan his face for a moment, as if they see something unexpected and then Bale's expression smooths into neutrality. It is simple, my lord. Your power is needed to keep hell stable. It appears that the Christian God designed hell to function only in your presence. With your continued absence, we will not be able to contain the pit, it will overflow, and the damned masses will run amok in hell, perhaps in time, even manage to escape to the surface. Sirius scratches his chin, considering. Doesn't sound great. A few more hours of the day spent in this realm, Overseeing the upkeep should be enough to hold it together for now. For now? The pit, Abigor insists. It swells every day. It was designed for the torment of yourself and the fallen angels. It was not designed to house so many souls. So I'll make another pit. God did it. Can't be that hard. This is not the only issue. Bale intones seriously. Some souls are becoming immune to the torments of the pit. Around the table, the demons fidget, glancing at each other. Bale reaches for the large stone basin filled with water, sunken into the center of the table. As his finger touches the surface, a ripple runs across the water, revealing an image of a man strung up by the wrists in the pit of fire, covered in burns, cuts, bruises of every shape and size. He snarls with pointed teeth at demons that approach and laughs, shaking back his matted, gray hair as they jerk back. Sirius watches, uninterested. A particularly twisted human soul that's become accustomed to the pit. Unusual, but not exactly groundbreaking. So, Sirius leans back in his chair, rocking it back. Remus twitches next to him. He is not being punished. Abigor explains, scandalized. He is enjoying it. Souls are here for reckoning, to suffer. He is a prime candidate to become a demon. Belphegor grins, showing pointed, graying teeth. 
He was a most vile human on earth. What did he do? His name is Fenria Greyback. Bale replies in his smooth monotone. A murderer of children. I believe he also dismembered and perhaps cannibalized some. He's in Beelzebub's department. Beelzebub licks his lips, grinning. Indeed, a most despicable soul. And the sick fuck is burning for eternity. Failing to see the problem. Sirius draws, tipping his head back. Remus twitches again. Sirius glances over, raising his eyebrows to see Remus's whole face crumpled in an almighty frown. Ah, of course, kids. A weak spot in an already kind and caring heart. This is partly why he didn't want Remus to see this. The worst of humanity inevitably ends up here. If you deem him worthy, we could use another demon to man the pit. Bale nods to Sirius. Before Sirius can reply, Remus's voice sharply cuts through the muttering of the demons. You're going to reward such a person. Seven pairs of black eyes blink in his direction and a wave of fondness washes over Sirius to see Remus meet them with a stubbornly clenched jaw and straight back. Bale recovers from his shock first, replying slowly. If he cannot be punished, then... I see, so you're admitting defeat. Remus nods as if suddenly understanding. It's too hard to outwit him. Sirius has to use all his power to suppress a grin as all seven demons mutter and hiss their outrage. You speak of matters you do not understand. Admitting defeat, we are the lords of hell. A human telling us. Sirius allows it for a moment, relishing their bewildered rage. But he wants to see where Remus is going with this so he drops his chair back down to all four legs with a thud and roars. Quiet. The complaints trail off and Remus shoots him a tight smile before he addresses the table calmly. I mean no offense. Liar. I was just surprised that demons in such high esteem as yourselves would not be able to find a way for someone to pay the dues. We have tried for many years. Bale says dolefully, eyes flickering between Remus and Sirius. He has resisted everything hell has to offer. Perhaps a fresh pair of eyes such as yourself could do better. It's suggested politely, but Sirius knows his advisor well enough to hear the sarcasm in his tone. Remus frowns down at the stone basin where Greyback continues to laugh and struggle against his restraints. Sirius opens his mouth to tell Bale to fuck off and think of something himself when Remus abruptly leans forward and says brightly, I might have an idea. You what? Falls out of Sirius's mouth before he can stop it. He feels seven pairs of eyes on him, and he twists his torso towards Remus so he can mutter quietly to him. You don't have to, he's just being a prick. Remus shakes his head, eyes still fixed on the basin. If anyone deserves hell it's him. He finally tears his gaze away to look at Sirius. I know you said you don't bring people back to life but what if the person doesn't have to be alive? Intense white light shines directly into Fenrir's eyes and he tries to turn his face away. Only he can't. It doesn't feel like he's tied in place but he can't move his head at all. He tries to shut his eyes or blink but they're stuck wide open and staring up at the fluorescent bulb, like every muscle in his body is frozen. Only a moment ago he'd been in the fires of hell, surrounded by piss-weak little demons, but now he's staring up at fluorescent lighting and... Glow in the dark stars? I bagged the bike. Don't push me, Ria. You can't bat, Mrs. Cor said. Whoa, where do you get this thing? It's ugly, yuck. 
Fenrir's vision spins as he's flung into the air, as easily as if he weighs no more than a small toy. The ground rushes towards him, and he screams but no sound comes out. He tries to catch himself before he hits the ground but his limbs flail uselessly in the wind. Splat. Kill. It's stretchy. Fenrir screams louder as a grinning child grabs his arm and leg and pulls sharply. It hurts, fuck, it's the worst thing he's ever felt, like the pain doubles as his limbs stretch, elastic and rubbery. I want to go. You have the bike, this one's mine. Give it. The fluorescent light buzzes dimly overhead, and it's all Fenrir can see as he's pulled between two children, his rubbery limbs stretched to capacity. The scream in Fenrir's head stretches with them into one endless roar of outrage and pain. So much pain. But he's dead. He's sure he's dead. He remembers being strapped down to the cold bench, the vivid green of the lethal injection, the crying faces of the families of his victims watching. He remembers dying. How is this hurting so much? Give it, Tommy. I want to see how flat it can get. Fenrir is hurled against the wall and he feels his limbs flatten against the bricks with an undignified splat. Twin peals of laughter rise over Fenrir's scream and this is hell. He doesn't know what the fire and torture was supposed to be before, but surely this must be hell, his whole body aching like all of his non-existent bones are broken and he's filled with pure rage at being laughed at. Some demon has a very twisted sense of justice, some eye for an eye shit, because this is fucking brutal. Here, I'm stronger, let me try. Splat. Throw it off the stairs. It's so squishy. What do you reckon it's made of? Do you have scissors? The lords of hell cackle and jeer over the basin, where Greyback hangs in the hand of a child, in his new reality as a stretchy gorilla toy that swings wildly as the kids race to find out what his insides look like. His continued screams emanate faintly from the water, almost inaudible over the excited chattering of the demons. A most excellent punishment. Ingenious. Far better than anything you have come up with. Beelzebub, you've lost your touch. Didn't see your methods working, Lilith. Your department is hardly better. Sirius looks away from the squabble and finds Remus looking a little pale again but his hands are steady, clasped neatly on the table, face betraying no emotion. Brilliant, sunshine. Sirius murmurs, bursting with pride and admiration, but he can sense Remus's internal conflict in the way his eyes are fixed firmly forwards, avoiding the basin. You all right in there? Remus nods slowly, hand twitching as if he longs to reach out and take Sirius's. He hesitates. He deserves it, right? Greyback does deserve it, there's no doubt in Sirius's mind. The guy was a serial killer and fucking cannibal who never scrounged up a pinch of remorse. As bad as they come. Sirius slides closer, hand searching for Remus's knee under the table and squeezing reassuringly. He deserves every bit of it. He only got prosecuted for half of his victims, took the names of the others to his grave. The guy's a fucking monster. Sirius pauses, voice softening at seeing the uncertainty flicker through brown eyes. You're doing good. Sunshine. A sharp huff of laughter bursts out of Remus, and he smothers it, ducking his head. I don't know if I should be pleased that the reigning monarch of hell thinks I'm doing good. Hey, if anyone knows bad it's me, and trust me, you're not it. Not even close. 
Remus bites his lip, still looking at his lap. He says haltingly, It doesn't feel wrong. It feels good. That's bad, right? Again, not sure why I'm asking you, but... The way I look at it, Sirius intercedes, waving away the constant questioning of his moral character. Things aren't split into good and bad, but... Morality is gray, I get that. But that's the thing. Sirius presses. People who are considered bad are my entire existence, well, apart from you. And I can tell you some people are just bad. There wasn't a single ounce of good in Greyback. No gray. Ha, gray. Remus's mouth twitches with a smile and Sirius just wants to kiss him. Here, anywhere, he doesn't care who sees or what the demons might think because Remus smiles for him and it's the sun. It's the first ray of sunlight he ever felt at the dawn of time. And what is any of this compared to having the sun beam at him with such fondness? But demon voices break through Sirius's days as they clamor for Remus's attention, and the moment is gone. An enviable imagination. Beelzebub trills, scuttling towards them, pausing only when Sirius glares as he gets a little too close. Perhaps I could borrow the human for another resistant soul, if my lord. Remus stiffens and Sirius immediately shoots it down. There'll be no borrowing. He's not a fucking car. Ah, maybe if he could just cast his eyes. You've had your turn, stink. Belphegor elbows him out of the way, leering at Remus. I could use some fresh eyes in my department, if it pleases the Dark Lord. The pit would be a better use of his time. Bale interjects, stroking his chin thoughtfully. Maybe if... Enough. Sirius roars, leaping to his feet, and the demons scatter back to their seats. He glares around at them and he's about to tell them to fuck off and quit bothering Remus when Remus speaks up himself, in his usual even tone that betrays nothing. Perhaps I can be of some assistance. Sirius swivels in surprise. What? He lowers his voice to a murmur. You don't have to. I'd like to help if I can. Sirius. Sirius blinks at the words whispered into his mind. Remus is praying to him. Let me help. You've done so much for me, this is the least I can do. It's their responsibility. Sirius insists, sweeping a hand at the table where the demons listen intently. Don't feel obligated because they're too stupid to figure out their own work. Maybe I can make things better. Fairer, let me try. Sirius pauses. He's not wrong. It does feel more just that someone like Greyback is currently writhing in agony instead of being rewarded because the demons couldn't figure out what to do with him and Sirius couldn't bring himself to care what happened to him. But Remus, Remus cares. He applies the same logical, careful thought to this that he does to everything, with a generous dash of ingenuity and creativity that Sirius has never bothered to apply to his duties. In the very beginning he relished punishing the sinful humans, sure. But truthfully, he lost interest long ago, and has been just going through the motions for centuries. Today is the first time in his recent memory that he actually feels like there's some purpose to all of this, to anything. And it's all because of Remus. The silence draws on and Sirius can feel the demons waiting with bated breath. Remus smiles reassuringly. The color has come back into his cheeks a little more and Sirius's resistance crumbles. If you're sure. I am. Sirius turns back to the demons, some of whom are on the edge of their seats, but all watch eagerly. He inclines his head in Remus's direction for him to take the floor and sits down next to him. 
Remus turns and smiles pleasantly at Belphegor. Excuse me, Belphegor was it? What would you like me to take a look at? It's probably the nicest she's been spoken to in decades. Her pitch black eyes blink, mouth gaping, and is she blushing? Sirius snorts and Belphegor jerks back to herself, hastily reaching over to dab at the water in the basin. This human has been a thorn in my side for years. Sirius watches, chin in his hand, unshakable grin on his face as Remus desperately tries to explain what it's like to be stuck in a traffic jam to Citri, an ancient demon who refuses to venture to the surface and hasn't seen Earth since roads were invented. And then they drop it down to one lane. Lanes of what? Cars. Why are they in lanes? I don't. Ah, uh, I suppose so the cars don't crash into each other. Then they are unsuccessful. You have just stated there was a crash. It's not about the lanes, Citri. Maybe we should get off lanes. We are not on any lanes, human. Okay, maybe I can draw it. Here. A word, my lord. Bale murmurs in Sirius's ear and Sirius hums in acknowledgement, eyes still glued to the carefully patient smile on Remus's face, filing this away as a new favorite memory. Will the human, will Remus be joining us in the future? Citri crossly jabs at something Remus has drawn on a piece of paper, and Remus's fixed smile falters, betraying just the slightest hint of frustration. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. If he wants to. Sirius grins absently. Why? He has been most helpful, Bale replies slowly, like he's choosing his words carefully. Sirius hums again, waiting for him to get to the point, his impatience mellowed because Remus is trying to explain merging and there's a bead of sweat at his temple, and this is so much fun. Bale deliberates silently, and then continues. You are much changed. His presence calms you. Sirius finally tears his eyes away and stares incredulously at his unofficial advisor, a being that's known him since he first began tempting the humans centuries ago, as far back as he can clearly remember. The black eyes stare right through him, emotionless and chillingly perceptive. Sirius decides not to deny it. So, what of it? So I am glad. It is high time you found your right hand. My what? Your counterpart, Paramore confident. Every ruler needs one such as this. I don't. He is not what I expected. Bale blinks as Remus circles something on the paper repeatedly, smiling tightly as Citri looks on, unimpressed. But a fine choice. Sirius grits his teeth, trying to think of something to say but nothing feels right. He wants to say that that's insane because Remus would never. But Remus is. He's sitting here in hell trying with every fiber of his being to explain why traffic jams should feature in hell because he's trying to give it purpose and some sense of his idea of good. Justice, morality, atonement. Remus is trying to reconcile their worlds. But it doesn't mean that Remus wants to be his right hand or counterpart, or whatever. I don't need a right hand. Sirius bites out finally. I've done fine by myself all these years. Of course. And nobody uses Paramore anymore. Oh, I have not surfaced for many years. Is lover more appropriate? Beloved, perhaps? Stop. Just stop talking. Bail. Fucking hell. Apologies, my lord. They sit in uncomfortable silence for far too long, and it's a blessed relief when Citri suddenly shouts gleefully, 
punching Abigor's arm and sliding the paper along the table to show him Remus's diagram. Remus's eyes crinkle at the corners and his grin is equal parts relieved and bemused. He makes eye contact with Sirius and Sirius's stomach swoops in a sensation that's entirely too human, Bale's words rattling around in his head and knocking loose some very dangerous desires. Remus at his side forever, ruling beside him, the long stretch of eternity suddenly no longer a life sentence of eternal punishment, but something to look forward to. So this is what love feels like. Fuck. Chapter 10. The Middle What is hell? I maintain that it is the suffering of being unable to love. Fyodor Dostoevsky When do you finish? Hell is unbearable without you. Remus finds the note on his desk, written on crisp parchment in elegant script, when he turns from writing up fractions on the whiteboard. He rubs a hand over his face, giving himself time to hide his smile. You can work together for these problems. He encourages his students once he's wrestled down his smile. Ron and Harry immediately lean in towards Hermione, blinking owlishly at her pen flying like lightning over her workbook. But there will be homework on these tonight so copying won't help. Talk about how you would solve it with your neighbor. The boys' faces fall as Hermione immediately launches into a detailed explanation of how she got her answer. Remus turns back to the note. While it made him smile, it really isn't necessary. Sirius knows when he finishes work, unless it's by pure coincidence that he's been appearing a few minutes after the school bell has rung every day for the past four weeks. Remus thinks he probably should return to his own apartment at some point, but it seems so quiet and empty these days. It's been months since he first made the trip downstairs and visiting Sirius in hell a few times a week has steadily turned into every day, the rooms of the castle becoming more familiar to him than his own kitchen in his dusty, cold apartment. He doesn't even bat an eye anymore when he walks out of the library to find a fang-toothed, weirdly wrinkled, pint-sized demon skulking outside the door, dutifully waiting to tell him that His Royal Highness Lucifer wants to know what you would like for dinner. Remus had asked Sirius about the varied appearances of the demons. So far the oddest one he's seen had a face attached to the back of its head, which mumbled darkly to itself while it swept the halls. When asked, Sirius had shrugged and said, Honestly, I was just fucking around when I made the last few. What? You don't like them? I can make better looking ones. No, no. Remus protested hastily, glancing down at the demon with a face like a dried up prune glaring up resentfully at Sirius who hadn't noticed or didn't care. There, lovely, they've got character. What about Indian for dinner? Remus tucks the note into his pocket and sends a quick prayer Sirius's way. I'll be done in about forty. I'll be in the classroom. This isn't really necessary either. Sirius shows up when Remus finishes work every day, rolling his eyes, complaining about politicians, cults, and demons. He holds out a hand to take Remus back to hell and when Remus takes his hand, he leaves his life as a teacher behind and enters the world where he's something else. Something he doesn't quite have a word for. In hell he offers suggestions when one of the lords of hell appears with a problem and they stare at him with those unnerving, glittering black eyes as if mentally recording his words. In hell he's an architect, a writer, a director, 
able to flex his creative muscles in a way he's never been able to unearth, and the demons eat up every idea as if starving. Over the past few months, Remus has watched as a kingdom is rebuilt around him, born from his own concepts. The circle of hell that deals with souls prone to cruelty is entirely him. He called it the never-ending work day and Sirius had snickered, asking if he'd had to teach maths that day. The lords of hell titter excitedly over his work, and he's slowly managed to shed the guilt of being so good at something bad. Because it's not bad, at least not all bad. He's met people like the ones being punished in some of the areas of hell, and he'd always wondered if those people ever got what was coming to them. People who hurt others. Did they ever feel regret or remorse or face a reckoning? Now he can be certain that they do, because they'll end up in a hell of his design. He mentioned his unease over his newfound taste for vindictive justice to Sirius one day. The person I was a year ago would be horrified at what I'm doing, Remus said in surprise, struck by a moment of clarity in the middle of describing his idea for the new eternal job interview section of hell. I don't even recognize myself. Sirius leaned back in his chair, grinning and flicking back his hair. You're telling me, I went to a kid's football match. And he had. Crowing from the stands of the local field, shouting encouragement to Harry along with the Potters and Remus, as Harry deftly intercepted the ball in his first game. After the game, Harry had sat between Sirius and James, head twisting back and forth between them as if he were at a tennis match unable to keep the grin off his face as his role models waxed on about how well he'd played. Remus visualized it as two colors of paint being poured onto a canvas. There are parts that remain entirely one color, wholly themselves, but somewhere in the middle they blended and shades of red and blue have swirled together to become something new. Sirius has molded himself into Remus's life and Remus to his. There were parts that didn't quite fit like a piece of a puzzle that almost slotted perfectly into place, if it were only for that sharp edge. Remus bumped into that edge with a sickening crunch the day he discovered the gray hair. It was just one. Lurking at his left temple, mostly hidden by his curl pattern and natural highlights. But it was there. And once he saw it, he couldn't stop seeing it. He found himself covering his temple with his hand under the guise of adjusting his hair whenever Sirius drifted too close. The unwelcome reminder of mortality, and the reality of aging next to a being who was described in one of the books of Hell's library as the seal of perfection, perfect in beauty. And perfect he'll remain, while Remus grows old. It's a sobering thought to keep bumping into and it's not one he can run from, especially with today being his thirtieth birthday. He'd been surprised to say the least this morning when Sirius had appeared out of thin air next to him, while he was showering with a cheerful. If it isn't the birthday boy? After Remus had finished spluttering out the water he'd inhaled with his gasp, he croaked. What? How did you? Never mind, don't answer. How did I know? I told you your birthday when I first met you. That was one of the first things I ever said to you. Do you remember? Do you care? Yes, yes, that's right. Remus couldn't help but snort at the memory of Sirius in what he knew now to be Sirius's prim little formal outfit, sitting on his dining room table and setting it on fire to prove a point. I remember thinking my hallucination was so pretty. He grabbed Sirius's cheeks in his hand and squeezed them together until the displeased expression morphed into outrage, narrowly avoiding being bitten as Sirius's teeth snapped at his fingers. 
Sirius jerked his face away from Remus's grip and pointed in his face rudely. You're trying to distract me. Really? Deceiving the great deceiver, Remus, you act like you haven't read all 100,000 pages of the Bible. Surely it's not that long, Remus said doubtfully, distracted by the water running down Sirius's bare chest, chasing the droplets on their journey down with his fingertips. Although admittedly I haven't read it. It's a bit dull to be fair. Sirius agreed, pushing Remus's hands away firmly, not to be distracted. Right, your birthday. That's a big thing for humans. Fuck knows you all go nuts for the big JC's birthday, Christmas, even though it was actually in June. So yours, something informative and indoors, yes. Remus blinked water away, assaulted by the deluge of information. I ah, uh, informative and indoors sounds good. But really, serious, I've never been one for birth. How about neither? Tonight I show you how to live. Oh. Remus did his best to hide his apprehension, a thousand possibilities spinning through his mind, catching on one Sirius had mentioned a few weeks ago. Oh, no, 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 I don't really want to go to Amsterdam. The sports carnival is tomorrow and I have to help with athletics and pretend I don't hate sport and the sun. Not Amsterdam. But close. There's drugs but just the fun kinds. You'll see. Sirius beamed flipping his sodden hair over his shoulder and splashing Remus in the face. Remus anxiously watched him go, trying to imagine what Sirius would consider living, said with such reverent vehemence. Sirius picks him up from work as usual and takes him back to hell to change into something comfortable and hot. Not wool and no vests was emphasized several times. Remus mentally thumbs through his wardrobe trying to land on something Sirius would find acceptably comfortable struggling with the hot part, and absolutely not getting caught on the thought that most of his clothes are in Sirius's closet, hanging next to the endless wall of Sirius's clothes, all different shades of black. He picks some dark jeans and a jumper that shrunk in the wash so it's more form-fitting than usual but soft to touch so it somewhat satisfies both criteria. It's a deep shade of maroon that Lily once said suits his complexion, and he thinks it must mean he looks less pale and peaky and that's as close as he can get to hot. Sirius seems to see the same thing Lily did because he does a double take when Remus emerges from the ridiculously big walk-in closet. Fuck, red suits you. Sirius breathes, gaze tracing the lines of Remus's jaw and shoulders, catching on the way his hands flex in sudden self-consciousness. Offsets my hem. Remus smiles into the impatient kiss Sirius pulls him into. A lifetime of seeing himself as plain and lanky and excruciatingly ordinary, and Sirius seems determined to spend all of eternity making him feel like his face is a priceless artwork and body a thing worthy of adoring praise. He's still not used to it. Remus pulls back with a chuckle. Lead the way. I believe you were showing me how to live. Sirius's face brightens immediately, and Remus allows himself to be pulled down the hall to the main part of the castle. On their way out, they pass Bale and Remus drags his feet to slow Sirius's insistent tugging, smiling at the demon who blinks those dead black eyes at him. Good evening, Bale. How's the latest circle of hell faring? He can't quite pause with Sirius barreling on ahead but the hall is ridiculously long and grand and they can have an entire conversation while walking in opposite directions. Remus is accustomed to it now but he was awestruck when he first visited Sirius's home, 
thinking that Sirius from a few thousand years ago must have been even more dramatic than he is now, with the tapestries depicting ancient battles covering entire walls, and enormous chandeliers hanging from the ceiling, dripping in wax. After a few weeks of tripping over uneven stones and furniture in the dark, Remus enlisted the help of some demons and had proper lighting installed and moved some of the art around so the artwork depicting the most gory and bloody battles aren't on his usual routes through the castle. Sirius offered no protest with the changes, so Remus has steadily made it a more comfortable place to live. The endless stretch of stone is now covered in rugs, the warm white light makes it feel less dark and dingy, and the added insulation means it no longer feels like walking into a freezer from the heat outside. And now there's actually a fridge in the newly renovated stainless steel kitchen, instead of a cold storage room in the bowels of the castle that smelt strongly of blood and made the hairs on the back of his neck stand up. Not that it's his to renovate. Remus isn't living here. Rather well, Bale answers in a flat tone that Remus now recognizes as pleased. The morning commute circle has greatly eased the pressure in the pit. And the addition of our, what was it, Broken air conditioning for the traffic jam was a stroke of excellence, your grace. Remus slows so he can ask Bale if he has added broken radios to the cars yet, but Sirius tightens his grip and breezes past Bale, announcing, Piss off, Bale. We've got dinner. Of course, my lord. The demon bows. Remus can't help but feel bad for Sirius's rudeness. Bale has been nothing but welcoming and respectful to him since that first meeting. The Your Grace honorific has been a bit much, but the old demon insists on it even though Remus has told him time, and time again to just use his name. When Remus had asked Sirius why Bale was so insistent, he mumbled something about Bale being old as balls and changed the topic. Just one more oddity to add to the list of demon quirks. Remus turns back to the Lord of Hell as Sirius strides ahead. I'll be back after dinner if you need anything. I brought back some of that chocolate I wanted you to try. It's on the dining table. Bale inclines his head in another bow, blinking quickly. Ah, uh, why, thank you, your grace. Don't bother us after dinner. Sirius counters over his shoulder. Humans don't work on their birthdays. It's a new thing in the last century, you won't have heard of it. Remus catches up to Sirius on his way out the enormous double doors where they'll apparate to the surface. What do you mean, I worked today? He doesn't need to know that. Sirius grins. You won't want him interrupting what I have planned when we're back. Birthday sex. Birthday sex. Happy birthday to me. What follows is without a doubt the best night of Remus's life. Birthday sex be damned. A night he thought might have involved traipsing through daring and thrill-seeking activities. All the things Sirius would think sum up living turns out to be a winding road dipping into the most remarkable moments in time. The Queen concert is first. He hasn't even figured out who's playing when he's unceremoniously crowded by Sirius's insistent pushing into the pit of sweating, screaming bodies, all dressed like they're going to a particularly convincing 80s party. He can't hear himself shouting over the crowd's thundering chants when Sirius's hands disappear briefly but then the familiar heat and weight of him is pressed against Remus's back and miraculously he can breathe a little easier, even clustered in amongst the heaving throng. Where are we? He shouts, although it's hardly necessary with Sirius's supernatural hearing. When are we? 
Sirius corrects with a grin in Remus's ear and Remus thinks perhaps Sirius's supernatural hearing has failed him and he's misheard. But then he hears the opening chords of I Want It All and his jaw drops like a trapdoor. Shouts of delight rise from the crowd, rolling in an erupting crescendo and Remus feels like his voice might be part of it but he doesn't know, doesn't know anything except for the impossible fact that that's Freddy fucking Mercury striding onto stage, in the flesh so much shorter than he pictured and about fifty times hotter. He drifts in a daze, floating in the ebb and flow of the performance, and every time Freddy dances closer to this side of the stage, his stomach swoops and he dizzily thinks this is it. He's here in history, living it. A moment in time he mentioned once longingly to Sirius when a live version of I Want to Break Free had played on the radio and Sirius had hummed his agreement, yes. The 1986 tour was fucking incredible and Remus had briefly overflowed with envy before settling for Sirius's retelling of it. And now he's standing here and they're playing Who Wants to Live Forever with painstaking heartbreak and tenderness, and it's like May and Mercury have reached into his chest and crushed his ribs, his heart stuttering feebly on the end of the lyrics, and the hairs on the back of his neck stand up when Sirius hums the chorus into his hair. They both sing along to the biggest hits and it bemuses Remus to know and that Sirius knows the lyrics to Is This the World We Created? What with it being a mournful dedication to human suffering? When a kind of magic plays, Remus feels the entirety of the song in his chest, pounding through the speakers, the crowd, and echoed by Sirius's voice joining his own as Remus forces out the lyrics in the loudest shout his throat's ever attempted, uninhibited and free. The crowd stomps and rolls in a wave of twisting, slamming bodies when Now I'm Here plays and Remus is choked by laughter, jaw aching from grinning and shouting and when Freddy sings Don't I Love Him So. With a sly grin on his handsome face, Sirius's arm tightens around Remus's waist, fingers slipping underneath his jumper and gripping his hip, and Remus's voice breaks on the returning line. Don't I love you so? When it ends on crazy little thing called love, Remus's voice is hoarse and whispery, forever enmeshed into the din of this night in 1986, and it's a miracle he can hear Sirius when he presses his mouth close to Remus's ear to half shout. There's a few encores after this but you're gonna need your energy. You ready to go? The fans squirm restlessly, cries of encore starting to rise over the steadily growing din, but Remus is still dazed and dumbly mouths. Energy. He blinks and he's standing at the outskirts of the concert, in the off-white glow cast off the merchandising trucks. The chants of encore grow in the background and his ears ring so loud that he briefly wonders if he'll ever hear properly again. He quickly decides he doesn't care, even if his hearing is ruined forever, that was worth it, that was. Incredible. He whispers hoarsely into the crisp night air, the sweat drenching his entire body cooling and making him shiver in a mixture of adrenaline and cold. Sirius beams, a shoe-in for this crowd, in his usual all-black, leather jacket, and artfully messy hair that Remus has belatedly realized is shaggy in that messy 80s way that looks terrible on anyone who isn't already attractive enough to be a rock star. You said if you had to pick a moment in time. Sirius spreads his arms smugly, and Remus begrudges not one bit of the smugness because it's been earned a thousand times over. Good choice. Sirius continues. The other ones I had to guess. Educated guess but I thought we'd start with this one. Tart. Yeah. What's a better birthday present for you than history itself? Remus's brain splits right down the middle, 
cleaved neatly in two, rendering it a soggy, useless lump. Sirius takes his hand and smiles in a way that lifts his eyes and makes them warm and kind and Remus's brain feebly attempts to knit itself back together to hear Sirius say brightly, You with me, sunshine? Always, forever, Remus's brain offers unhelpfully. And Remus has never felt such an aching longing for that to be possible than this moment, where Sirius shines bright and devastatingly beautiful. Sirius whisks him through time, some of the greatest periods of modern history, which he explains is not changing time but kind of like playing hopscotch with realities, which twists Remus's mind into odd shapes, partly because the idea of other realities is dizzying but mostly because how the hell does Sirius know how hopscotch works? He's still reeling when Sirius grins wickedly and asks if he's ready for the 70s. Nothing could have prepared Remus for the 70s. Certainly not for Studio 54 on New Year's Eve in 1978, where he gets to see the most incredible artists and creators of the decade getting absolutely raucously blitzed. He's pretty sure he sees Elton John doing a line of coke while a man next to him smokes from a glass-blown pipe shaped like a dick and Remus almost spits out his drink when Liza Minnelli greets Sirius warmly, pupils as big as saucers and calling him Padfoot, which Sirius refuses to explain beyond. Are just a little joke between me and Liza. Hey, did you see the interactive Warhol? The Warhol is honestly a bewildering chaos of color and chimes which Remus doesn't quite get, and Sirius squints and cocks his head at, concluding. You must have to be completely off your face to get this. Hang on, I've got something more your speed. They exit through the back door of the club and straight into a succession of art galleries, all several decades apart and featuring the most exquisite and gut-wrenching pieces. After the chaos of 54, it's a soothing bomb, a whisper against his neck where Sirius steps close to reveal the little secrets he's gleaned about the artists and their works through the years. This guy was an asshole. Met him once, absolute wanker, ended up in hell actually. He can paint you something if you like. Oh Michelangelo, now there's some talent. Modeled Jesus after his boyfriend. Still makes me laugh after all this time. The father of Impressionism. And 13 illegitimate children. Artists, right? Remus lets Sirius's words wash over him, bemused at his unorthodox and mouthy tour guide on the journey through the best artworks of the last 200 years. People miraculously don't seem to see them looking blankly through them as if they're ghosts, which is a relief as they're dressed for the 21st century and Remus can't keep his hands off Sirius's hips and waist and shoulders, and his gaze dips to his lips when he speaks in a shamelessly besotted way that he can't hide and maybe doesn't want to after tonight. They spend more time in some eras than others, dawdling in the peak of Baroque and Renaissance because Remus can get as close to the pieces as he likes now that they're invisible and he's always wanted to see pieces like The Last Judgment by Michelangelo and The Swing by Jean Honoré Fragonard up close and in detail. Other eras they breeze by when neither he nor Sirius show much interest. They're strolling through the abstract expressionist movement, and Remus is idly examining the pieces but really he's listening to Sirius's fascinating story about da Vinci, when a canvas painting that takes up an entire wall catches his eye and he slows to a stop in front of it. The middle by Mark Rothko, the plaque reads. Remus stares. At first glance it could be a sunset over the sea, but the sky is a bright red, the color of poppy flowers, and the sea a deep, unnatural blue. 
Only the place where the colors meet doesn't meet. It blends and smooths into each other. A gradient of all the hues of violet lies between the blue and the red, and it's captivating. Uneven and messy, where some violet overflows further into blue than the red, and the strokes are bold and passionate, like it was painted in a crazed fervor. It's not a style Remus usually likes, but he can't help but stare. Sirius looks at the painting too, squinting closely at the brush strokes as if they can tell him something. Oh, this guy. I think he made this about his girlfriend. Tore it to pieces when they broke up and only painted in solid blocks after. Not bad as far as abstract goes. I like it, Remus murmurs. Why? I don't know. Ha. Huh. That's art, I guess. They continue through the eras of art, spending hours in the galleries, pausing frequently so Remus can stand stock still and marvel at artworks of legendary painters and sculptors, some of which, in his own reality, are lost to the passages of time, gone missing during estate disputes or destroyed by the careless sweep of war. He gets to see something no one else alive will ever see again, and when he distractedly tells Sirius that he wishes he had a photographic memory, Sirius laughs and tells him he can just buy them. The idea of owning something so close to priceless is scandalous, and Remus must make a face because Sirius just laughs harder. They wind down the night with the first screening of Some Like It Hot in a dimly lit, red-carpeted theater in 1959, which Remus raises his eyebrows at in surprise because it's so uncharacteristically tame, to which Sirius shrugs and says, It's a classic for a reason. Trust me, you'll like it. And he's right. Again. He does that a lot and Remus is still faintly surprised. It feels particularly apt when Osgood tells Daphne. Well, nobody's perfect. After finding out Daphne is really Jerry, and his smile is still dreamy and fond, and Remus looks over at Sirius who laughs loudly and openly and finds that the line fits comfortably between his ribs where he's wrestled down and subdued the gnawing questions of morality to a slumbering, peaceful beast. Nobody's perfect. Sirius certainly isn't, with his legendary fiery temper, impatience, and somewhat unusual occupation which Remus will probably never be able to explain to his friends or family. But imperfections are just endearing quirks when you're in love, a truth that Remus finds unfolding in his chest when he looks at Sirius and knows immediately he wouldn't change a thing. They exit the theater with the crowd of laughing, chattering men and women who look right through them, ghosts of a different time, and Sirius turns to him underneath the brightly lit sign displaying the titles of films showing. Remus sees the exact moment that Sirius registers the gray hair at his temple in the little double take of those gray eyes and Remus's stomach squirms. Ah, it was only a matter of time, after all. Remus pulls away to make a distracted comment about the movie but Sirius cards fingers through Remus's hair and his smile is soft and reverent when he says, This is new. Suits you. Think so. Remus has to ask, even though he's been avoiding this topic for weeks. Sirius nods, smile widening dreamily. Knew it would when I saw your dad. What? Nothing. Sirius shakes his head and grabs Remus's hand. Back to hell. It's way past your bedtime, Gramps. Remus would usually snipe, says the guy who was probably pals with Marx. But his heart is fit to burst with affection tonight, and if he doesn't talk about this now, maybe he never will. Sirius, wait. 
Impatience flits over Sirius's features, crumpling into uncertainty at Remus faltering and failing to find words. He's thought about broaching this subject for months but he can't seem to recall any of the arguments he's gone over and over again in his head. This doesn't seem like a good time to start winging it but Sirius has been something of a bad influence on him from the start. You know we can't go on like this forever. Sirius's face drops and Remus scrambles to explain. Turns out he cannot wing it. I mean me like this, as I am. I'm going to get old. Sirius's face relaxes and he rolls his eyes. If I cared about dating an old man it's a little late for that. Never met a 30-year-old who complains about his knees so much. I mean it. You're going to live forever and I'm not. I'll fuck a ghost. Try everything once. Sirius. What? Sirius snaps, anger descending like a blizzard, the breezy summer air suddenly icy as he takes half a step back. It looks like anger. It sounds like hurt. What do you want me to say? That I haven't thought about the fact that you're going to grow old and die someday, and well now that I have, I guess that's it, let's call this off? I don't sleep, Remus. Of course I've thought about it. If you think for one second I would ever let anything happen. You can't kill time, Sirius, or death. Fucking watch me. Sirius snarls, fists clenched, eyes burning in his face. I'm not afraid of death, death is afraid of me. Watch me chase it from your doorstep, I don't give a fuck. Wait, just listen. Remus soothes, reaching for Sirius's hand to steady him. I'm not saying I want this to end. The opposite, in fact. I talked to Bale, I asked him how he did it, how he became a demon. Immortal. The anger immediately bleeds out of Sirius's face, his eyes widening, and underneath the white light they're vibrant and marbled with silver. Remus. Years in the pit, he said. Or. Remus lifts his hand to Sirius's jaw, thumb stroking the stubble as he feels him swallow. Or you can do it. Just one drop of blood, right? Remus can feel Sirius's fury return in the clench of his jaw before he sees it. Lips pull back over teeth and he's a snarling wild dog snapping. That meddling fucker. I told him to mind his fucking business. Do you really think he could have stopped me figuring it out? Remus chides gently, tightening his grip on Sirius's jaw. You know I don't do anything lightly. I've thought about this. Every time he saw the gray hair, in fact. Whenever Remus's gaze caught it in the mirror, his eyes would glance down to meet themselves in his reflection, and he'd try to picture them black like the darkest night. He'd wonder if his soul would turn the same shade, if he'd no longer be serious as sunshine. Would he become cruel and careless and sadistic? Would he lose everything that makes him special to Sirius? Torn and restless, he turned to the only authority on hell that he felt like he could talk to, other than Sirius. When he had asked Bale, with a carefully casual air, how he had become a demon, the slightly balding demon who could pass as a banker, stared right through him for a few excruciatingly long moments, in that eerily perceptive way of his. It is not easy for most. Hundreds of years of service in the pit unless the Lord Lucifer grants it himself. But I cannot imagine a single thing he would not grant you. Remus squirms in his chair in the library of hell a plush armchair that had magically appeared after he mentioned in passing to Sirius that the hardwood chairs had been hurting his back after hours of poring over the books. Remus hastily redirects the conversation. Did you feel different after? Bale considers, quote, pausing above the parchment, 
that he's been recording Remus's ideas for hell on. Different? No. Myself still, but amplified, uninhibited. Till yourself. Yes. Some lose themselves in the power, but I do not foresee that for you. Remus glances up from the book he wasn't reading. Oh, I don't know if I... He protests feebly, but trails off because those black eyes are staring, unblinking, and the lack of expression pulls the truth out of him. Will I still be me? I do not believe the essence of your person will change over much. But what are demons then, if not the embodiment of evil and destruction? After a pause, Remus adds hastily. Sorry. Bale stares back unbothered. We are servants of hell, but we are not all the same. If you are prone to such things before descending then it will be amplified. I cannot envision you becoming anything to be ashamed of. I'd still have a conscience. The ways of heaven and hell are not as black and white as the scriptures would have you believe. Bale gestures at the walls of books surrounding them in the quiet of the library. You will retain whatever is important to you. I do not relish in suffering as my counterparts do, it is simply a necessary means to bring order to chaos. I was a bureaucrat, you see. Oh. I believe your sense of justice will prevail. And your kindness. Lord Lucifer would benefit from a compass such as yourself, he has been somewhat directionless since falling. Were you there when he... Bale shakes his head and his face darkens for a moment, as if recalling something troubling. It was before my time, but I came into being not long after. I was one of the first. He was angry in those times. His rage was terrifying to behold. Bale pauses and considers Remus shrewdly. You have changed him. Soothe the wounds left from the fall, I believe. He makes a fine leader with you at his side. Remus doesn't know what to say to that and Bale smiles in what appears to be an attempt at being reassuring. It looks like maybe he's forgotten how because it doesn't reach his eyes and there's entirely too much teeth. But his voice is kind when he says, Most choose this path for power or immortality. But a demon driven by love? I cannot imagine one such as this to ever truly lose themselves to darkness. This is a leap of faith, and Remus has been poised on the edge for long enough. I've made up my mind. You can either help me or I'll do it the long way. You don't mean that. Sirius insists, a crack of desperation in his voice. Again, you underestimate me. Remus smiles. You're not the only one who can be stubborn. This is mental. You wouldn't even wish for a sandwich when we first met and now you think you want to be a demon. Remus, there's no coming back from it. Do you remember when we first met and you asked what my deepest desire was? Remus presses and Sirius makes a strangled noise that could mean anything, but Remus continues anyway. I never told you. I didn't even know what I wanted. I know now. You don't want to be a demon. From what Bale told me, I won't change that much. The eyes could take some getting used to but he said I can hide them most of the time. I'm going to kill him. Oh yes, that'll put a real dampener on a dead man's day. Remus pauses watching the way Sirius's eyes darken, glaring and stormy, and he's treading on thin ice here but suddenly taking the plunge seems like the easiest thing, like maybe it's not so much as stepping off the precipice but relaxing into the fall that he's been spiraling into from the day that Sirius looked bewildered at being offered something as simple as dinner, and kindness started peeking out through the newly formed cracks in his cold exterior. I know you think you've corrupted me. Remus makes an educated guess and Sirius's eyebrows tell him he's right. Sirius boasts about his poker face but Remus has become something of an expert Sirius interpreter. 
But you haven't changed me, you found me. Like what I was before was just a shell and you've cracked it open and all the mess of who I really am is spilling out and it's me. You freed me from the idea of what I thought I should be. So I don't care where we spend our lives or if I'm a human or demon for it. I couldn't give less of a damn about good and evil and heaven and hell. I just want to be with you. I'd spend forever with you, anywhere. After a beat, Remus's brain catches up with his runaway mouth and he hastily amends. If that's what you want to. That is, if you'd still feel the same if I change, if I do this. But Sirius has already said it with every thoughtful gesture. Every time Remus falls a little deeper into hell and feels more at home in his new role, Sirius doesn't flinch, he still looks at him with that expression that Remus never could quite read. The one he's wearing right now. Of course I would, Sirius says softly, and this time his face is an open book, pages ink stained and worn with everything he's kept closed and tucked away. I'd love any version of you, there's nothing you could ever be that I wouldn't love. Time stops and Remus no longer hears the chattering of people in the theater or the buzz of the lights or the crickets chirping contentedly in the warm night. Because Sirius loves him and his entire world narrows down to this moment and the few feet between them that feel unbearable. Sirius frowns into the distance over Remus's shoulder as if he can't say this to his face. But Remus can't stop staring at him, can't tear his eyes away when he continues. My entire existence was a punishment before I met you. Now it's. It's life. You took hell and made it a real home for me, for us. A home. A place of darkness and eternal misery and there you are, shining your light all over the place, leaving cups of tea everywhere. Your clothes are in my wardrobe, you've charmed all the demons and now they obey you more than me. A realm that was supposed to be my prison is my home because you're there and pieces of you are everywhere I look. You're my home, of course I'd still love you, are you daft? Before Remus has even thought about it, before Sirius can elaborate or deflect or say something stupid that will dilute the truth of his words and close that book, Remus strides forward and kisses him. In an instant, Sirius's hands are in his hair, cradling his jaw and Remus tastes the bittersweet longing that Sirius has been holding back, the fragility behind all of his protests and anger. I want this but it's selfish, I want it but I could never ask it of you. The lights of the theater sign buzz faintly overhead and the night is balmy and cool. Sirius smells like safety and home and all that Remus can think is that Sirius loves him. Sirius loves him. Remus breaks away, breathless and smiling elatedly. Yes I am, actually. I love you so much it makes me a daft, sappy idiot. I can't take all the credit. You were already like that when I got to you. Remus kisses him again, but it's shallow and brief because he can't stop grinning. When he rests his forehead against Sirius, he has to confirm, to hear it out loud. It's a yes, then. You'll do it. If you're sure. It's a one-way ticket. Already bought. Remus beams, not skipping a beat. Even if I do have to drink a drop of your blood. Ugh, with how much you smoke it's going to taste like cigarettes. Oi, one drop and I'm making you the most powerful demon to ever exist. You don't get to complain about the taste. The, what? Remus leans back to take in all of Sirius's expression. You're no ordinary human, you can't be an ordinary demon. Sirius explains like it's the most obvious thing. What? What does that mean? Sirius raises his eyebrows quizzically, as if Remus should know what he's talking about. The demons barely bother with me anymore. And that's fine by me, I'm not complaining. But they already see you as their leader. 
You'd be my, I don't know, right hand. Or something. He finishes in a rush. Your right hand. It's something Bale said. I don't know. Sirius says dismissively, avoiding eye contact. He's always on about how great you are. I think he's been planning this since the day he met you. Remus entwines their hands together and stares down at them, visualizing himself at Sirius's side at the long table where the lords of hell preside over the realm. He sees the way Sirius already turns to him for his ideas and advice, how Sirius accepts his suggestions with a wave of his hand, like it's a given that Remus's words hold the same authority as his own. Your right hand, Remus repeats slowly. I suppose I already do things a right hand does. Yeah, hardly have to use my right hand with you around. Sirius leers. Remus rolls his eyes, moment of contemplation broken. We almost managed to have a completely serious conversation. He chides but he hasn't managed to shake his grin. Every conversation I have is a serious conversation. It takes Remus a beat to think about it, and then he's huffing in exasperation and pushing Sirius back, feigning disdain at Sirius's snickering. How are you not tired of that joke yet? Sirius shrugs and Remus sighs fondly. I better get used to it. I'll be hearing it for an eternity, won't I? Come on, let's go home, you serious prat. The corner of Sirius's mouth lifts, like Remus has said something wonderful and profound. Yeah, let's go home. He reaches for Remus's hand and Remus is vividly reminded of the canvas swirling with red and blue paint, plumes of violet blooming vibrantly through them. Nobody's perfect. But together? A masterpiece. Chapter 11 The Runes Heaven is not fit to house a love like you and I. Francesca, Hosier The metallic zing of the cuffs rubbing together draws Remus's attention upwards, and he bares his teeth against Sirius's hip in a grin. Remus, you fucker. What's wrong, darling? Remus twists his fingers and feels the silken heat of Sirius's body flutter around them, wringing a groan from him. I distinctly remember you saying you could take it, however many times I want. Isn't that right? Sirius makes a frustrated, tortured little groan that has his voice breaking at the end, and Remus has to fight with himself to stop his grin widening. He watches as Sirius twists into the sheets like he's trying to squirm away but his body betrays him one leg hooking around Remus's shoulder and drawing him closer the only way he can with his arms still held above his head and cuffed at the wrists. The thin black, metal bands, chained together, stand out against Sirius's pale skin, softened in the shadows cast by warm candlelight. The only places Remus has kept lit purely by candlelight in the castle are the library and their bedroom. Reading by the bright, firelit lanterns and candlelight makes the words on the pages come to life not unlike the way the orange glow of candlelight makes Sirius's skin look softer than it has any right being, ethereal and otherworldly, and the sweep of his eyelashes are elongated across his cheeks by the shadows. They flutter against his cheeks when Remus twists his hand just right, and Sirius squirms, metal cuffs clinking gently. The cuffs that Sirius made himself. Delicate runes etched into the black metal glint faintly, glossy and polished against the matte of the cuffs. Those wonderful little symbols, innocuous and innocent-looking when Sirius first showed them to Remus, grinning lecherously and practically vibrating with excitement. I thought you said you like rope better. 
Remus says, managing to keep his cool apart from swallowing audibly, as he runs the pad of his thumb over the hand-etched runes on the cool metal. I do, but I can't put runes on rope. Sirius explains dismissively, and then tips his chair forward to press himself against Remus's side, shoving the book in his lap to the floor. I made these myself. Very special. What do they do? Remus spares one brief thought for the book, probably a century old and crumpled on the floor, but the majority of his brain is consumed by the thought of the black, cool metal against Sirius's pale skin. Block my power. Sirius murmurs in his ear, and the little huffs of warm air send tingles racing down Remus's spine. Make me as close to human as I can be. And you want that? I do. Long enough for you to fuck my brains out, anyway. It makes sense, Remus thinks as he gazes up, fondly watching Sirius squirm in a way that Sirius would balk at if his eyes were open. Enough with the staring, more of the fucking. Sirius has insisted previously that he's always taken care of himself and he's never needed anyone before, fiercely independent to a fault. Whether that's out of necessity or purely his nature, Remus has wondered. Usually the thought came to him when they'd wrestle around in bed for a favorite position. He'd gain the upper hand and pin Sirius's hands above his head, and they'd remain there purely on Remus's silent command. Remus would stare for a moment and wonder. Never mind that when he was human, Sirius could overpower him with the slightest push, he always let Remus win whenever his wrists were pinned. Fiercely independent to the point that he didn't know what it felt like to have someone take care of him, to bare his neck and submit. But clearly something in him wanted to. Sirius has always been the most powerful being in the room but he's always allowed Remus these snatches of control. Breadcrumbs left on the trail to the discovery that Sirius likes this, craves it. Something he's never allowed himself in all of his millennia of living. Submission. Doing all right? Remus asks, kissing his way down Sirius's stomach and over the delightful V his hips make. Need a break? Fucker. Yes or no? Remus admonishes lightly, pausing in his journey and fingers stilling. Sirius huffs and the cuffs clink again, as if he's straining against them. He could easily break them if he wanted to, even with just his human strength, but he seems to enjoy testing their durability. No. Do you? Starting to slow down there, sunshine. Getting tired. For a brief moment Remus wonders if it's bad that the way Sirius's voice shakes slightly makes his dick twitch. A brief moment. A relic left over from his life as a human where he might have fretted over what any of these newfound desires say about him. The moment passes in a blink of his eyes and he's back to sinking his teeth into the delicate skin where Sirius's hip meets thigh and stretching his fingers inside Sirius. Sirius yelps and writhes, and Remus laughs. I could never tire of this. He informs Sirius in between sucking kisses that are mostly teeth into Sirius's thigh. And you're doing so well, letting me do whatever I want. So good for me. Sirius's breath hitches at the praise and Remus has to close his eyes against the surge of affection that threatens to overtake the lust. Even before Remus joined Sirius in hell, before he started flexing his proverbial demonic muscles and realized that having power is fun and Sirius delights in submitting to that power, Sirius had always had a soft spot for praise. That's what first hinted at Sirius's suppressed needs, buried in bravado and brash confidence. Being at someone else's mercy, someone who he trusts, 
it's something he confessed he's never been able to experience. Remus is honored. An eternity of experiencing the pleasures of the flesh, and he's the first to see Sirius like this, open and pliant and begging for more. Tell me what you want, Remus instructs gently, carefully withdrawing his fingers. Sirius answers by pulling him closer with his leg. Words, darling. You know what I want. I do, Remus smiles. With his improved vision he can see Sirius's pulse fluttering in his neck, and can smell how his arousal spikes. I want to hear it. Sirius twists his torso as if the words are fighting to escape, grumbling indistinctly between gritted teeth. What was that? Remus props himself up on his hands, either side of Sirius's shoulders. Fuck me. Sirius grits out. How? With your dick, genius. And because that kind of back talk just won't do, Remus grabs a fistful of silky black hair and pulls sharply, smiling as Sirius's snappy retort is cut off with a gasp. The cuffs force him to experience every sensation in full, and he's so new to it, like someone seeing or hearing for the first time. He described it for Remus as swimming in icy water naked when usually you have the protection of an insulated swimsuit. When Remus had looked at him blankly, he amended it to sex without a condom, but for his whole body, every nerve ending sensitive and raw. The first time Remus bit his neck while Sirius was wearing the cuffs, he shrieked loudly and they both had to stop and laugh at the shrill indignity of it. Five minutes later he was begging for Remus to do it again. Try that again, Remus instructs calmly. Emotions flit over Sirius's face and Remus waits patiently. Some days it takes longer for Sirius to shed the cloak of King of Hell, the persona of arrogant and demanding monarch that he wears for the masses. After a few long moments of Sirius huffing angrily through his nose, his expression smooths, reminiscent of relief, and he melts into the mattress, his head hanging limply in Remus's grip. Please fuck me. I'll, however you want. Sirius is rewarded with a deep kiss one that he arches into so enticingly, making those little breathy moans that drive Remus absolutely feral since discovering he likes Sirius pinned down and begging just as much as he likes being at Sirius's mercy. And Sirius knows it too. Grins into the kiss like he knows exactly what he's doing, the metal of the cuffs clinking delicately in a mockery of Remus's control. Helplessly wrapped around Sirius's finger in any reality, any form. Remus tears himself away and in the same motion slips a hand underneath Sirius's hip and flips him. Sirius yelps in surprise, still not used to being manhandled, even though it's been months since Remus gained this power. Remus tugs him easily into position, chest lowered to the bed and hips raised. Sirius's breath hitches again as Remus runs his lips down his spine, not quite kissing, just breathing him in, the heat of his skin, the scent of his arousal the salt of his sweat. However I want, Remus echoes. And what he wants is serious shaking and brought to pieces on his tongue. Fuck fuck. It might not take long, Remus muses as he runs the flat of his tongue up Sirius's perineum and against his hole. Sirius pushes back against his face and Remus can't take it. He wraps an arm around Sirius's thighs and pulls him back tightly. He laps at the soft skin, humming contentedly as Sirius gradually opens up for him. They've been at this for a while but so far it's been only fingers and he's still tight, 
Remus has to force his tongue past the ring of muscle and stretches him with languid strokes in and out. The way Sirius gasps and whimpers urges him on and within minutes, Remus's cheeks and chin are dripping in his own saliva and Sirius's thighs are shaking in his arms. Remus likes to think he hasn't changed much since becoming a demon. But there are times, times like these where his face has been buried in Sirius's arse for minutes and he hasn't had to come up for air once, that he has to admit he's not quite the mild-mannered, gentle teacher he once was. There are parts of him that are. The version of himself that leaves hell in the morning with a kiss to Sirius's cheek and in order not to tear the place down while he's gone, making his way back to the realm where he's a kind teacher, that version is still very much himself. And then there's this part of himself. The part that relishes Sirius coming to pieces. That pretends he spends his free time thinking of new ways to improve hell but mostly he just thinks of new ways to fuck Sirius or be fucked by Sirius. So maybe he hasn't changed that much. He just doesn't hold himself back anymore. Remus Remus is brought back to reality by the heel of a foot nudging his side pulling him out of the pleasant days where eating Sirius out is better than therapy. He could do it all day. Remus pulls back, wiping a hand over his face. What? Are you alright? Color? Green, 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 you fucking bastard. Please, please fuck. Sirius breaks off into a babble of what could be Latin, or some other language long forgotten, something pretty and flowing but unmistakably furious. Remus chuckles and receives another kick to the ribs harder this time. He grunts and grabs the offending foot. He yanks, flipping Sirius roughly onto his back and doesn't miss Sirius's satisfied grin as Remus leans over him. Ah, so that's how it's going to be, Remus muses. What? Remus has never fallen for Sirius's innocent act, and he's not about to start now. I see you working me. You want it rough today, huh? All you had to do was ask. Sirius doesn't even try to deny it doesn't miss a beat. As if you don't. Your eyes are black, by the way. Remus blinks, swallowing. Oh. Uh. He wills them back to Brown and Sirius grins slyly, pulling Remus down between his thighs with his legs, still strong even in his human form. Come and take what's yours, scary demon. Oh, mine, are you? Aren't I? Remus considers him for one second. Forever. Remus agrees. He lowers himself onto his elbows and into the cradle of Sirius's hips so he can kiss him deeply. He rocks his hips and his own moan is met by Sirius's when his cock nudges at his entrance. Sirius breaks the kiss to nod emphatically, breathing heavily, eyes shut tight, and Remus is wild for him. When he lines himself up and pushes past the resistance, Sirius's lips part against his in a gasp and Remus's breath is lost too stolen by the tightness and unbelievable heat gripping him. But then Sirius makes a sound that's not quite pleasure, a sharp, ah, and the cuffs rattle. Remus pauses, every muscle in his body tensed against the urge to move, to slide all the way into the incredible heat of Sirius's body. Instead, he chokes out, Okay. I'm fine. Just. One minute. Want me to. Just a minute. Sirius hisses white teeth flashing in the low light. Pain has been a foreign sensation to Sirius since falling, Remus knows this. Everything is more intense for him with the runes working their magic, and this must feel overwhelming, having to fight his own body to relax. He's still not used to it. 
Remus presses wet, languid kisses to Sirius's neck and murmurs soothingly. You're doing so well. Tell me if it's too much. I'll... Shut up. Remus grins against heated, sweaty skin and complies. He runs hands up and down Sirius's body, soothing the tense muscles, and pausing to grip his cock, stroking leisurely to bring him back to full hardness. After a few minutes, Sirius's breaths huff heavily against Remus's cheek and he starts thrusting into Remus's fist as the resistance eases. The edge has melted from Sirius's voice and he moans so sweetly again that Remus has to. He can't help biting his neck, teeth sinking into the soft give of flesh. Sirius arches into it and makes another noise that has Remus's cock throbbing almost painfully, but he patiently waits for Sirius's permission to move. Whatever games they play, no matter how much Remus relishes having Sirius willingly powerless beneath him, he wants to show him what pleasure feels like, not pain. Sirius has had enough of that to fill ten lifetimes over. So he waits and slowly the tension eases from Sirius's brow, and then he's nodding, legs pulling Remus closer again. Okay, you sure? Remus has to check. Yeah, I'm good. Tell me if you need me to stop. I'm good. Come on. All right, all right, I've got you. Remus murmurs in reassurance. He rolls his hips just slightly, shallow thrusts that ease Sirius into the feeling. Sirius's head drops back and he makes a sound that has Remus gripping the sheets either side of Sirius's head tightly. He keeps his movements slow and careful until Sirius's eyebrows start to draw upwards again and he's nodding encouragingly, pulling at his restraints impatiently again. When he bears down deliberately, smiling slyly and chuckling, Remus's control snaps. He has never been one for losing control. People get hurt when you act carelessly, he's always thought. His whole life he's kept an excruciatingly tight grip on who he allows himself to be, what he can say and do. Meeting Sirius had been the hairline crack in the dam, control trickling through his fingertips and before he knew it, his eyes were black and the dam was crumbling. And it feels good. Losing himself in his hunger for Sirius, allowing himself to chase it, run it down and feast. Fuck, no wonder people lose themselves in indulgence, because Sirius is the most decadent thing he's ever tasted and ever since turning, Remus is constantly ravenous for him. Losing control is glorious. Sirius echoes the sentiment, arching his neck beautifully into the bed, sound spilling from his throat as Remus surrenders to the blissful heat and glide thrusts forceful enough to drive Sirius further up the bed. Which won't do. Because Sirius needs to stay pinned exactly where Remus wants him. So Remus unwraps Sirius's legs and pushes them down so his knees are almost touching the bed either side of his chest. This way, he can grip the back of Sirius's thighs and hold him down tightly in place as he fucks all coherent thought out of Sirius's beautiful head. And the angle is better too, if Sirius's sharp cry is anything to go by. Sirius tosses his head from side to side, black hair sticking to the sweat on his forehead and cheeks, and his face is gorgeously flushed, unable to control the blood rushing to the surface like he usually can. He's a helpless slave to the sensations of his own human body and Remus slows his thrusts and deliberately circles his hips to see Sirius jerk sharply, unfocused eyes widening in the sudden spark of pleasure. This is where Sirius always loses what little control he has. Because Sirius has never been one for denying himself, 
for delaying gratification and not giving in to every fleeting whim that passes by. So serious demands to chase that feeling, he bares his teeth and hisses commands and pleas in the same breath. He's not used to someone else controlling his pleasure, and when he's not indulged immediately, he's shocked and infuriated. That's the spot. If you don't keep doing that, I'm, I'm going to. Going to what? Remus teases, circling his hips again to hear that beautiful little moan. You can't do anything, except take it. Sirius makes a strangled noise in the back of his throat, and his eyes darken to ash in the candlelight, a telltale sign that he's getting exactly what he wants, despite the protests. Remus circles his hips again, and then thrusts harshly, and Sirius's head falls back, eyes closing. Remus holds himself up on one hand so he can grip Sirius's jaw firmly so they're nose to nose. Sirius's eyes flutter back open and Remus can't believe that in that split second where they were closed, that he forgot how beautiful they are. Eyes on me, remember. Remus reminds him gently, a complete contrast to the continued harsh drive of his hips. Sirius doesn't respond, but his eyes fix on Remus's obediently and this is a show Remus will be glad to watch for all eternity. He can see the frustration and pleasure flit across Sirius's face as Remus quickens and slows the pace at his own discretion, delighted to see Sirius getting riled up even more. Remus knows when Sirius is close. He can feel it in the telltale tensing of his legs, the way his eyebrows draw upwards sharply, breaths quickening, moans pitching, eyes unfocused and half-closing. He knows these signs like the back of his hand. He slips a hand down Sirius's chest and stomach, gripping his cock tightly. Sirius sags in relief, writhing so he can get as much friction from the hand as possible. And Remus lets him, watching in bemusement as his movements falter and the relief twists back into infuriated. You fucker, you know I was almost there. Remus grins, retracting his hand and leaving the invisible cock ring in its place. Being a demon has a surplus of benefits, least of all the way he can control Sirius's orgasms as easily as Sirius once controlled his. Patience, Remus admonishes lightly. I'm not done yet. Truthfully, he just wants to see Sirius completely lose his patience and turn into a writhing, begging mess. His favorite sight. Sirius's cheeks flush a pretty, deep pink in arousal or frustration. It doesn't matter because this might also be Remus's favorite color in the whole world. Sirius throws back something enraged and garbled, and Remus smiles fondly, resuming his rhythm. It doesn't take long for Sirius to be reduced to pleading and squirming again, losing the angry edge to his voice as Remus finds a fast, hard rhythm that he'd be able to keep up all night with his new abilities, but he's quickly approaching complete loss of control. And fuck, it's so good not to hold back. He doesn't even think about what he's doing, chasing that white-hot pleasure sliding down his spine. His hands are gripping Sirius's thighs, then sliding up to his throat and jaw, and he's choking out praise because Sirius keeps his eyes on his throat at all, even though he can see Sirius just wants to tilt his head back and shout his frustrations and pleasure into the shadows of the room. And he's being so good, so obedient and pliant, even with that little tilt to his mouth that says he's suppressing all his instincts that are telling him to protest and demand, and Remus can't help leaning down to kiss him, wild and sweet, full of praise. It spills out of him, half of it nonsense, 
and the rest adoring praise, the kind that makes Sirius's lashes flutter and breath hitch. And in that moment Remus wants nothing more than to watch him come, to see his face tense, and then drop in pure ecstasy. So he releases the magical hold on Sirius's cock and keeps his hand on his jaw so he can keep Sirius facing him, needs to watch it happen. If Sirius is beautiful every other second of his life, he's exquisite in this moment, where his jaw drops in Remus's hand and his pupils are blown wide, locked with Remus's. Even after all the times they've done this, he still looks surprised by the intensity of an orgasm that's undiluted and unfiltered, jerking a rough cry from his throat as Remus feels him come between them, and his muscles contract rhythmically around Remus's cock. It's like Sirius was made for this, the silken heat pulsing around him and Remus chokes on his own breath, caught between the sensations and the beautiful vision Sirius makes with ecstasy written all over his face. Remus could drag it out longer could bring Sirius back to the brink, overstimulated and drunk on pleasure. But they have all the time in the world, and eternity stretches before them and in this moment he just wants to give in. Sirius must sense his control slipping, because he smiles dreamily and bears down, a fiery vice around Remus's cock as he licks his lips and says thickly, I've been good, go on, give it to me. So Remus does. He thrusts erratically a few more times, and then it's all stars and bursts of color, and just serious, serious, serious. He's vaguely aware of groaning, of jerking forward and bending Sirius in half as he spills into him, a position that must be uncomfortable but Sirius's expression never wavers from euphoric and Remus has to finally look away because he's going to break apart at the seams looking at Sirius elated at being filled with his cum. He pants into Sirius's neck, blinking through the little spots clouding his vision in the come down, inhaling the addictive scent of him. There's no zap of ozone, no burnt sugar smell that follows him around in spikes when he's using his power. It's just serious. A smell that Remus carefully memorizes and folds away for later, next to the sounds and sights that Sirius makes when he's like this. Something meant only for him, jealously coveted and treasured. Remus comes a grunt somewhere to his left, where he's lazily sucking a kiss into Sirius's neck. He hums and Sirius wriggles impatiently. Remus, the cuffs, can you? Oh, sorry, love. Remus shakes himself, willing some of his brain to return from wherever it went while he was coming down from the high. He reaches up and unhooks the latch on the cuffs, rubbing the pads of his fingers over the red marks around Sirius's wrists. Sirius hisses. Remus brings them to his mouth and kisses the welts murmuring. I've told you not to pull so hard. Was it too long? Sirius turns his head to watch Remus examining the marks, his smile lazy and fond, drunk on euphoria. Never long enough. Remus chuckles, easing himself up so he can place the cuffs carefully in the small, dark wood box Sirius made for them. Locked away by the runes written along the side of the box, completely impenetrable unless the one opening it is Remus Lupin. A rather ingenious bit of craftsmanship to ensure that no one but Remus can render Sirius powerless like this. With the cuffs safely locked away, Sirius stretches languidly, his grin dreamy and satisfied. Remus's gaze drifts up from the mess on his stomach and catches on his wrists, which are still red. You going to heal them this time? Remus prompts, watching as Sirius examines the marks with his tongue between his teeth in a wide grin. Nah. 
We're having dinner with James and. I earned them. You did. Remus agrees and leaves it at that, kissing Sirius's shoulder, admiring his tattoos once again, as he probably will continue to do for all eternity, tracing fingertips over areas of raised skin with fond familiarity. He feels Sirius's eyes on him and meets the gray. An ocean under moonlight. All right, not too much. Remus asks as he always does. Sirius shakes his head, eyes never breaking the stare. He pauses as if considering whether to say something or not, then it tumbles out in a rush. Sometimes I wonder if you were made for me. Remus blinks, reminded of his own thoughts which have wandered the same path this night. Sirius continues distractedly, as if he's just thinking aloud. Some sort of recompense for everything. My fall was planned before I even existed, my fate laid out before me from the moment I was created, even though I spent so long running from it. Maybe you were always part of it, what makes it all worth it? The reward. Sirius blinks his eyes back into focus and uncertainty dashes across his face. You're just too perfect not to be fate. Remus deliberates for a moment. Sirius's face is open and vulnerable in the way that it only ever is in the moments after sex where it's like all the arrogance and defensiveness have been left at the door. Maybe it is fate, Remus ponders aloud, running a thumb over Sirius's bottom lip. Or maybe we make our own fate. I don't really know. Either way, I'll choose you forever. Sirius's cheeks have slowly lost their flush since the cuffs were removed, but there's the slightest hint of that delicate pink back again. He darts forward and kisses Remus pressing the length of his body against him, and the kiss is soft and demanding at the same time. Remus allows himself to be rolled onto his back, burying his hands in the soft black strands that fall like a curtain around them, narrowing his world down to this one moment. And this is it, what life's all about. He could live in this moment forever. The thought that heaven is lost to him as a demon is laughable because heaven is right here, with Sirius's breath in his mouth and his hair tickling his cheek. Heaven and hell are just words. This is home. Finite. Thanks for listening to this text-to-speech podfic composed by Burning Aurora.